When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Oh, man. Did you have to play 50 Cent in the club for my birthday? This guy culturally appropriated my name because I was Curtis long before he was identified as Curtis. What is the only thing he has in common with me? Well, what, he got shot eight times outside of the Rochdale housing complex in southeast Queens. What was that, supposedly by Ja Rule? Huh? Huh, ladies and gentlemen? Are any of you familiar with the idiosyncrasies of how it is that 50 Cent, a.k.a. Curtis Jackson, who culturally appropriated my name, Curtis, ended up getting shot eight times uh, by supposedly Ja Rule and his crew? Uh, please give me a call, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. My don't know mine. I made it. I'm 68. And it was interesting because in just listening to the great Tony Orlando without Dawn, I noticed he was uh, interviewing Bowser of Sha Na Na. A lot of people don't realize the Bowser, the ultimate greaser with the muscle shirt, part of Sha Na Na. They actually performed at Woodstock. A lot of people would say, get out of here. Do-womp acapella group at Woodstock. Yes, yes, they were on the stage at Woodstock. And believe it or not, Bowser's name came up earlier today. When I had joined my Kumbada Cheech, Rudy Giuliani, and his son Andrew Giuliani as we marched in the annual St. Patrick's Day Parade after a two-year hiatus because of the lockdown and pandemic going down Bell Boulevard in the heart of Bayside, Queens. And so there were quite a few Democrats who were represented in the march. And uh, somehow the conversation came up to Shanana and Bowser. And somebody said, yeah, yeah, I went, to, I went to high school with Bowser. Guy had to at least be in his 70s. I said, what high school? I thought he was from Brooklyn. Oh, no, no, no. He went to Martin Van Buren. You know, Martin Van Buren. They had an agricultural division. They had a farm in the backyard of Martin Van Buren. I said, get out of here. Bowser went to Martin Van Buren? And yeah, he was a big and still is a big supporter of Democrats. Did you know that, ladies and gentlemen? Bowser. The greaser with the muscle shirt who went on to host game shows, who I thought originally was from Brooklyn, actually went to Martin Van Buren High School, the agricultural high school in Queens, and went out and campaigned for all kinds of Democrats. This Democrat was telling me, oh, yeah, he campaigned for Hochul to run for Congress. Uh, he campaigned for David Weprin. Uh, when he ran against Bob Turner, who was running for the congressional seat vacated by Anthony Weiner because of the double trouble he got himself in. And if you remember, Rob Turner, the Republican, supported by Ed Koch before he passed to the hereafter and enabled him to beat David Weprin, who couldn't chew gum and think at the same time. And he became the congressman as he lived out in Breezy Point, the Irish Riviera. 
I had no idea that Bowser was such a big Democrat supporter. Apparently, he's done so throughout California, where he lives in Los Angeles, and continues to come back and haunt us in New York City in campaigning for Democrats who have stymied us, stifled us, and gotten us into this quagmire and this, uh, this miserable that we're in now. But isn't that interesting? There I am at the St. Patrick's Day Parade earlier today in the heart of Queens Bayside, Bell Boulevard, with my kumbarichi, Rudy Giuliani, who you can hear in just a few hours, 10 o'clock this morning, after uh, John Katzmatidis and his roundtable discussion, and all of his guests. And man, he was like, oh, solid gold. As he was walking up Bell Boulevard with Andrew Giuliani and his staff gathering signatures to qualify Andrew to one in the Republican primary to become the next governor of the state of New York. His competition, Congressman Lee Sheldon, Bob Esch, Rob Estorino, and uh, Harry Wilson. Well, he's well on his way to getting the signatures, but I know the Republicans. I know them because they challenged my signatures. They're the worst enemy of any Republican running who is outside of the mainstream, who is an outlier. They actually eat their own babies. So Andrew is gathering up those signatures, and I'll be out celebrating my birthday tomorrow, my continued weekend birthday in Bay Ridge at the annual St. Patrick's Day Parade starting at 1 o'clock. So I hope to see you there. I'll also be gathering signatures for the gubernatorial run of Andrew Giuliani. I don't know if uh, Rudy will be there in Bay Ridge tomorrow. Again, he can walk down 3rd Avenue and he's like, yeah. And who's going to be uh, boozing at the Black Kettle there? Oh, I know it will be a lot of Irish and others. And I wonder how they take to Jersey City's St. Peter's being in the Sweet 16. I know a lot of gambling going on there. But the fact that... In the throes of victory and not the agony of defeat, like the uh, vanquished uh, team that they beat from Purdue, they had those Black Lives Matter uh, shirts on. Where, where the hell did they pull those out from? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But uh, it's Curtis Jackson, a.k.a. 50 Cent Song, in the club, the birthday sp- the birthday song. Why? Why, oh, why is it being played for my birthday? When, in fact, he culturally appropriated my name. You know, most people you run across who are named Curtis tend to be African-American and not Caucasian persuasion snow bros. Well, I'm one of probably a handful. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And who would have thought the synergy? Tony Orlando without Dawn interviewing Bowser, who I find out earlier in the day, hardcore Democrat, campaigning for a lot of local Democrats in the very borough that he went to high school in, Martin Van Buren. Wow. Amazing. And then, earlier this evening, on his way out of these facilities of WABC, the man most uh, associated with WABC, even more so than me, as you know, ABC, the acronym standing for always broadcasting, Curtis, the cuz. Good night, cuz. Cousin Brucey. Bruce Morrow, as he walked out of the studios here after another great program, another great rock and roll party this Saturday evening. And do you know that whereas I'm 68 and considered to be climbing that aging ladder. I believe Cousin Brucey is 86. 
And when he came back to WABC, when John Katsimatidis said it's time to come home, time to come home, cuz, Bruce Morrow, a.k.a. Cousin Brucey, to where you made that magic for years in the evening. I think he was on at 7.15 at night. Why 7.15? I can never figure that out. To about 10 o'clock at night. He was a fixture. And there was no doubt about it. WABC was your place to be with uh, top 40, spinning stacks of wax, although they basically played the hits. I got to be honest. Uh, I wasn't a big WABC fan A top 40. I actually started listening to top 40 WINS before it was all news. You know, 20 minutes and we'll tell you about what's happening in the world. And I'll be doing that later on when we talk about our president, Joe Biden, in Poland. As he talked about, you know, it's time that we uh, we get Putin out of there. What, regime change? Are you out of your mind? Now, we'll deal with all of that later on in the show. But it is interesting that when Cousin and again, can anybody explain to me why it was that Cousin Brucey started his shows at the old WABC when they were number one in the nation, spinning uh, top 40 stacks of wax at 7.15 at night? I can never figure that out. one 800 But the question here is, where does this guy get his strength from? I'm going to redub Bruce Morrow, a.k.a. Cousin Brucey. The Hebrew Hammer. Now, I know uh, baseball players have had that name. Art Shamsky was traded from the Cincinnati Reds to the Miracle Mets and helped him win the World Series. Art Shamsky, actually originally a natty boy from Cincinnati. He was called the Hebrew Hammer. What Yankee, what Yankee who played first base, who eventually went on uh, to sell rugs on his hair, you know, like he just didn't care because of all the baldies out there who actually came from Atlanta, Georgia, who was supposed to be the Hebrew hammer, the new Hank Greenberg, who the Yankees never wanted, who came from uh, the Bronx, Monroe High School, and ended up playing for the Detroit Tigers. But the Hebrew hammer he was supposed to be. I think he shared a last name with a billionaire. Hey, man, I've given you so many tips there. Come on, you trivia addicts. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But when Cousin Brucey, a.k.a. I'll now call him the Hebrew Hammer because he's earned it, was first summoned back here by John Katsimatidis, a lifelong friend of his and listener. Uh, I had an arm wrestling contest with him right here in this studio. And he beat me on camera. It was actually posted. And I'm not saying that I deferred to him or I digressed or or I threw the arm wrestling match. The guy beat me legitimately in arm wrestling. The guy is a Hebrew hammer. I'm trying to remember what his his, his birth name was. I think it was Bruce Meyerowitz. I remember we were going to Sheepshead Bay, not far from Lundy's. Oh, yeah, right there near where all the fishing boats were docked. And we passed PS206, and I remember one of my cousins said, Yeah, that's where Cousin Brucey went, PS206. And, of course, I told you many times he went to high school, James Madison, a really good local high school. Unfortunately, it produced Bernie the Altacaca Sanders, the Schmuck the Putz, Chuck E. Cheese Schumer. It also produced the former U.S. Supreme Court Justice Ginsburg, who knew the difference between a male and a female. Uh, that came up in the hearings for Judge Jackson to become the United States Supreme Court Justice, who still doesn't know the difference between a male and a female. But, hey, 
as liberal and progressive as Ginsburg was, she certainly knew the difference between a uh, male and a female, that's for sure. I decide right now that, that I'm a woman. What? Was that Ted Cruz? I decide right now that, that I'm a woman. Oh, please. Apparently, I'm a woman. No, no. Ted, Ted, don't bogart this show. Come on, Ted. We're not talking about that. We talked about that 24 hours ago. Could I decide I was an Asian man? What, <laughs> what the hell? There were lots of Asians in Bayside earlier today for the St. Patrick's Day Parade reminding me, hey, Curtis, you won the Asian vote in the city because of us. I, I, I had to tell him. I went right up to Congresswoman Rang and said, I won the Asian vote. She said, yeah, and that was not good. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But the uh, birth name of Cousin Brucey, who I've renamed the Hebrew Hammer because he beat me in arm wrestling, the guy is a solid rock at 86, was Bruce Meyerwitz. And when he was going to James Madison High School, he also went to Brooklyn Tech as part of the All-City Radio Workshop. And he did a, he did a program. At NYU, where he eventually went, he went to Brooklyn College first, and then he went to NYU. Now, what music did Cousin Brucey spin? What stacks of wax at the radio station that he set up? First time ever at NYU. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. What was the style of music that he played on the very college station he created first time ever at NYU. 1-800-848-9222. The guy most synonymous with dirty dancing. I mean, I can still hear the voice. Can still hear the cameo appearance. And then as a little kid, I remember him shilling for Tom McCann shoots. Ladies and gentlemen, remember that Tom McCann bust Buster Brown and Tide? How the hell did they fit that little doggy in the shoes? I can never figure that out. But Buster Brown and Tide, and then, of course, the humiliating Skippies. You would go to Tom McCann and get the generic Skippies, the female sneakers that sometimes I would see guys wearing. And sometimes I would wonder, apparently I'm a woman, if in fact that referred to one's gender status when you were wearing Skippies. Could I decide I was an Asian man? Oh, my, no, no, my. This guy's going to bogart me all morning long. And I remember in Rikers Island, after my kumbadi Cheech, Rudy Giuliani was barely elected mayor and helped give this city a badly needed colonic when Bernard uh, Carrick was uh, made the correctional chief in charge of the Rock and the other correctional facilities when they had close to 20,000 inmates. That's compared to 5,000. Now, 20,000 inmates... And when you were being processed into the rock, Rikers Island, you had to give up your Timberlands, you had to give up your Nikes, your Pumas, your Adidas, whatever it is your footwear was, and they would give you Air Giuliani's, which was Skippy's from Tom McCann, which made you sort of feel a little femaleish. Apparently, I'm a woman. Yeah, Ted, you would have been wearing Skippy's, no doubt about it, from Tom McCann. And they painted them at Rikers Island, fluorescent orange, so it would glow in the dark. No inmate in Rikers wanted to be wearing Air Giuliani's. That was so humiliating. I reminded uh, 
Mr. Mayor Rudy Giuliani earlier today when we were sitting at the diner at 35th and Bell Boulevard right before the start of the annual St. Patrick's Day Parade. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I had asked you uh, what New York Yankee could have been. The Hebrew Hammer. And let's go uh, first. Who's, who seems to have been attuned to that? Jay in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jay. Hey, hello, Curtis. How are you? Oh, my. No, no, my. Here, here it is. Yeah, I, I kind of figured this when you guys decided uh, Yitzi, Yatsi. Well, what's your name again? Yeah, I forget what your name is, board operator. Uh, Izzy. Yeah, Dizzy. Yuddy. And then Carmelito, Carmelo, whatever. Curtis, you forgot my name already. What it's is it? Camelia. Camelia. All right, let me write that down. Camelia. And Izzy Dizzy. Uh, you decided to play uh, 50 Cent. Can I hear a little bit of that 50 Cent here? Why? Why? In the club for my birthday. I'm really very upset. That you would take this degenerate, this hip-hop monster, this thug, and play his song on my birthday. Let me tell you something. If we'd have been in the same club together, there would have been some kind of understanding that we would have reached before we reached the exit door. That's for sure. And he'd have been flexing. He'd be, Jay, got eight bullet holes. And I would have shown him my five bullet holes. And it would have been mano, mano. Hey, who took you out there, huh? Who took you out, 50 Cent, huh? Was that Ja Rule and his crew, huh? Uh, 1-800-848-9222-That's 1-800-848-WABC Oh, hold on a second We got Jay on hold here uh, Rules and regulations, Robert Rules of order, regulations When you call this show, unlike all the other shows That are just grateful to get callers So they'll permit uh, all that nonsense Back and forth You gotta understand Don't ask me how I'm doing Cause you know what I'm gonna tell you I've had better days Kabish, Kabish, Jay, Kabish yeah, I got okay. it. Oh, you got it. All right. It took you uh, a okay, month ready for the answer? Oh, hold on a second. Sorry. Oh, you're, you're real aggressive. You break the rules <laughs> and regulate. I really should dump you into the abyss and go to the next no, guy. Don't do that. You I sure? love you, Curtis. Don't do that. No, 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 no. no. Don't snore me now. Don't snore <laughs> me, Jay. Don't, don't okay. pull my chain and chew my BBDs. <laughs> what are you going to be, my Maytag? Uh, you're going to put starch in my Fruit of the Looms? Wow. <laughs> How did you know? Oh, uh, yeah. So, okay. All right. You're accommodating. You're accommodating. You'd be okay. a good cellmate. You'd do anything that I tell you. I'd say, hey, Sally, come here. I, I'm going to give you my toothbrush. I want you to brush my Puma, my suede uh, sneakers. You know, your toilet could be your best friend in prison, but that's another subject. Well, what would you know about toilets in prison, huh, Jay? So I saw, I saw the latest version of Succession, and they had a whole episode about that. Oh, so you watch on TV. That's like watching, uh, what is that, Locked Up Raw or whatever on MSNBC. <laughs> oh, so now you're a cognoscente. Now you're an expert on prisoners, butt buddies, Maytags, the whole nine yards, and right? And Yankees. And yeah. Yankees, And Yankees, too. Yankees. Okay, yeah. we'll, now, we'll give you a you shot. the answer? Yeah, we'll give you a go shot at infamy. Thank you. Okay, here we go. He was the first designated his, uh, hitter in the history of baseball. Very good. His nickname was the Boomer, and his name was Ron Bloomberg. That's right. I remember, he had that bad rug on his head. Yep. 
very bad. And Ralph Houck was his manager, who I think was a Jew hater, but that's besides the point. But oh. uh, Ron Bloomberg, you know, he, he was disabled because he had constant injuries, constant knee injuries, and he never could really get in the groove. So he never he was the next hope for Hank Greenberg. So we had to wait for Ryan Braun. Uh, and that's the deal. Yeah, but remember, Ryan Braun, what happened to him? He was using the juice, well, right? The juice. He was using yeah, the juice, yeah. the juice. Yeah, 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 yeah. he's still a nice guy, Look, but you're absolutely right. The, the natural Hebrew hammer, other than that, right. obviously, Hank Greenberg, Hank Greenberg, who could have broken. He was the real Hebrew hammer. Right, That's right. Could have broken Babe Ruth's uh, record, but they wouldn't pitch to him in the end because they hated him because he was a Jew with the Detroit well, Tigers. That's what, they, th- that's what people claim, but Hank Greenberg was too much of a gentleman, and if you read his book, which was called My Life by Hank Greenberg, he said in there that all those stories were not true, and they did pitch to him. So he, he disclaimed that, and I think he was a good sport. But I think in truth, Curtis, what you just said was true. I think at the end they didn't want him to break the Babes record, so they pitched around him. Well, let me tell you something. I will amend that, because you're right. Hank Greenberg right. was a gentleman. He could have easily have been drafted uh, as a local yep. Trevor Yankees. They yep. didn't want him, although that short porch in right field right. would have been exactly. made for Hank, like it was like it was made for Ron Bloomberg coming out of Atlanta. Bingo. But he couldn't pull the trigger. That's exactly right. And I'll tell you a real funny story real quick. So when I was a little kid, I begged my father to bring me to the Yankee game. I grew up in Jersey City. Brought me to the Yankee game. It was old-timers day. And it was before I really had an appreciation for what was going on. So that somebody hit a fly ball into right field. And this old guy comes running, running, running. He's about to catch it, but he falls down. And my father said, oh, that's terrible. I said, who is that guy? He said, oh, he was my hero. His name is Hank Greenberg. And 30 years later, I'm reading Hank Greenberg's autobiography that he wrote right before he passed away. And in it, he writes that he used to play well into his 70s until one day at Yankee Stadium, he made a fool out of himself, and he told himself he's never going to play again. And that was the game I was at. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. I mean, think of this. Think of this great ball player lived within the shadow of Yankee Stadium. Yep, yep. Goes to Monroe High School. By yep. the way, who was the other great uh, ball player who went to Monroe High School years later? Uh, I don't know. Earl Monroe? No, I don't know. No, no, no. Earl, Earl Monroe's uh, from Maryland. <laughs> Maryland. Maryland. Right, uh, right. It was Ed Cranepool. Oh, Eddie Cranepool. Wow. That's okay. right. He wow. he was drafted right out of high school by the Mets. I saw him in his first game at the old Polo Grounds, nineteen sixty two. And the right. guy I, I, I remember could have been I could be wrong. First at bat, natural pure lefty hitter, just a pure hitter, base right. hit, right to right, right field, and everybody was saying, This guy is gonna be a star. The only other guy I ever remember that they drafted out of high school who went right into the pros was Al Kaline. Who was considered a natural out of Baltimore? He was drafted by yeah. the Detroit Tigers. Do you know how old he was when he first started playing in the major leagues? Well, eighteen. It's right, seventeen, eighteen. That's exactly right. Very good. Well, you know your stuff. I, had, I got that from my baseball card collection. Yeah, well, that. Well, where do you think I got that from? My Topps baseball <laughs> card collection. And not only that, remember, K Line was a great right fielder, had a yeah. great arm, could hit the ball in all different directions. Was the consummate team player. Never had a big ego. Never had a big ego. That's right. And never had a World Series either. 
Oh, yeah, but there were times, I got to tell you, in the early 60s, the Detroit Tigers actually seemed to match up better than the Yankees. Right. Yeah, actually at first base. Oh, very good. Yeah, the Al K-line and right field. They had a great catcher, too. I forget his name. Oh, it's coming to me. It's coming to me. But I remember they had a pinch hitter called Brown, this big African-American guy. They never played him. He was a pinch hitter like Smokey Burgess was for the Chicago White Sox. And this guy Brown would hit him like a country mile. Southwest Detroit, Detroit Tigers Stadium was a band box. But Detroit had a great, great team. Right. Who was the manager during those times? Mm, Boy, that's that's Dressen, Charlie Dressen. No, Charlie Dressen was uh, old Brooklyn Dodger. I don't. Not during the 60s, Dressen was not the manager. All right, all right. Yeah, let's stand, right. We stand to, to argue that. But who was the Yankee killer in the pitching, the starting rotation for the Detroit Tigers that the Yankees could not beat, who was okay against the rest Mickey of the... Lulich. No, no, no. Mickey was no. too busy eating donuts. Too busy ah, eating donuts. Denny, Denny McClain. No, no. Danny McClain served up, remember, the record home run to Mickey Mantle. I forgive him for all of his indiscretions, especially working with the Gambino crime family, John Gotti Sr. at the time they tried to whack me. I forgive I forgive Danny McClain for that. Remember, he won over 30 games. That's right. How do you think he did it? It was the Gambino crime family. I give up. Can you give me a hint who the Yankee killer was? <laughs> no, I'm not going to give you a hint. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to torture you. Which guy in the early 60s would take to the mound? I believe he was a left-hander. And the Yankees could not beat him with the Detroit Tigers. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. Mantle, Maris, Elston Howard. didn't matter who was in the lineup. This guy would always have the Yankees number. He was considered the Yankees killer. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I was torturing that Irish crowd at Bayside today along Bell Boulevard for the renewal of the annual St. Patrick's Day Parade. Which, by the way, um, like every other St. Patrick's Day Parade, was on the shelf for two years because of the lockdown and COVID. So here are all these uh, Roman Catholic, Irish Catholics, uh, you know, who could tell me what parish they went to, what Catholic high school they went to. And then I say, are you going to be singing Danny Boy later on in the gin mill when you're half in the bag? Of course, of course. Because I said, you know, that was a Protestant song. A Protestant song. You know, the Orangemen. What is that date in June when the Orangemen, or July, when they march through all the Catholic areas on behalf of William the Orange, who defeated the Catholics and massacred thousands and basically said, hey... It's time for a puritanical way to deal with things. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Enough of that, Danny boy. Gives me a headache. Let's go to Joe in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Giuseppe. Hi there. I listened to you a long time. Um, I met you once in Central Park. Also, um... I hope you get my email I sent you from BaseJN. It's some, some personal uh, support. And I don't know a lot about baseball or the first song that Cousin Brucey played, but uh, I'm willing to go along with it. And uh, thanks for letting me. Uh, what the hell are you talking about, Joe? 
Did I meet you in Central Park? I didn't meet you in the ram in the Rambles. I'm telling you that much, Joe. No, you buy the pond, the sailboat pond. Oh, and what was I doing there, Joe? And what were you doing, more importantly? Walking around. Oh, walk. What were you looking for, you Joe? Casually, you were casually. Uh, mm. I was taking a shortcut. Now, was it, uh, was it daytime or nighttime, Joe? Daytime. Oh, daytime. You're just walking through the wooded areas there. You're, you're a bird watcher, Joe. whoop a woo whoop a woo I didn't see any birds. Ah, you didn't see any birds. birds. Island, though. Ah. What, Clove Park? Clove Park? You're walking through Clove Park there, Joe? Everywhere the turkeys are. Oh, turkeys. That's right, Forest Avenue. Over no. there on Highland Boulevard, over by the Sy no. Staten Island Psyche no. Psychiatric Institute. Turkeys, no. wild turkeys. No, everywhere they are. Everywhere. Uh, Joe, have you been drinking wild turkey tonight? You know, a few shots. Come on, Joe. I'm saying I sent you an email. I hope you get it. It's about support and help. Helping each other. Um, I need a particular flavor, but the only connection. you read it. It said, Bake JN. Email, okay? Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll read your email, pal, Joe. I think he was cruising for love in all the wrong places, in the Rambles in Central Park and in Clove Park in Staten Island. Right, uh, right near Fort Stav. Yeah, yeah, Joe. Hey, uh, come on, Joe. Come on, Joe. You know, uh, Joe, uh, look. Apparently, I'm a woman. Uh, Ted, I don't know if I ever saw you in Central Park in the Rambles or Clove Lake Park in Staten Island cruising, but, you know, I know you're confused. I know. Did I decide I was an Asian man? Oh, man. I decide right now that, that I'm a woman. Yeah, sure you are. Sure you are. Well, you know, nowadays, if you think you're a woman, technically, to the uh, woke crowd, you're a woman. Apparently, I'm a woman. Yeah, sure you are. Okay. Meantime, uh, this was an interesting message that was left to me by Luca uh, Gemma from Bay Ridge. Hey, Curtis, how are you? This is Luca Gemma. Uh, I just wanted to basically uh, wish you a happy birthday today. Um, you're at 68. You're a lot more active than uh, guys I know at, at 28 or 38. You put them to shame. But, um, yeah, we put out a, a post to you today on the Brooklyn Young Republican Society Facebook and Instagram. Um, we got chartered in Albany a few weeks ago. So, uh, basically, I'm not going to discuss business on your birthday, but basically, we are now chartered and recognized officially by the state Republican Party. And, uh, we would love to have you, uh, for, uh, some events and whatnot here and there. Uh, you do belong to us. You do belong to Brooklyn. Uh, I know Staten Island and, and Manhattan get jealous of that, but uh, you're a Canarsie boy at home. Yeah, Luca, I am a Brooklyn boy. Thanks for remembering that. And I'll be in Bay Ridge tomorrow for the St. Patrick's Day Parade uh, right by 3rd Avenue. Uh, but I will say this. The last time the young Republicans invited me to Bay Ridge on 3rd Avenue to one of those gin mills, it wasn't the Black Kettle. No, 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 no. It wasn't Arias. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, my enemies go there. Uh, the host, no. And the youngest young Republican back then was 55. 55. Boy, how times have changed and how they've gotten so much better ever since Gavin Wax has organized them all over the state of New York, the New York Young Republicans. And legitimately, they have young people. Although, thankfully, they're not woke. 
Yeah, I'll never forget. Bob Campano called me up. Say, would you like to come speak to the young Republican? Sure, Bob. Took the yard train. I think it was over to 86. Walked over to the gin mill. And the youngest Republican there was 55. Oh, boy, how times have changed. Anyway, let's go to uh, Mike, who's calling all the way from Florida. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. First thing to you. Okay, a few things. Number one, the reason why um, they had to start at 7.15 is because I'm uh, into broadcasting. I, I'm a uh, blind person. And the ABC radio stations back then had a big news commitment where they had Alex Dreyer. Then they had Howard Cosell speaking of sports. And they also had Edward P. Morgan in the news. Wow, so they gave you like a, a roundup of about 10 to 12 minutes of news. Right. So it interfered with Cousin Brucey coming on, and that's why he didn't start his program on WABC until 7.15 at night. I, in fact, all of the ABC stations did that around the country. By the way, Cousin Brucey worked in Miami for a very short time. I don't remember when he was down there, but he worked at a station which was... Um, kind of rock at the time, W-I-N-Z, which is now a sports station. Yeah, now, do you know who else was working down there almost at the same time when Cousin Brucey uh, uh, was uh, spinning stacks of wax in that uh, W-I-N-Z in Miami? Uh, Roby Young worked in Miami, I know that much. Yeah, but um, so did uh, Larry King, another Brooklyn boy, went to Lafayette, we are here, Oh, and, yeah. And he tells the great story. He got a job, again, playing albums. You know, right. that's when you could play an album. And so he gets the job. It's overnight. He's playing albums. And then all of a sudden, somebody calls up the station, and it's a sultry voice like Lauren Bacall. Oh, yeah. I, love, I, read, I read that in the book. Right. I love you. I need you. I need you to come over to my apartment now. So Larry King figures that he can put on the album and he can go over and fornicate and copulate and still be back in time by the time the album was over. And the record got stuck. That's it was, right. Uh, it started skipping. Yeah. And everybody was calling up the station, and there was nobody at the station except for Larry King. So they ended up calling the general manager, the owner of the station. So they're all there waiting at the station for Larry King. So he gets back there. He has no idea what's going on. And the next thing you know, he got a pink slip. He got fired. Oh, yeah. I remember that. I don't really remember that, but I remember him telling that story on on uh, the radio. And uh, it was in a book I read called Larry King. That's right. Oh, he wrote so many books. He was so good, Larry King. So good about Brooklyn. Let's go to Barry calling from Fort Lee, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Barry. Hey, Curtis, um, I'm going to say this pretty quick because uh, I'm on low juice and I don't have a car charger. Number one, I want to say I'm a fan. I grew up in the Midwood section of Brooklyn. If I still lived in New York, I would have voted for you for mayor without any question. Um, uh, the other thing I want to mention, everything you've mentioned tonight is sort of like related to me. You mentioned uh, Madison High School and Cousin Brucey. Uh, I went to Madison. And it happens in the 60s, we moved into a new building in the Midwood section, and the Myrowitzes moved in as well, his parents. Of course, Bruce was already out of the house. He was an adult. Uh, I never met Bruce. 
Uh, I did meet his dog, Muffin, and I called him about that some weeks ago, uh, who was staying with his mother. And I wanted to mention that Chucky Schmucky Chucky, who you mentioned, was my graduating, my high school graduating class president in Madison in 1967. Wow, now he and, claims uh, he got a perfect uh, SAT score. He it's claims very possible. He- the one thing I do remember about him, I'm sorry for interrupting you, is that he was the only one to be accepted. I don't know who else uh, uh, applied, but when they showed how many people went to such and such school, there was only one Harvard person listed. Uh, not, not the name, just how many people had gotten in, and he was the only one. Now, was he, uh, what kind of a guy was he in high school? Nerdy, uh, full of himself? Yeah. Well, what kind of a guy was he? Well, the truth is I didn't really know him well. I mean, I knew who he was, and I may have said hello or whatever, but we didn't have a relationship, so I can't answer. Um, I know that he was obviously into politics. That's why he became, he ran for president in my uh, graduating class. Um, but uh, I don't know that he was a nerd, but he wasn't like uh, Brad Pitt, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, you know what I mean? So, uh, and he wasn't, a, um, he wasn't a jock. Not that I know of, no, no. And actually, the person who had more of a contact with him was my uncle, because at that time, my uncle had a very fashionable women's clothing store, my aunt and uncle, on King's Highway. And before uh, Chuck got into national politics, he was in local politics, and my uncle was the president of the King's Highway Board of Trade, so Chuck used to go in there every once in a while. Yeah, you know, he almost got indicted when he uh, became the youngest assemblyman ever in the state assembly, I think at the age of 23. Uh, really? Yeah, the case went to Elizabeth Holzman, who was the district attorney. Remember, she was Kings County District Attorney. Uh, they would have indicted him, but they kicked it upstairs to Mario Cuomo, who was the governor, and his uh, criminal justice coordinator, Palumbo, made it disappear. Made it disappear. I had, I had no knowledge of that. Yeah, well, most people don't. But you see, when you're Curtis Lee, you know where the bones are buried and who buried them. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know everything. I think you're no, uh, no, you can help in us. every way. You can help us here, oh, Barry. There was other, something else you mentioned. All right, hold on, I, I hold on, Barry. You can help us now, as I've helped you. Uh, where do you live, Barry? Now I live in Fort Lee. Okay, so you're, you're neighbors with the mayor, Eric Adams. What do you mean? He lives I mean, right there in Fort Lee. Lee. How could, but how can he live in Fort Lee and be the mayor of New York? And well, the that's what restaurant? everybody's been asking for two years. He owns an apartment with his, really? quote, domestic partner who works for the Department of Education. Uh, I forget the actual address, but it's apartment 22H. I was there. He lives there. Uh, really? and, he, and he was able to bamboozle everybody. That is his primary well, residence, Fort Lee, New Jersey. Well, He's your neighbor. That's crazy, though. If it's your primary, then how do you run for mayor of New York? I can understand if it was secondary, like uh, Joyce Brothers used to have an apartment here. I don't know if she's still alive or does, but she had many homes. Uh, you know, uh, you know what I'm saying? A little, uh, little trivia here. Do you know where Dr. Joyce Brothers was originally from, Barry? Where? Far Rockaway. She went to Far Rock- Rockaway High School. Oh. She was a seahorse. Oh. Well, her husband, Milton Brothers, who unfortunately passed at an early age, was my doctor for a while, but I never met her. You and, said, wait a uh, minute, you said he was your proctologist? What, what was he? No, my, no, just my, my general practitioner. Oh, oh, okay, general, general. He had, a, he had an office on the Upper East Side in Manhattan. 
Well, you know, also oh, I, went who went to uh, Far Rockaway High School, uh, who was a seahorse at the same time as Joyce, uh, Dr. Joyce Brothers, uh, was Carl Icahn. His mother was a teacher there. Really? Yeah, I mean, look, yeah, I, man, the trivia is flowing fast and furiously here, Barry. Yeah, absolutely. And also you mentioned Bell Boulevard. I moved to Fort Lee after I graduated from school back in 1974. But when my building went co-op, I sold it to another place in Bayside, and I lived a block off Bell Boulevard on 215th Street, right on Lake uh, Little Neck Bay. Well, this is what you have to do, Barry. This is what you have yes. to do. And because I moved back to Fort Lee a few years later. Yeah. I, w- I was stunned uh, that Tony Orlando, without Dawn, was interviewing Bowser of Sha Na Na, who actually appeared at Woodstock, if you can believe it, that doo-wop a cappella group appeared at Woodstock. Bowser, I thought for sure, was uh, grew up in Brooklyn. It turns out he was birthed in Brooklyn, went to Martin Van Buren High School, which was an agricultural high school, the only one left in New York City, and campaigned yeah. then and now for Democrats running for local office all throughout Queens. He campaigned for Hochul running for Congress, David Webner, who couldn't chew gum and think at the same time, out there in California where he lives, hardcore Democrat, Barry and he was mm. from your neck well, of the woods. Yeah, but the funny thing is, you know, we were all Democrats years and years and years ago, but it's a different Democratic Party. I mean, uh, I guess uh, we all turned uh, in my family, uh, uh, I guess maybe about the time Reagan ran. I, I can't say. Yeah. But, uh, you know, this is not a Jack Kennedy thing. In fact, my father was at Jack Kennedy's inaugural gala <laughs> back in the uh, 60, uh, Barry, Barry, uh, you have a responsibility. You represent all former New Yorkers now. I think it's incumbent for you to bring a box of hamantashen, as if it was shiva, uh, to apartment 22H, where our mayor, Eric Adams, lives with his domestic partner, a woman who works for the Department of Education in the city of New York, who we've never seen in our lives, and give a box of hamantashen and say, how you pulled this off, I'll never know. Yeah, I don't I don't get it. I know you can have secondary residences, but if you're primary, you're not a New Yorker. So how can you run for mayor? Well, Barry, in this case, his complexion was his protection. Oh, interesting. And I'm, I'm surprised that uh, I haven't heard about it before and that they haven't made a big uh, to-do about it. They made a big to-do about Obama not having possibly been born in the United States. Oh, yeah, the birther movement, remember, led by Donald Trump. And we yeah. spoke of the SATs, right? So Chuck Schumer, uh, who was your class president when you graduated yeah. Madison, claimed yeah. to have a perfect SAT score, uh, along yeah. with Elliot Spitzer. He declared he had a perfect SAT score. I guess it's possible, you know. It's just I would imagine somebody has to miss something. Yeah, but do you know, Barry, it would be easier to get a birth certificate of you than your SAT score. It's impossible. It's like guarded at Fort Knox. So Schumer could say he had a perfect 1,600 score, 800 in English, 800 in math. Elliot Spitzer, the same thing. I actually had a combined score that was about 789. So you can you can tell how far down the list I was. Combined score of math and English was like 789 points. But I tried desperately to get the SAT information for both of them because I know they're lying. You can't get it for anybody just like you can't get a person's birth certificate. Well, all I can say with regard to your SAT scores is that apparently SATs don't uh, don't um, uh, indicate 
your intelligence because you are so brilliant. No, no, no. You see, what SAT represented to me was Saturday. That's when I had to go to, yes, Midwood High School to take the SAT test Saturday uh, in the uh, late morning. I had two number two pencils sharpened. My mom sharpened them, and she gave me two Hershey bars for energy, and I flunked Uh, the SAT both times. Flunked it both times. the, The funny thing is, again, you're mentioning something to me. You see, we moved across the line. I grew up in the Midwoods, uh, in Midwood High School area. We moved across the Avenue N, and that's why I went to uh, to Madison. But my elementary school was right across the street from Midwood High School. Now, do you realize uh, another Midwood uh, alumni of yours, although he didn't go to Midwood High School, he went to the prestigious Poly Prep right near Fort oh. Hamilton, uh, oh. was our own Sid Rosenberg. Oh, really? Really? Who is now yeah. back. He spent a week filming, filming in Hollywood, a big movie that's coming out about the Gemini Lounge, the Gemini Lounge twins that I grew up with, Joey Testa and Anthony Centaur, cold-blooded killers. Uh, and he refused to play the part of the Jewish guy, Chris Rosenberg, who was the wannabe Italian. Oh, yeah, I heard something about that recently on the radio. I, 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 I forget where or who or talking about it yeah no it was probably me troy avenue and flatlands is where the gemini lounge was it's now a holy roller church it's a black evangelical church and they used to take victims in there they used to be friends then suddenly they were a foe and they would kashogi them over 50 victims that they would carve up put into plastic bags and put in the spring creek uh fountain avenue dump that i lived right next to in canarsie and they did it over and over and over again. And Sid Rosenberg was given this great opportunity right before the Academy Awards uh, Sunday night to star in the Gemini Lounge. And he could have been anywhere. He could have been the first member, the first member of the Gemini Lounge crew, which was Chris Rosenberg. They called him Mad Dog Rosenberg. And he said, no, I won't play the Jewish guy. I always wanted to be an Italian, so I got to play an Italian guy. Oh, yeah. I guess it must have been you that was talking about it. Well... Um, when I was a kid, uh, the uh, Italian population uh, appeared to be uh, quite cool in Midwood. <laughs> That's true. But I want you to do me a favor, please, Barry, on behalf of all ex-New Yorkers. When yeah. you do run across Eric Adams, and you will, there aren't that many African-Americans who live in Fort Lee. Now they're mostly Koreans, Russians, uh, right. and older Jews, old Altakakas, Cliffside Park. Right. Uh, they're yeah. in Fort Lee. And when you see Eric Adams, it'll be him. Just say, Curtis Sleever goes, how'd you pull this one off? Yeah. Oh, let me tell you a Donald Trump story. It's funny. Um, my girlfriend of many, many years, who I met at NYU, uh, worked for the Fred Trump part-time. She lived on Ocean Parkway near where his office was. And uh, in that time, Donald was not the Donald. He was Fred Trump's son. And she went out with him two or three times. And he lived in a studio apartment on East 72nd Street and 3rd Avenue then. That was before he was the Donald. What kind of guy was he? I don't know. We never really discussed it. You know, well, it, it, I think I think if he was a creep, if he was a lech, she would have probably told you that. Yeah, I don't think so. And I'm a big fan of his. I do I do state that the way he... he uh, 
speaks on occasion can certainly be misunderstood. Well, excuse me. Hold on. We got a president who was just in Poland today who says we got to remove Vladimir Putin. Well, I mean, talk about misspeak. And the day before, he's talking to the 82nd Airborne and goes, you'll soon find out what it's like in the Ukraine. Talk about somebody who misspeaks. Well, I'm not a fan of Joe Biden, to say the least, but I can only say that Trump did everything he possibly could to make this country greater. Well, I will tell you this. Uh, I was not a Trumper, although I didn't vote for the Democrats. I voted independent. It is clear in my mind, and I think most Americans' mind, that if Donald Trump had been reelected president of the United States, Vladimir Putin would never have invaded the True. Ukraine. Never. Absolutely. I mean, I'm no expert, but I believe that, too. Well, do appreciate it, Barry, from Fort Lee, New Jersey. And remember, when you see Eric Adams, he wears now designer suits. I mean, not off the rack anymore. We're not talking men's a wholesale outlet. $4,000, $5,000 suits and always Ferragamos. When you see him and you say, are you the mayor of New York, Eric Adams? And he goes, yeah, yeah, why do you ask? Curtis Lee wants to ask you a question. How'd you pull that off, pal, by living in Fort Lee? Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, no, no, please no be on the lookout. I have no idea he was here. Apartment, no he apartment was here. 22H, apartment 22H. I know I was there. Yeah, that's his primary residence with his domestic partner that you never see him with. It's a woman who works for the Department of Education, high-ranking official, and apparently they co-own that condo, and he's there. Not as much as he used to be when he was uh, Brooklyn Borough president. But he's there. So if any of you in Fort Lee, you see him there. Look, he's readily identifiable now. You probably couldn't pick him out of a lineup when he was the Brooklyn Borough president. But now he's on the news morning, noon, and night. He's photo op Eric Adams. When you see him rolling through Fort Lee, because you got to go round and round Fort Lee. You can't make any right turns. You go round and round and round. You can never make a left to get out of the circle. Just say, hey. Courtesy of giving you a shout-out, Curtis Lee, and saying, how'd you pull that off, Eric, by living in Fort Lee? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Lewis, who's calling from Westchester, your WABC. Lewis? Yes, hi, Curtis. Uh, I believe you're looking for Frank Lowry. Yes! Wow! The Yankee killer. Yeah, you know, I got a story about that. Uh, my friends and I went to a Yankee game in 1958. Uh, uh, they were playing the Tigers with doubleheader. And Mergel Trucks and Frank Lowry shut out the Yankees. They didn't score a run that day. This guy, Lewis, I was at Yankee Stadium when he also shut out the Yankees. I think it was about 61. And that was a great year for them. He struck out Mantle. He struck out Maris. He struck out Elston Howard. He was incredible. He didn't do that well against the other teams in the American League, even those teams like uh, the Kansas City uh, Athletics that were like low, low as you could go. But, Lewis, stay on the line because uh, Carmelita, Carmelita, a phone screener, will send you the courtesy. You my name already. What is your name again? Camellia. Camellia will send you the Curtis Lewa booby prize. That is the WABC valued Curtis Lewa hat that you can style and profile in your neighborhood. And if it happens to be New York City, which is fear city now, crime city, 
when those hood hoodlums come up to you, just flash it and say, you hurt me. This guy, Curtis Lee, was going to hit you so hard, your mother will feel the vibrations. You see, you can uh, use it for a multi-purposeful method that will keep you safe and secure. Uh, for all of you uh, followers of the Foo Fighters, never a big fan of theirs. Uh, they were the me, Medjimenze, Poco Poco. But with the passing of their drummer, Taylor Hawkins, it seems to be a whole renewed interest uh, in the Foo Fighters, uh, who were at their best years ago, no doubt about it. But they're on tour with the uh, lockdown and pandemic uh, ceasing to exist uh, increasingly more and more globally. And they were in Bogota, Colombia, which is the center of Cuquina and legal prostitution. So it's interesting how the drummer Taylor Hawkins was um, in a five-star high-end hotel with the other band members in Bogota. And uh, he ended up passing away, more than likely from a drug uh, overdose. They're doing an autopsy. They found in his room, next to his body, marijuana, antidepressants, opioids, heroin, about ten, ten different substances, but apparently not Kukina, which is the uh, native drug of Colombia. And I would bet you, I would bet you that the drummer Taylor Hawkins didn't have groupies over of uh, Foo Fighters, but rather probably had some of the legal prostitutes who are everywhere. You know, if you've ever been to Colombia... They have the prostitutes uh, in brothels, but let's face it, they're out in the streets. Uh, they're able to conduct their business in their homes, uh, any place of business. It's like uh, almost a quid pro quo. you got to negotiate with them, and then there's an exchange of money. Uh, not, uh, not many pimps. They're individual entrepreneurs. Uh, a lot of the women do it to survive because it is very difficult in uh, Colombia. Uh, if you uh, have no education and you have no means. So whether it's Medellin, whether it's Cali, whether it's Bogota, I would bet you that the drummer Taylor Hawkins, uh, his demise was triggered uh, by, hey, look, a drug-fueled frenzy, but probably with a lot of prostitutes. I would, I would anticipate. I could be completely wrong. He may have just been partying on his own. But 10... Different drugs in the room? You think he was partying by himself with 10 different drugs? Marijuana, antidepressants, opioids, heroin? And I'm sure one of those 10 was Kukina. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So if any of you are sitting shiver with the hamantashen for the Foo Fighters who have lost their drummer, Taylor Hawkins, feel free to explain your love of the Foo Fighters. Because for me, I didn't dislike the Foo Fighters, but I really wasn't into that grunge rock scene. They came out of Seattle like uh, Starbucks. Uh, You know, it's like uh, El el Grande Latte. And then, by the way, you can get get your fix of... uh, Although, fix wouldn't be the appropriate uh, word now that we're talking about the demise of the drummer of the Foo Fighters, Taylor Hawkins, due to a drug overdose. Uh, But you could get your uh, listening uh, of Grunge Rock. In fact, 
There is a situation that today has not yet been resolved. And I never believed the original narrative. Remember how grunge rock first all came about? Remember out of Seattle? Years and years and years. It seemed like generation ago, right? It hit us right between our medulla and cerebellum. It took the nation and the world by storm. And the leader of grunge rock was clearly Kurt Cobain of Nirvana. This is a good song. Wait a second. We're going to reach the climax zone. Hold on, Dizzy Izzy. And then all of a sudden, we were told, you know how we have the breaking news sounder here, breaking news, breaking news all over the globe, that the founder of Nirvana, the key member of the Baron uh, Nirvana, had taken a shotgun, put it underneath his chin, and blasted himself into the hereafter, committing suicide. Did you ever believe that Kurt Cole? Committed suicide, ladies and gentlemen. You know, as Frank Morano does in the other side of midnight, you know, the mysteries that have never been answered. Do you really think, and you're going to trust the Seattle Police Department? Get out of here. Who is that? Uh, remember Frasier? That's like my wife, uh, Nancy's one of her favorite programs. Frasier, uh, his brother, the two nerds, the two intellects, and their father, remember a detective uh, for the Seattle Police Department, you think that they would have ever been able to solve who it was that killed Kurt Cobain of Nirvana, and you really believe that he committed suicide? I have a very strong feeling I know who whacked Kurt Cobain. But I'm leaving it to all of you, and the reason I mention Nirvana with uh, Foo Fighters is, if memory serves me correct, their drummer, Nirvana's drummer, David Grohl was originally with Nirvana, and then when Kurt Cobain supposedly executed himself with a shotgun, I don't believe that, ended up becoming an integral member of Foo Fighters. So am I correct about that, that linkage? Now, remember, I'm not Mr. Grunge Rocker, and I'm sure Tony Orlando without Dawn was not Mr. Grunge Rocker, and I sure know that Cousin Brucey was not Mr. Grunge Rocker. But am I correct? In feeling that the mystery of how Kurt Cobain, the man who created grunge rock in that uh, garage in Seattle, that, in fact, he didn't kill himself. We know who killed him, don't we? 1-800-848-9222. At least we have our um, 
We have our beliefs as to who it is that really pulled that trigger. 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. And the other interesting thing about Columbia, think back, think back, think back. Let let me put you on a time machine. I say take you back and back. I think it was about 2014 or 2012, somewhere in that area. Our president at the time, Barack Obama, was going to a huge uh, uh, government summit in Cartagena, Colombia. I think they were uh, visiting nations from all over the world. I forget what it was. It had nothing to do with crackdown against cocaine, uh, but it was a world summit. And in advance, whenever the president goes anywhere, just like the president uh, who went to Poland uh, to... uh, Slip up two days in a row, Joe Biden, uh, the day before while eating pizza with the 82nd to Airborne, then spoke to all of them and said, you know, you'll see soon find out what it's like in the Ukraine. I was like, what? Are you sending the troops in? No, he misspoke. And then earlier today, outside of the palace in Warsaw, with all the other NATO leaders, uh, he said, you know, it's time that Putin's got to go. What, 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 regime change? You're going to try to get Putin out of office in Moscow? And then the White House had to walk that one back. He said, no, no, he didn't mean that. He misspoke. My God, this guy misspeaks a lot. But uh, you better believe that hundreds of Secret Service uh, members were over in Warsaw before President Joe Biden went there on Air Force One preparing the way, the advance team. And I'll never forget that story that came out of Cartagena, Colombia, that we had dozens of Secret Service agents, and as soon as they were off duty, they were soliciting sex from prostitutes because it's legal there. Dozens of them. And all of a sudden, uh, apparently there was one Secret Service agent who objected to the negotiated price after the services were rendered. And there was a dispute over the payment. Apparently, he had negotiated along with the um, the concubine, an $800 price to be taken around the world in 80 seconds or more, depending on whatever his uh, ability to withhold was. And when he woke up in the morning, as did the prostitute, she said, okay, it's time for me to get paid. And he said, I ain't paying you 800 bucks. And so she went to the newspapers. Aha! And she exposed how all these Secret Service agents, when they would come to Colombia, were having sex with prostitutes, pay for play. And do you know who investigated this whole sordid affair? Our own Congressman Peter King, who is a contributor here at WABC. Yes, it was Peter King from Long Island, whose committee immediately said, we are going to investigate this. How dare those Secret Service agents be copulating and fornicating while there are to basically set up a safe visit for visiting uh, American dignitary, president, vice president, whomever. Hundreds get sent. Can you imagine? The hookers in these countries must wait, you know, on the tarmac for the Secret Service to get there. <laughs> because, man, that's that's getting paid. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And speaking uh, of the Secret Service... Having sex with prostitutes in Colombia, where, again, prostitution is legal. What infamous individual, this is another trivia question. You know, Frank Morano says, trivia questions never lead to further discussion. He couldn't be 
more hopelessly wrong because this one will tantalize you and titillate you simultaneously. What man has been seen running around the streets of Jersey City wearing a throwback St. Peter's basketball jersey? Uh, 5X. As he runs around because he's got a flat bottom. Although he wears those Armani suits. He now claims he's the big supporter of St. Peter's that has made its way into the final 16. And yet this man... This is a man who also went to a country where prostitution is legal. And then there was a YouTube video that mysteriously disappeared after those prostitutes, those concubines, in Spanish said, this guy was a cheapskate. He didn't even tip us with any pesos, never mind American dollars. Who am I speaking of? He has been seen in Jersey City, right down there near Exchange Place, up near Columbus Way, oh yes, oh yes, uh, running around with a St. Peter's jersey as if all of a sudden he was the number one fan of St. Peter's college basketball team who has won their way into the uh, Sweet 16. 1-800-848-9222, that's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Marie, who's calling from Forest Hills. Uh, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Marie. Yes, hello, happy birthday to you, Curtis. I hope you had a good one, and I'm not going to dwell on that. No, 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 actually, I had a very good one all day until I came here, and Dizzy Izzy, our board operator, decided to play uh, Curtis Jackson, a.k.a. 50 Cent, uh, uh, Welcome to the Club, in the Club, which is a birthday song. He is my nemesis. He is my enemy. I've had to live with the nightmare of of Curtis Jackson, a.k.a. 50 Cent, pulsating in my mind. He, he culturally appropriated my name. I was Curtis first. I got shot five times. He says he's more of a man than me because he got shot eight times and survived. You understand why I'm uh, a bit upset here, Marie? Oh, I can understand. But you have Camelia there. Of Camelia, she's a great lady. Oh, Camelia, I, I can never get her name right. Never, you know, Camelia. You, know, you can remember Curtis, La Traviata. You forgot my name Camille. already. It's Camelia. It's Camelia. That's right. And Dizzy Izzy like here on the board. It's Dizzy. I'm telling you. But you know, it's interesting. Did say yes, Frank Lowry, who was the Yankee killer. I remember yes. my dad used yes. to speak of him. Yes. But you know, there was there was another lightweight boxer who was very young now. I think he was born like in the middle '80s. Called the Hebrew Hammer, yeah. Cletus Selden. I never heard of him. He was born, I think, on nine eleven, like eighty five, eighty six, around there. But he was also now known as as the Hebrew Hammer. Yes, you are correct. I actually saw him in a fight. Did you? Oh my God! He was against oh. uh, the champion of Puerto Rico. Oh, Puerto Rico! A my. great, a really great fight. A tattooed up wow. from the tip of his nose to the tip of his toes. Unfortunately, this young—he's an Orthodox Jew, I believe—had uh, yep. yep. a damaged yep. right leg, so he had to drag Ooh. his leg around. He wouldn't uh, do a, a Roberto Duran, no mas, no mas. Whoa. He tried to fight the guy, but obviously, when you have I a leg injury. Did. Like that, it's it's almost impossible. Yeah, he was the Hebrew hammer. I think he had, like, blonde hair, blue eyes. <laughs> yeah, I think he was an odd-looking, you know, for someone that you think would be would be in the ring like that. But, you know, Cousin Brucey, I remember Cousin Brucey. I had scoliosis as a child, and we're going back multi-anifa. He came to the hospital surgery, 
And he did such a wonderful outreach to us kids. And he brought his boom box, and he was playing a lot of doo-wop at the time. But let me ask you, Curtis, didn't he also, wasn't Cousin Brucey the one who introduced the Beatles at Shea Stadium? Why do I think of that? Maybe yes, I'm well, there are, there are many. In fact, there is yeah. an ongoing yeah. battle. Uh, let me tell you what that battle was. Now, if you were like me, who yeah. uh, really didn't listen to WABC when they were spinning stacks of wax top 40, it was the number one uh, uh, music station in the nation. I right, listened right. to WINS, Murray the K, the swinging yes. soiree. Yes, Murray yes. the K, he claims at WINS, he introduced the Beatles. Oh, how interesting. Yeah. And yet, our own Bruce Morrow, a.k.a. Cousin Brucey. Brucey, yeah. He introduced, obviously, the Beatles when they appeared at Shea Stadium. Yeah, exactly. But, but it's always, now remember, originally, Cousin Brucey was at WINS. Right, that's right, that's right. That was his original home. So that competition yeah. burned indeed. fiercely. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Oh, I'm very glad that you had celebrated a good birthday. That's great. Well, it was good. It was good up until yeah. the time uh, that Dizzy Izzy and uh, Carmelo Carmelita are phone screening. Curtis, you forgot my name already. It's Camelia. Uh, Camelia. I love it. That's so funny. But that's like, that's what I've got. I've got to tell you. i got to tell you. You play the best stuff. Curtis, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Interesting Thank you. information about our present mayor yes. being in Jersey. Oh wait, wait, we got we got Good goodies. We got we got yeah, goodies we, in yeah. my Eric Adams yeah. photo op uh, bag. He is Mr. Photo Op Eric Indeed. Adams. He was in he was in Brownsville today. Never ran, never will. Right by where I grew up, and he had nothing to say to the local folks for that three year old uh, who was shot uh, as a we're leaving uh, the child care establishment. Oh my gosh, it was very gut wrenching to listen to the uh, the commander who the um, the police officer who made the announcement, and then some reporter was like saying to him, well, I can see that you're extremely emotional, you know, giving this report. Yeah, well, let me tell you something, uh, Marie. Oh, uh, forget the crocodile tears and the, the fake you. emotions. It's time for stop and frisk. Stop yes. and frisk. We'll get the yes. guns off the street. Knock Absolutely. all this stuff off. Oh, I'm going to have Absolutely. uniforms out there with undercover cops, but they're really not undercover. No. They're not playing close. Let's get busy. I know how to get guns out of thugs' uh, hands, and you got to do stop and frisk, and they can get all mad and riled up, and the police can act like, oh, yeah, we're really going to make a difference. Crime is higher now than at any point during the inept, the cop haters, eight years as mayor, Bill de Blasio, even after he defunded the police by a billion dollars. It's worse now under so-called Mr. Law and Order, Mayor Eric Adams who said he was going to impose stop and frisk in selected situations. And his brand new commissioner, Sewell from Nassau County, who is not ready for prime time, has said there will not be any stop and frisk. Well, you're not going to get the guns off the street. Lady, you're not going to get the guns off the street. You know, my dad was a police officer, God rest his soul, um, back in, in, he was in the 7-9 precinct at a really rough time. And he was a great, great cop. He was a fabulous cop. And uh, but he yeah, he he loved Giuliani and uh, he really has. He knew what what he was doing and he worked with. Why put a target on these officers? It's heartbreaking. Well, you see, that that, that's part of the problem, Marie. Uh, The brass. 
can get all big and bad and they can hold press conference in which they threaten thugs and thugettes, but they don't have the morale of the police department behind them. The average men and women in blue uniforms, not the white shirts, because they all have immunity. Oh, yeah, whether you're black, white, Hispanic, Asian, male, female, transgender, whatever it is, if you're in a white shirt, you have immunity. When you're a blue shirt and you got to bust your shoes out there on patrol, you get no backup whatsoever. So they can hold all the press conferences they want. I'm in an outrage. This is never going to happen. Well, it's happening every day. And you promised you would do stop and frisk against gangbangers. You promised, and he's not doing it. Like a lot of things he promised. And as a result, he has a higher crime rate than ever existed in the eight years of Bill de Blasio. Who ever thought that? That's all people would say when I was out in Bayside today at the annual St. Patrick's Day Parade. I can't believe the crime is up even in Bayside. And by the way, we're going to talk about it later on. What the hell is this? Kyrie Irving, Aaron Judge, they don't have to be vaccinated. But all this, the brave civil servants who were heroes, then made zeros, they get fired. No unemployment, no future job prospects. They're not being get back on the job with full pay. They're basically told, F you. Because we're all about helping the millionaire ball players, not the average everyday civil servants who saved our city. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Chris in the Catskills. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Chris. Hey, Curtis. Yes, Chris. Hey, sorry about that. Um <clears throat> Taylor Hawkins had a drug problem before. He was in rehab, uh, I think, six, seven years ago. He just had a film with Alanis Morissette. Alanis Morissette gave him his first break in rock and roll. She chose him as her drummer on the album that was the number two selling album of the 1990s. They went on world tour for a year and a half. And it was a documentary film made about that world tour. And it came out six months ago. And he had a very prominent role in that film. You know, and a lot of time, um, people that are entertainers and musicians, they have difficulty dealing with success. I know the Foo Fighters just did a horror film, too, that I believe they wrote uh, that was even more recent. But Dave Grohl is considered one of the best drummers in rock and roll by some people. It would be amazing if he got behind the kit like Levon Helm or the old school Phil Collins and, and still sang lead. Uh, they got enough new guitar players. They've added the last few years. They could pull it off. Now I'm going to pop some trivia on you. Phil Collins, as you mentioned, great band uh, member, great drummer, great singer. Uh, His daughter actually joined the guardian angels in Vancouver, British Columbia, back in the late eighties with his permission, with his permission. I love Phil Collins. Oh, he's great. Absolutely great. Imagine to be able to play the drums, sing, and lead the band. Normally, drummers are not the band leaders, as you know. It's usually the guys who rock the guitar. Curtis, I wanted to bring up something, too, that you should talk about with your voters out there. Um, You're familiar with the Democratic Socialist Association in New York State? Sure. Uh, basically, the titular head now is AOC, all out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, leader of the Democratic Socialists of America and the Justice Warriors. So right now there's 11 assembly seats, and one of them includes my area that just got changed after the census. And so uh, 
he, he's getting challenged by a socialist. And uh, he was always a strong, strong progressive. Guy's been in there over 25 years. It's, it's crazy. Now you have the, the elitists. You have the elitist progressives that are afraid of the socialists, and they're, they're battling with one another. And I'm a policy wonk Democrat that's on the conservative side, and I'm sitting back watching it go on and try and have my own influences. It's, uh, so any voters out there, make sure you pay attention to who you vote for. And if you don't usually vote in a Democratic primary, make sure you get out and vote this year. Well, I will tell you this, Chris. It's interesting that the squad which is comprised of the four female members in the House who uh, I don't know if they all claim to be members of the Democratic Socialists of America's, but obviously AOC is. And then there's Ilhan Omar, uh, the Somalian woman who represents uh, the district in North Minneapolis. And then you have uh, the Palestinian-American who represents the district in Dearborn, Michigan, in parts of Detroit. Her name escapes me momentarily. And then there is the African-American woman who represents uh, uh, part of Massachusetts near Springfield. They're they're the four members of the squad. They're having battles about how they react to uh, uh, Zelensky and the Ukraine repelling the uh, invasion of Vladimir Putin. It's interesting how they're finding it very difficult, uh, all of them, to uh, back Zelensky. Wow, you'd say to yourself, well... Little internal dispute, but it's not going to stop the Democratic Socialists of America. Actually, the uh, inspiration for it all is Bernie the Altacaca Sanders, graduate of Madison High School, former Brooklynite, went up to Vermont with Ben and Jerry, and you know the rest of the story. First became the mayor of Burlington, never as a Democrat, as an independent, then as a congressman. There's only one congressman in all in Vermont. I met him at the University of Vermont when I gave a lecture there, spent an hour talking with him, two Brooklyn guys discussing all kinds of issues, and then went on to become one of the two U.S. senators, with Patrick Leahy being the other one. I mean, let's face it, these guys are ready for the mausoleum. I think they're both in their 80s. I can never figure it out how you could have one congressperson in a state and yet be entitled to have two U.S. senators. It's mind-boggling. 1-800-848-9222. one 848 and remember what Bernie the Altacaca Sanders said in this uh, most recent Democratic primary that produced the winner, Joe Biden, that uh, the person who is going to eventually take my torch in leading the Democratic Socialists of America. And remember, Bernie the Altacaca Sanders was never a Democrat. He's not a Democrat now. They've allowed him into the party apparatus. Uh, Hillary Rodham Clinton did when she ran in 2016 because she wanted more primary challenges. Never uh, in the light of day thought that he would ever be a challenger to her. Uh, (laughs) Democrats let the fox into their chicken coop. And now you know the rest of the story. But Bernie, the Altacaca Sanders, uh, in the last go-round in the Democratic primary, AOC, all-out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, leader of the Democratic Socialists of America and the Justice Warriors, would warm up the crowds before Bernie would come out. He said she is the future of the DSA. In this next presidential election cycle, she will be old enough to run for president. I have a very strong inclination that you'll see her announcing, uh, probably after the midterm elections, that she is going to seek running for the Democratic nomination to replace 
Joe Biden, who needs to be replaced after this tour out in Poland. My God. You talk about a guy who misspeaks. Before the 82nd uh, Airborne, he's having pizza. He's joined down with the guys and gals. That was good. Then he speaks to a small group of them and says, soon you'll see what it's like in the Ukraine. And everybody goes, what the, what the hell are you talking about? Are you sending U.S. troops into the Ukraine? No, no, he misspoke. And then earlier today outside of the palace in Warsaw, he was saying, it's time for us to change uh, Vladimir Putin. That means uh, regime change. What? Get this guy out of here. Although Vice President Harris, she'd be laughing. (laughs) She laughs at the most inappropriate times. This is what we're stuck with. 1-800-848-9222. What is this, food fighters? My hero? I'd rather hear Mariah Carey than food fighters. Oh, please. We have to play this because the uh, drummer... Taylor Hawkins OD'd on what supposedly was potentially 10 different substances found in his hotel room, top shelf, five-star hotel in Bogota, where the Foo Fighters were doing a concert. Marijuana, antidepressants, opioids, heroin. Had to be Coquina, it's Colombia. And where were the prostitutes? Because I know damn well he wasn't partying by himself. And prostitution in Colombia is legal at all different levels. It's right out there in your face. It's in the streets. It's in the hotel lobbies. It's in the bars. It's They even have, uh, in their homes, they'll sit in the window and have a red light on. Had to have been. Uh, I predict we'll find that out. But this is what happens when you uh, walk that dangerous line of ingesting all of those drugs and partying until the break of dawn. In this case, he never saw the break of dawn. So now people are sitting shiver for Taylor Hawkins. Look, I never disliked the Foo Fighters, never liked them, but their predecessor, oh, uh, let me tell you, Nirvana. Got to tell you, I still, and there's nobody out there who has answered my question about Nirvana because they're the ones who started grunge rock in Seattle. Where they had their uh, Latte Grande from Starbucks. Kurt Cobain then supposedly took a shotgun and blew himself away. Come on, you buy that crap? There's no way. I have a feeling. You think it might have been his wife, Courtney Love? Mm, She's a bit of a freaky deaky woman. I don't know. I'm just suggesting it. I have no forensic evidence that would in any way, shape, or form tie Courtney Love to the suicide death of Kurt Colvain of Nirvana. But every time I've seen Courtney Love, man, is she freaky deaky. I'll leave it at that. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go, if we can, all the way to Shelly calling from uh, Gulf Shores, Alabama. Uh, welcome. Uh, welcome once again, Shelly. Oh, happy birthday. And you know what? I'm an Aries, too. My birthday is April 7th. Now, you do know that Aries uh, go over a wall, under a wall, around the wall. No, they go right through the wall. <laughs> 
Yes, we are majorly do that. I'm going to play the song for you. Hold on. Hold on. Listen, can you hear it? I hope. Shelly's trying to uh, imitate uh, Cousin Brucey spinning stacks of wax there or Tony Orlando without Dawn. See, that's what happens when we relegate it to the ten- Ted Mac amateur hour status. You know, they can't get the turntable going simultaneously. Can't hear it out of the speakers and woofers. Uh, JV. Shelly's JV. Originally from Delaware. Remember, she is from Joe Biden land and decided to go south. Go south to Alabama. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Al in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Al. Hey, Curtis. Your earlier uh, caller mentioned living in Fort Lee, New Jersey, along with uh, New York's mayor. And I'd just like to add that the gangster Albert Anastasia lived in Fort Lee, and Buddy Hackett bought the house from his heirs. And the mobster Willie Moretti was whacked in a place called Joe's Elbow Room across the street from the old Palisade Amusement Park in Fort Lee. But I'm sure you know all about this. No, 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 no. Let's let's take it. Let's bifurcate it. So first, Albert Anastasia, head of Murder Incorporated. Correct. Actually had a residence in Fort Lee, New Jersey. Beautiful, big residence with plenty of bodyguards. Now, you see, I did not know that. <laughs> I thought he was from Brooklyn because, you know, he controlled the docks. Uh, his, his family uh, also related uh, uh, down the line with the Scotto family. Uh, the uh, patriarch of that family became the head of the union there after uh, Anastasia. Uh, so uh, I know there's lineage in Brooklyn right along the docks. I could have swore he... Well, he probably had a secondary residence uh, uh, on the uh, along the dock areas there. Probably, uh, I would say, mm, Red Hook, that area. But I, I stand to be corrected on that, Alvy. It was a house that looked like the old Corleone mansion? It was a house that was uh, obviously a small castle type of thing, as you pointed out, with plenty of protection. Now, do you uh, uh, remember when... Uh, uh, Albert Anastasia met his demise? Sure. And uh, under what circumstances, Al? Can you relate that to our audience that is uh, that is waiting for every precious word to drip from your lips? Correct me if I am wrong, because maybe it was another gangster who got whacked in the barbershop. No, you're absolutely uh, correct. I think it was the... Uh, no, it wasn't the Sheraton. It was, anyway, it was the, right there in Midtown. Yeah, he was getting a, a shave and a haircut in a barber shop. The barber stepped aside and they blew him away. That's right. That was Joey Gallo and his crew. They wow. came in there from Carroll Gardens and they whacked Albert Anastasia, the head of Murder Incorporated, that famous picture in which he had that 10 cent long uh, Frank Morano cigar sticking out of the towel that was around his head right before the barber was going to give him a shave. Right. I think it was the Sheraton. I, I stand to be corrected on that. And then the flip side of that, uh, in the shadow of Palisades Park, swings all day and after dark. I remember my older sister, Alita, couldn't wait to go see Bobby Rydell coming in from Philadelphia. It had the world's largest saltwater pool. It was magnificent. Cousin, it, cousin Brucey was hosting shows there. That's correct. And our yeah. own uh, John Cancer 
who uh, love Palisades Park will be taking the bus over the George Washington Bridge to go there. Wow. What a wonderful era. Now, who was it that ended up getting whacked across the street from Palisades Park, swings all day and after dark? Right. It was a mobster named Willie Moretti, and uh, he was in a place called Joe's Elbow Room and uh, having a a few brew with his crew, and uh, they came in. uh, uh, I don't know who came in, but uh, definitely his competition came in and whacked him and his crew right there in Joe's Elbow Room. Now, I'm trying to remember there was a place, a joint right there in Palisades Park, that was frequented by uh, Frank Sinatra, who had actually uh, performed there. Uh, I'm sure that Joe Piscopo, who's on uh, from 6 to 8 in a few hours, uh, might be able to relate. And also, I'm going to play a song later on in the show that I'm surprised in the many Joe uh, Piscopo, uh, Ramsey Subaru, two-hour Frank Sinatra spectaculars. He's never played the Frank Sinatra song about Tijuana. No, that sounds dynamite. Yeah, uh, now, now, imagine, it's left to me, I'm no Frank Sinatra fan, to play this song. Joe Piscoe's probably played every song that Frank Sinatra has ever uh, sang since he sang at the uh, confirmation party in Hoboken when he was just <laughs> a little a little uh, one yawn, and yet he never played this song about Tijuana. I was on the road with Frank as one of his publicity guys. And uh, I worked for a place called Rogers and Cowan in L.A., and they were his PR people. And the one thing about Frank that I learned very quickly is that you always had, no matter what you said, it was, yes, Frank, whatever you say, Frank. And that's the kind of guy he was. (laughs) Well, I want you to listen to this, Al. Uh, In fact... I discovered this Frank Sinatra song not while listening to Al Pisca, excuse me, Joe Piscopo, or even Mark Simone, who did uh, Sinatra before that at WABC years ago, but rather in watching The Simpsons. Listen to this, Al. Well, I'm going to make it all up to you. You kids, the time of your life. Get ready for two weeks at the happiest place on earth. Tijuana! South of the border, down Mexico way, that's where I fell in love, when stars above came out to play, and now as I wander, my thoughts ever stray, south of the border, down Mexico way. Was a picture in old Spanish lace. How do you like that, Al? Major, that was the that was the comeback record on Capitol for Frank. He had never uh, done a recording for Capitol that uh, was going to be a hit, but that one he worked at Capitol. Maybe did about one cut on something before he met Nelson Riddle. And uh, they said, oh, Nelson's going to do this song south of the border with you. And whatever happened, I I know Nelson's son very well. Uh, Nelson couldn't make the date, and Billy May did it. And Billy May arranged south of the border. That song that you just played, Curtis, 
was a hit was Frank's stepping stone back into uh, being uh, the hit maker at Capital that he was. Isn't it amazing that I have to bring this to everyone's attention from having watched it on The Simpsons? <laughs> yeah, right. That's amazing. I am going to have to shame Joe Piscopo. Let's face it, Joe Piscopo knows as much about Frank Sinatra as any human being alive. He's done the Sinatra shows again and again. It's great every Sunday night from 6 to 8. I am going to demand tomorrow when Joe Piscopo comes into these studios, because I'm on after him at 9 o'clock, that he plays the Frank Sinatra Tijuana song. Definitely. By the way, um, uh, what caused you to become such an aficionado, such a uh, person working uh, in league with Frank Sinatra at that time? What happened was um, I was working for Bob Hope, and um, Bob at the time had a contract with NBC, and they insisted on um, putting, let's say, the PR person, publicity person, um, team on their staff working with Bob and I temporarily had to find work and Bob picked up a phone called Frank and that's how I got the job. Wow. And how did, uh, what was the chemistry like? Cause we've heard over the years, in fact, uh, Joe Piscopo has alluded to this, that Frank, uh, would definitely bond with some, but then instantly reject others. Yeah, um, you know, that was during Frank's uh, era of going to Joey's on the west side of Manhattan. And um, it was amazing that um, he had this, uh, I, I guess you must call it a, a, um, a complex of uh, instantaneous um, rapport with people. And um, all of a sudden, he would think that somebody was not uh, loyal to him, and that was his insecurity. I guess it came down from being a, a Hoboken punk once. I don't know. <laughs> what was it about that era? You had Frank Sinatra, who uh, uh, had these sort of ex eccentricities, so to speak. It's like he'd be warm and fuzzy one minute and then very cold and reserved another minute. Uh, Joe DiMaggio, one of the greatest uh, athletes of all time, was just not friendly at all to the general public. He was like uh, Stoneface. Mickey Mantle was my hero. Uh, remember the many times I would meet him uh, at his uh, restaurant uh, right there on Central Park South. Park South. I couldn't be a bigger jerk in the world. Uh, and then Willie Mays, who I saw up in, of all places, Riverdale, not far from where he lived. He actually lived in Riverdale well after he had played for the New York Giants and then went out to San Francisco to play with them there. Continued to have a residence in Riverdale. And yet, I mean, the guy, just a nasty attitude. And I'm saying to myself, these guys were like superstars. It, there's nothing comparable nowadays because... It, you know, the landscape is filled with so many stars, uh, real or imagined. Like, we're going to see the Academy Awards. It doesn't have the cachet uh, tomorrow night. I mean, in a few hours like it's had in the past. What do you think it was um, about these men who had achieved beyond the wildest dreams of other human beings on this globe and yet at times seemed to be so miserable, so angry? I think in Frank's case, 
uh, I knew his mother, Dolly Sinatra. And um, I was once at the Italian-American Anti-Defamation League uh, event at Madison Square Garden. And uh, I was sitting with Dolly and with uh, Frank's father, Marty. And um, I remember Frank coming over and he says, she says, I want to meet Dean Martin. And Frank was the kind of guy who said, Ma, I'm a bigger star than Dean Martin. <laughs> he says, I know, but I want I want to meet Dean. He sings in Italian. <laughs> <laughs> and you're right, Polare played yeah. in our household. And I yeah. said to my mother, Francesca, because she loved Perry Como with the sweaters, but I said, which Italian guy sings that? And she said, oh, you know, that's Dean Martin. I said, Dean Martin sings Volare. <laughs> and I said, well, where's he from? Which part of Italy? She said, I don't know. He's from Ohio. His real name was Dino Corchetti from Ohio. You're right, right. right. Yeah, same, same location as Jimmy the Greek came out of. Yeah. And I say to myself, you're kidding, this guy. And he sung other Italian tunes, too. You would never know that he was not uh, from Italy. All done for his mother, Angela. His mother, Angela, wanted him to sing a few Italian songs. But uh, Dean, uh, he, he spoke to Lee Gillette, who was his producer at Capitol. And Lee found these songs. And uh, next thing you knew... Uh, Dean was singing like a hit after hit that was Italian uh, um, with only a chorus in Italian, of course. But but hit after hit, he made an amazing number of records like that. Now, Al, take us back to that scene you described. The Italian-American Civil Rights League had a gathering in Madison Square Garden. Frank Sinatra was in attendance, his mother, his father. The place was packed. Was that hosted by Joe Colombo? Uh, I could tell you this right now. I went back to Julie's afterward, Julie's uh, saloon over on East uh, West 54th, and I went in there, and I was amazed to find uh, a number of gangsters in there, but I was also amazed to find a lady who was uh, married to John F. Kennedy, Jacqueline Kennedy, and her wealthy a uh, Greek husband, who was probably the wealthiest guy in the world at the time, and uh, assorted people that you wouldn't believe. There were gangsters in there. I can't remember too many of that era right now that were in that evening, although I know a lot about gangsters in New York. But um, I could tell you right now, around that piano bar where... Bobby Cole was uh, playing piano. Uh, Chico Randall, Frankie Randall was uh, doing uh, alternating with Bobby. And I remember them playing all the favorite songs of uh, Jackie O and, uh, and of course, Aristotle Onassis. And what a great evening. What a fantastic evening. I wish I could have recorded on video, which we didn't do in those days, that kind of evening. Well, that was a highlight evening. Uh, I know we had a conversation before where I bounced off of you as to whether Johnny Carson got roughed up uh, oh, yeah. because uh, Frank Sinatra had taken umbrage uh, to apparently, I guess, a slight or a diss or maybe even Johnny flirting with one of his lady friends. Okay, here's the deal. 
Johnny Dio, who was uh, then, as you know, a gangster, a famous gangster, his girlfriend was the hat check girl at um, at Joey's. And uh, Johnny Carson came in with Ed McMahon, and Johnny Carson walked over to her, checked his coat, but then he patted her on the uh, behind and uh, he walked over to the bar, and uh, she must have called Johnny Dio and said, hey, this guy who has the Tonight Show, he was fresh and patted me on the ass or something. And next thing you know is Johnny Dio walks into Joey's, and with that, the bartenders, they knew who he was. They all ducked out of the way to to another part of the restaurant. And uh, Ed McMahon was standing at the bar, and Johnny Dio came up, and he said, Hey, you, Goomba, downstairs. And there was a men's room downstairs. And all we know is that uh, uh, Johnny Dio went downstairs with Johnny Carson, and Johnny came back with a bruise on his face. And we all know that uh, it happened that uh, that was the end of The Tonight Show coming out of New York, and Johnny moved the show to L.A., and everybody feels that the underlying reason had to do with what occurred that night. That would make a lot of sense. A guy coming out of Nebraska, outside of Omaha, he's he's not used to anything like that. Right. It was a beautiful era, and, you know, you're you're great, Curtis, to uh, be the historian of all this stuff because uh, there's not anybody else on the air who has the kind of broad knowledge and uh, appreciation of um, this is American history. This is truly American history, and and you have a, a a great appreciation of American popular history and American history as well. And I just want to salute you and say, keep up all the good stuff, kiddo. Well, thank you, Al, and uh, continue on the Jersey side to be vigilant for Eric Adams. <laughs> you got it, baby. Who continues to reside in apartment. 22 age. Thank you. Thank you, Al. I love it. Thank you. God Thank bless, you. kiddo. <laughs> uh, a lot of this is its not from reading. It's just from personal observations as a child. I grew up in uh, 1954, so even by 59, I was cognizant of things going on. I was five years old. I was riding the subways on my own. Back then, you could do that. I, I know it's like unfathomable to some people. You'd be riding the subways on your own. Yeah, nah, it got a little dicey depending on what neighborhoods you were riding through. And a group of uh, young toughs would get on, whether they were Italian or black or Hispanics, almost never Jewish. You know, kids were always going to school, library, whatever. Occasionally a few oddballs. Uh, but for the most part, nobody bothered you. Now look at it. What a hot mess. Look at look at that story. The three-year-old who was shot coming on a child can on Amboy Street in Brownsville, not far from where I lived, on Osborne, right there, Osborne off of uh, New Lutz and Hegeman. And everybody was out there complaining, moaning, and groaning. I saw... Mayor Eric Adams said, I saw a police press said in, 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 in a full outrage, full outrage, because knowing Brownsville like the back of my hand, I know the gangbangers there, they got to be stopped and frisked. 
They come out of the Linden Projects. They come out of all those areas. They're, they're, they're slinging guns. They're trying to settle scores. They're not hiding the guns in their homes, in their apartments, under their mattresses. They're carrying it brazenly and boldly, and they fear no retribution and no consequences. And so here it was, Eric Adams was out there, and he had a, another photo up. And one of his uh, deputy police commissioners, this white guy, he was in all of rage. And I'm like, he can knock it off. Come on. Let the cops do their job. Let them do stop and frisk against gangbangers. And you're going to reduce the violence in the street noticeably. And then they had the violence interrupters out there. Now, violence interrupters are supposedly former gang members who've done time in jail and a reform. The problem is they'll tell you straight up. If you get a lead on a shooting or a murder, do you turn the information over to the 75th Precinct uh, in East New York or the 73rd Precinct in Brownsville? They said, no, 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 snitches get stitches and end up in ditches. Uh, We don't drop dime on anyone to the police. So what, what the hell are they? How are they interrupting violence? How are they preventing violence? Obviously, it's not working because violence continues to go up, up, up in the streets of the five boroughs. Amazingly, more than we even had in the eight years of the Compahena mayor, Bill de Blasio. Uh, bake sale? Really? What, Hamantashen? Chocolate cake? Or bacon? Bacon those blunts and those splits and that herb. It's Wiz Khalifa, another one of these Herkimer jerk, degenerate monsters who's rolling in dough like there's no tomorrow. Talking about smoking those splits, those joints, those bones, any chance they can get to inhale that reefer, whether it is through a primary form of inhaling, to getting shotgun. No, 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 not with a Winchester. No, no, no. Uh, somebody else smoking and then blowing that smoke right into their nostrils. They just want to get high as a kite. And it's interesting uh, to the tune of uh, the degenerate Wiz Khalifa. You know, one of the new flavors uh, of the rap world. That's the guy, remember, down at the Astrodome? Drake. Uh, Out of sight, out of mind. Lots of lawsuits. There'll be settlements. But it brings us to a situation here at WABC. It is amazing that Greg Kelly... The son of Ray Kelly, longest-serving police commissioner in the history of New York, who served honorably in Iraq as part of the no-fly zone, lieutenant colonel of the United States Marine Corps, Greg Kelly, now featured on Newsmax 7 o'clock at night, but also here at WABC Monday through Fridays from 1 to 3. you got to listen to his program. It's really a stream of consciousness uh, he has attention deficit disorder, which is great for talk radio, and he digresses a lot. And he'll move in three different directions at the same time. But if he has one obsession, and you hear it in the recent promo, he hates marijuana. And he didn't take well, if you remember, to one of the initial appearances when Eric Adams became mayor of the city of New York. He had beaten me in the general election, and then he was invited uh, onto the Ed Sullivan stage of the Stephen Colbert show on CBS. And he was having a few belly laughs about uh, 
given a nickel or dime bag and some bamboo rolling paper to Stephen Colbert. But first of all, uh, a couple of things in here. Blanket. If you go to Times Square and you want to wrap up with your, bu- your, bu- your boo, you could do it with your blanket. I'll take this. Thank you. <laughs> One of my best gifts, as you know, marijuana is legal. I have raw. I did not know. I have raw. I am not aware, Mr. Mayor. I'm not into that scene. I have bamboo. Oh, you know, big. And I can't give you this gift. I give it to you later. You know. (laughs) 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 And the 25th anniversary of Chicago. For all of you in the audience, we have free tickets for all of you to see Chicago. We're loving it. Wow. Everybody gets tickets. Everybody, Everybody gets a ticket. And eventually, uh, Mayor Eric Adams went out to Chicago himself, not the musical. But as you know, what, a uh, week and a half? No, actually, uh, towards last weekend when he he met with Mayor Lightfoot, a.k.a. Lightweight, to discuss crime-fighting techniques with the worst mayor in the uh, in America that you'd want to sit with to discuss crime-fighting techniques. It's the crime capital of America, the gang capital of America, the murder capital of America, but for some strange reason, our mayor wanted to go there and compare notes. But anyway, uh, Eric Adams was uh, having a little bit of fun talking about bamboo. Notice he didn't pull out the Snoop Doggy Dog uh, rolling paper or the Joker rolling paper. Uh, And he was having a little difficult time uh, talking about a boo you know, that's really Cory Booker's thing. You know, my boo, my boo, my boo, my boo, but, but whatever. Apparently, that statement on the stage of the Ed Sullivan Theater by our newly elected mayor at that time, Eric Adams, really got under the skin of our great Kelly. Boy, he gets obsessed about certain things. I want you to listen to him. Go, yeah, it's part of the promo here at WABC now, but Kelly, he's like... Uh, vociferous on it, and I want to know where all of you stand on it, whether you understood that Eric Adams was just joking around there, but he does understand that it's basically quasi-legal, it's been decriminalized, but it's not yet being sold in government-licensed stores like it is in other parts of the country. So it's uh, sort of in an in-between area, but... Listen to what Greg Kelly had to say. Smoking weed is the new pastime of America. Go to Washington Square Park. Big story about how all these entrepreneurs are selling their weed down there. And the cops, of course, are going to let it happen because, well, the mayor himself has basically said, yep, it's A-OK. Thanks for nothing, pal. He is uh, fired up on that. Now, he's not going to fire up a blunt. He's not going to fire up a spliff. I'm sure, though, Greg Kelly who described himself as being a bad boy at a time in his life growing up in Garden City. Might have done a little puff, puff, pass, but let's uh, let's listen more. I know that everybody seems to be smoking it, especially kids. I also know that it's not good for kids. I really know that. I remember there was a kid I grew up with, and uh, we, had a, we had some good times. And uh, then I saw him 10 years later, and I'm like, hey, remember that time we did such and such? And he's like, no. Oh, what about the time this happened? No. <laughs> he couldn't remember anything because he was stoned. 
Now, what did Greg Kelly mean uh, that he had some good, <laughs> good times with this stoner? I got to believe that Greg Kelly, although not a stoner himself, if you know Greg Kelly, he's very straight-laced. I got to believe he was doing puff, puff, pass with rag, ragweed at the time with that kid. In fact, Dizzy Izzy, uh, I want you to play that cut again. To try to sort of decipher what Greg Kelly actually meant. Because the way I deciphered it is like we were doing puff, puff, pass with ragweed. I gave it up because it was just something to do when I was a kid. In the meantime, this guy was like hardcore, you know. He had his own hydroponics. He was growing his own weed and like smoking the bush morning, noon, and night. I know that everybody seems to be smoking it, especially kids. I also know that it's not good for kids. I really know that. I remember there was a kid I grew up with, and mm. uh, we had a, we had some good times. Mm. And uh, mm. then I saw him ten years later, and I'm like, "Hey, remember that time we did such and such?" <laughs> and he's like, "No." Oh, what about the time this happened? No. <laughs> he couldn't remember anything because he was stoned. Oh, he's a he's a great talk radio host. Uh, if you can't listen to Greg Kelly Monday through Fridays from 1 to 3, right before my Kumbhati Cheech, Rudy Giuliani, you got to really listen to him on the uh, podcast. It's my favorite show here at WABC because they never know what direction Greg Kelly's going to go in. And as you can see, when I choose cuts from the other shows, I choose a lot from Dominic Carter. I choose even more from Frank Morano. But the most that I choose are from Greg Kelly because he moves in a million different directions, which makes for great talk radio because you never know. You're always on the balls of your feet wondering, where the hell is he going now? So who do you agree with? Eric Adams uh, with Stephen Colbert on the stage of the Ed Sullivan uh, Theater? Or with uh, Greg Kelly, who said that right here in the microphones of WABC for his uh, talk program, Monday through Fridays, 1 to 3. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go all the way to Alex in Ontario. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Alex. Well, uh, first of all, happy birthday. Well, thank you. Uh, a Canadian happy birthday from north of the border. Thank you. Where in Ontario are you calling from, Alex? Uh, I live in a small town in southeastern Ontario. What's the largest city that you're near? Uh, I guess uh, Belleville would be about uh, half an hour south, and then Kingston would be about an hour east. All right, I know where Kingston and Guelph are, and obviously uh, Hamilton, and then eventually T.O. So I, I think I'm in proximity to you, right? Guelph, where they have all the locks and stuff. Not not locks that you put on bagels, but the locks for the waterways, right? Um, well, yeah, it's more kind of uh, between Toronto and Ottawa. I'm more between there. Okay, okay, so we have locked on to you with our global positioning system, Alex, and uh, in addition to wishing me a happy Canadian birthday, what else is on your Canadian mind? Well, the only other thing I really wanted to say was you were uh, wondering about the date of uh, Orangeman's Day earlier, like in the midnight hour, and it's uh, July 12th. Yeah, Orange. You know, it's like you grow up in America, you really don't know much about it unless you're hardcore uh, uh, Irish Protestant or Irish Roman Catholic. 
But there's this movie I'm dying to see, and I never am interested in movies, never. You know, they uh, made it about a year ago called Belfast, uh, about uh, all the problems that they had with the Easter Rebellion. And uh, when the Orange Men would march on July 12th, through uh, the Catholic sections of Derry and Belfast and all the violence that would take place. And you would say to yourself, this is what I can never forget out, Alice. You know you're going to march through that area. Be like your members. This is just a, a comparison. Imagine you're members of the Ku Klux Klan and you're going to march into an all-black neighborhood. Does that make any sense uh, to parade around? Yeah, there's going to be a clash. I don't understand why the Orangemen, who are Protestants, decide to march through the predominantly Catholic areas in Northern Ireland, which is just like lighting a stick of dynamite, and it's just a matter of time before it explodes. Well, I don't really know either. All I know is uh, the little trivia bit of the date that it's on. Yeah, in fact, today uh, at the St. Patrick's Day Parade on Bell Boulevard in 35th in the heart of Bayside, where a lot of the Irish live, Irish uh, Catholics I mentioned to some of the civil servants, I say, you know what Italians used to do? Uh, because they hated the Irish, because they associated the Irish with being cops. And a lot of the Irish cops had a prejudice towards Italians because they thought that they were all criminals, you know, all members of organized crime. So on July 12th, Italians would wear all orange, and they would wear orange on St. Patrick's Day, even though they had nothing to do with Protestants uh, in England or Scotland or Wales or uh, Ireland, uh, Northern Ireland. But they would do that just to stick it to the Roman uh, Catholic Irish, many of whom, because they were American, they had been born and raised here, had no idea what the orange, uh, color orange really meant, how significant it was on July 12th or even on St. Patrick's Day. Well, the bottom line, Curtis, is this. There are only two kinds of people in the world, those who are Irish and those who wish they were. <laughs> and that's my son, Alex. Let me describe my son. You could actually listen to he and I. We're on a podcast together once a week, father and son. You go to wabcradio.com. It's called Anthony and Curtis. Now, he accompanied me today on my birthday to Bell Boulevard for the Annual St. Patrick's Day Parade. It was the first one in two years since the lockdown and pandemic. A huge turnout, even though for a while there was raining. Hail was falling. Hail. Wow. Uh, people were, like, jumping. They thought the next thing that was going to fall were locusts. But they stayed. They didn't uh, abandon ship and run into the gin mills. And so my son shows up with an Irish flag and bagpipes. He's trying to learn to play bagpipes, and he speaks a few words in Gaelic. And he doesn't have a drop of Irish blood in him. His mother, Mary, is all Polish. Both her father and mother were all Polish. Uh, I'm part uh, Polish. My father, Chester. My mother, Francesca. Bade is Italian. Uh, his stepfather is Governor David Patterson, African-American. I doubt he has any Irish blood in him. And I can't figure out this fascination to talk Gaelic, to play, to play the bagpipes, and to wave the Irish flag. Well, that's just it. I mean, I'm part Irish, and I can't even speak any Gaelic. Like, I think my great-great-grandmother could, but, I mean, I can't. So, I mean, that's just so impressive that your son can even speak a few words of it. It is amazing, and he wants to know more and more the history of Easter Sunday, the Irish rebellion against the British, uh, the uh, attack on the post office, 
he just keeps asking me more and more questions. What's the IRA? What's Sinn Féin? Jerry Adams, McGinnis, Ian Paisley, who was uh, the crazy Protestant leader <laughs> who walked around the European uh, Parliament. He was a member of representing Northern Ireland. Uh, when the Pope, Pope John Paul, had come to speak before the European Union, and he held up a big sign, the Pope is the Antichrist. Yeah, well, I mean, that's uh, good for him that he wants uh, to know that stuff. Uh, that's uh, got to be uh, uh, very, uh, it'll be very worthwhile in the end for him to learn all that. Can you imagine if he actually masters speaking Gaelic? This would be incredible as a second yeah, language. that'd be wild. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, I wonder out there how many of you listening right now, I know some of you are stung God. You're like half in the bag or you're half asleep. But I'd love any of you who know Gaelic, even if it's just a few words, to be able to come on, speak a little Gaelic and tell me what the hell you're talking about. Because I have a feeling I'm not going to know soon what my older son, Anthony Chester Sleewa, Anthony, is speaking about. In fact, Rudy Giuliani earlier today, as we were sitting at the diner right before the start of the Bayside uh, St. Patrick's Day Parade, says he said to his son, Andrew, you know what he calls his son on the radio? Anthony. Not Anthony. Anthony. Yeah, because that's the way it is in the streets. Anthony Chester Sliwa. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Mary calling from Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mary. Mary. Mary, Mary, quite contrary. Where do your flowers grow? Mary has fallen asleep on me. Uh, Accelerate that, Dizzy Izzy. I want to hear her snoring there because she has fallen asleep on me. You know, guys, you can do that, and I don't take it as a dissent, as a dismiss, but when a woman falls asleep on me, oh, that is the ultimate one. In a shanda. Udiscraziata. There it is. Snoring. You could peel the wallpaper in her room there in Jersey. She's snoring. So, I mean, who would want to marry and be married to somebody like that, right? It's bad enough, you know, my wife Mary says, I snore, and I keep her up for the few hours that I sleep, and then she doesn't realize she snores too. Oh, but I don't mention that to the prima donna, Nancy, no. Oh, you don't snore, right? She goes, I don't snore. Yes, you do. Mary fell asleep on me. This I will never recover from. I will not. Until we break ranks at 6 o'clock this morning. And then uh, you have to listen to uh, Religion on the Line with uh, Rabbi Joe Potasnik and uh, Reverend Bernard at 7 o'clock, the longest uh, talk radio show program in the history of WABC, the first talk radio program when we flipped spinning stacks of wax. And uh, then it's the Cats Roundtable. And then I got to listen to uh, Frank Morano for half an hour. As he talks it up with John Katz and Matisse and a uh, whole host of other contributors as they talk about the issues of the day. And then it's John Katz and Matisse, uh, uh talking to newsmakers as he makes news with his interviews that take place on Sunday and then bleed over into the news section on Monday. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Will I recover from this slight 
this diss and dismiss as Mary, a New Jersey fell asleep on me. Mary, Mary, quite contrary, where do your flowers grow? Is that correct? Is that nursery rhyme correct? And what was the purpose of that nursery rhyme that we would say as a kid? Mary, Mary, quite contrary, where do your flowers grow? I think those were the correct words. Correct me if I am incorrect, as I so often am. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Beaver, who's calling from Westchester. Is, in fact, that your name, Beaver? I couldn't care less how you're doing. I'm sure there's a lot of people sleeping now. Those radios are clicking off as you put them to sleep and starting trouble with different ethnic groups. You're a sneaky one. You're a crazy lad. You see, that's Steve from Manhattan. You see, sometimes we have an understanding. Steve will come on as... The person he is, Steve from Manhattan. And he can talk. He's very good. He is like Peter. Remember the other day, uh, the other morning, Peter from Manhattan called up. He, he, he labeled himself a professional talk radio caller. And he is because Peter, who is a nemesis of mine, has actually been calling since the days of the king of talk radio, Bob Grant, as has Steve from Manhattan, who always uh, hashtags go Buchanan, go Buchanan, go Buchanan. But... Peter remains in character. He's never different. Peter, he's always the same, a curmudgeon. But Steve from Manhattan, I think at times, is not comfortable being Steve from Manhattan. He, he's like a thespian. He's got to go for method acting. He's got to be somebody else. It's like Robert De Niro. If you've ever heard him give an interview and he's just Robert De Niro, he's boring. And then all of a sudden he takes on these characters. He's quite exciting and interesting because he feels... Better being somebody else than being in his own skin. I, Curtis Lee, I can never be anybody else. I am what I am. I'm Curtis Lee. Steve from Manhattan, he's good when he's just Steve. But then all of a sudden he decides that he has to have multiple personalities like Sybil. And oh God, the, the dragon emerges. And you can tell it's still Steve from Manhattan. So as a ventriloquist or as a person who does voices, and we've had some really great imitators here at WABC over the years. I can think the very best was Brian Whitman, the Mashiach of talk radio. From Staten Island, went to a Lutheran school, Lutheran, ended up going to Los Angeles after appearing here at WABC. This guy could do great imitations. Michael Jackson, he was the best. Al Gore, none better. And then, of course, there was uh, the great Jay Diamond. Oh, man. He did the best. Mario Faccia Bruta Como and Al Slim Shady Sharpton and others. They, they, boy, that is a lost art. That is a lost art. And Steve just doesn't get it that he's just not good doing that. It's like there's another guy out there who's made news. His name is Randy Credico. Like a liberal progressive guy, he would do imitations of uh, infamous and famous persons like Mario Facha Bruta Como uh, for Al Dicker, uh, who used to uh, write for the New York Post columnist who grew up in uh, uh, oh there by the old, uh, oh God, Freedom Land, the co-op city. He was a communist. He even said, hey, why am I mispronouncing his name? You see, I, I've gotten a bit of a fog about me. 
Anyway, he had a great radio show up in Albany, in addition to writing his column uh, in the New York Post, in which uh, all the legislators feared the guy because the guy uh, could definitely bring a lot to the surface. And he would have Randy Credico on, who would do these horrible imitations of people, and somehow, Fred Dicker. Ah, you see, Fred Dicker would laugh. And I'd say, what the hell is he laughing at? That was a horrible imitation. Anyway, Randy Credico was a sidekick of the infamous Roger Stone, who Frank Morano did that great interview with recently that has earned him a potential Marconi Award, one of the highest uh, highest um, gifts, because it really is a gift. It's a gift from the radio gods that can be given to you in your lifetime of radio broadcasting for that interview and Paul Manafort. But Randy Critico is the guy that claimed that his life was being threatened by his lifelong friend, Roger Stone. Not his life, but his little doggy's life, the little fluffy yarn ball. And anybody who knows Roger Stone and knows Randy Credico knows that they they, they go back and forth like that, like a husband and a wife all the time. (laughs) You don't take anything they say seriously. But the U.S. government decided to indict Roger Stone over that and other matters. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go. uh, Ooh, Mary has awoken out of her Cinderella sleep in New Jersey. Were you sleeping, Mary? Uh, No, Curtis. I was opening cat food. You were opening cat food? Yes. I'm on my rounds in Passaic. Oh, I have to apologize uh, to you. Are you taking care of feral cats out there? Oh, yes, for over 20 years. Wow, how many cats probably uh, do you end up taking care of within the course of, let's say, a night? I'm probably feeding around 50. Uh, and how, how do these cats get along outdoors? Uh, hmm. uh, they manage. It's amazing. But, Curtis, um, uh, and I just wanted to mention, I, I wanted to give you a suggestion for your program. Oh, absolutely. Anyone who loves cats, as you know, is first and foremost going to be somebody I listen to. Okay. I thought uh, a nice suggestion would be, a nice name would be for your program, uh, Late Night with Curtis. uh, Excuse me. Uh, It is late, isn't it? It's uh, Nightlife with Curtis Lewis. Oh, I like that. Nightlife with Curtis Lee. I must confide in you, Mary, and our other uh, callers and listeners that apparently uh, Frank Morano, my nemesis, uh, had an opportunity to review over 382 suggestions for a new name ever since he had a hissy fit about two weeks ago in which he insisted that this program no longer be uh, called The Other Side of Midnight, the weekend edition. And will not reveal to anyone yet the name he has chosen. Okay. So I am going to put yours in the mix. And this is great because um, our mayor, who I lost to, Eric Adams, says that he loves the nightlife. He loves to sample the nightlife. And so do I. So this is like so appropriate since so often I have to talk about uh, Mayor Eric Adams because he is in charge. Uh, and he uh, he certainly had a different way of doing things uh, than I would have. So this might be perfect. I, I think it fits you. I really do. I like that, Mary, although I have to see now what Frank Morano has finagled 
by denying anybody access to the name that has been chosen. He has uh, kept this uh, as if uh, Price Waterhouse, you know how they have the Academy Awards in just a few hours, Price Waterhouse, they have these two schmucks who walk down the, the red aisle, you know, like they have the the results uh, locked into a valise, you know, that they have a handcuff on the valise and they have a handcuff on themselves. So he's acting like he is one of these auditors of Price uh, Waterhouse now. He said it's Operation Hush, Hush, Mush, Mush. He's not saying anything to me or anyone else. Actually, Curtis, I don't know why you don't have the authority to pick the name of the of the show that you're hosting. You would think, right, that that would be a common courtesy. But I got to tell you, Mary, the guy has done so well of late. He's uh, walking on water. He's the golden child here. He can do no wrong. All you got to do is say Frank Morano in the hallways and all the suits, all the mockers, all the muckety-mucks. Even our owner-operator, John and Margo Katsimatidis of Red Apple Media, our parent company, they get all for toots. They hear Frank Morano. Oh, he's the future of talk radio. <laughs> I'm telling you, Mary, it, 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 they, they've all... They've all drinking the Frank Morano Kool-Aid. They believe that Frank Morano, who we don't know what his age is, uh, you know, I don't know his age or my wife's age, Nancy, figure they're, they're baby boom, and not baby boomers, but they're millennials and hipsters. But all you hear, anyone here at WABs, oh, Frank Morano, he's the future of talk radio. I said, well, what about here and now? I've been doing this 32 years. Uh, go run for another political office, they tell me. Go ahead. Right, knock yourself out. Try to win another political office as a Republican. How do you like that, Mary? Curtis, your day is going to come. Yeah, hopefully before I run out of my nine lives. Remember, I'm like a cat with nine lives. Everyone agrees. When they look at my timeline, I've used up eight of them. There are eight separate times I could have been dead and buried uh, due to various circumstances. Not all uh, in terms of people wanting to kill me. But medical and health issues, and when you start adding them all up, it's eight times in my life. Started the first time, south side of Chicago. I'm three years old, 46 in Rockwell, four-story walk-up. We lived right next to the stockyards, uh, next to Bridgeport, which was the Irish area where the dailies uh, came out of, and uh, um, south side where the Chicago White Sox Park was, within walking distance. And I remember I used to be fascinated when I would hear the garbage truck come in the alleyways to pick up the garbage. And so I had climbed up onto the windowsill, fourth floor, four floors up. My mother sees me on the windowsill. And remember back then, no air conditioners, no fans. So the window is open. And I'm looking down at the garbage truck as the garbage men are doing their duty. And I'm fascinated and I'm leaning over. My mother, Francesca, is almost fainting when her sister, her oldest sister, who was there in Chicago to help because my mother had just uh, delivered uh, my youngest sister, Maria, came up and said, Curtis, Curtis, come here, Curtis. I had walked up the blocks that I used to play with up into the windowsill. I would have fallen off the windowsill. That, that's it. You know, like that young man that you saw fall out of that ride, God, and just crunch. I would have been dead. And uh, my Aunt Mary lured me off of the windowsill. 
I would have fallen to my death. There is no doubt about it. So that was the first time, about three years old, that I had stared at the Grim Reaper and because of the help of my mother first distracting me, Francesca, and then my Aunt Mary taking over and luring me off of the uh, windowsill, I did not fall over. Can you imagine you're three years old and you fall out of a fourth floor open window? That's it. Boom. Lights out. one 800 That's one 800 848-WABC. Listen to Talk Radio 77 WABC on your Echo device. Tell Alexa to play 70. Great song, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Although this song, which became the theme of the Woodstock documentary and was sung on the stage of Woodstock up in Bethel, New York, 1969, half a million strong, it went up the New York State Thruway in August. This song was actually written by Joni Mitchell, the Canadian uh, folk singer who was going to sing it at Woodstock. She couldn't make it. So uh, she was having a um, relationship with Neil Young at the time, fellow Canadian out of T.O. Toronto. And she told Neil Young, you boys, go ahead and do it. What a great song. And you know that in that summer of 69, they were doing Puff Puff Pass. There, as they were wallowing in the mud, in the rain, where even Sha Na Na was performing, the doo-wop a cappella group, as I was listening to Tony Orlando Without Dawn from 10 to 12 earlier on Saturday, leading to this program Sunday morning. It was amazing that Tony Orlando, great interviewer, could actually challenge Frank Morano for that title here at WABC, along with John Katsimatidis. There are three best interviewers, and Sid Rosenberg has had his moments. But Tony Orlando was interviewing Bowser. Remember, it was the greaser with the tight shirt. I knew he had been born in Brooklyn. And then when I was at the Bayside St. Patrick's Day Parade earlier on Saturday, when it was rain and it was hailing, They were telling me that Bowser went to Martin Van Buren High School, which uh, had an agricultural department, an actual farm behind the school, and that he was always out there, even now in his 70s, campaigning for Democrats, like Kathy Holcomb, which means nonsense, in 2011 when she was running for Congress. He campaigned for David Webner. Out of the Webner dynasty. Now, David Webner, unlike his father and his other brother, couldn't chew gum and think at the same moment. Yet, who is out there campaigning for him? Bowser! The guy is, like, totally a Democrat. Where did I find that out? By listening to Tony Orlando without dawn, 10 to 12, uh, right after his first anniversary. Wow. Think of it. These great interviews. You have Frank Morano, the other side of midnight. You have... uh, John Katsimatidis, with all the interviews he does, with all the different programs he does, coming up at 8.30, you'll hear some of them till 10 o'clock. And then uh, uh, Sid Rosenberg has its moments, but I got to tell you, uh, Tony Orlando is as good as he gets when it comes to interviews. Who knew about Bowser? Who knew? Anyway, you know there was Pub Pub Pass going on at Woodstock. That was all part of it. Peace, love, and happiness. How would Greg Kelly have reacted if he had uh, been at Woodstock 
In fact, uh, could I hear Greg Kelly, who uh, is on a rampage against the use of marijuana in the streets of New York City? I know that everybody seems to be smoking it, especially kids. I also know that it's not good for kids. I really know that. I remember there was a kid I grew up with, and uh, we had a, we had some good times. And uh, then I saw him 10 years later, and I'm like, hey, remember that time we did such and such? And he's like, no. Oh, what about the time this happened? No. <laughs> he couldn't remember anything because he was stoned. <laughs> and then the one before that, it was Greg Kelly. Was- is the new pastime of America. Go to Washington Square Park. Big story about how all these entrepreneurs are selling their weed down there. And the cops, of course, are going to let it happen because, well, the mayor himself has basically said, yep, it's A-OK. Thanks for nothing, pal. Ah, he saw the Rastafari there with their Jiffy Pop caps. Yo, blood clot man, Yankee man, you're rude boy. You want to buy a spliff? <laughs> How would Greg Kelly react to that? I'm seeing him uh, get into his tirades against uh, guys looking for chump change, holding the door at Starbucks or Burger King. <laughs> what would happen if they were selling joints instead? Yeah, I think uh, Greg is going to have a psychotic episode on one of He's the guy. He's always in the streets. I've seen him on the E-train before. He really is out there. I'm just a little worried. Because, you know, he comes in. It's a stream of consciousness about what he just experienced out in the streets or on the Crosstown bus or on the E-train where I've seen him before twice. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Diane calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Diane. Hi. Good morning, Curtis. I want to wish you a happy birthday. Well, thank many you. More. Thank you. Thank you, Diane. Thank you. And, uh, you know, Curtis, I want to put, bring us back in a time machine, like you say. Back in the 80s, I think it was maybe the late 80s, I was walking down Avenue U, and, and you know, then we had the Avenue U movie theater, and there you were. I saw you standing there. Are you sure it was me, Diane? Yes, yes, yes. You had your, you know, your beret and your jet. Yeah. Yes. I saw you. Uh, you know, you don't have the theaters. I think that there's no more Avenue U theater. They took a lot of the theaters away. But I know that was you. Yes. Now, Diane, what, pray tell, what I have been doing standing over by the movie theater on Avenue U back in the 80s? I don't know. I don't know, but I'm sure it was you. And I'm not sure who was next to you, if you had other angels. But I'm not sure. But I know it was you, Kurt. I know it was you. I know it. And um, let me see. I wanted to tell you, back uh, in the 60s, the late 60s, I had Barbara Streisand's music teacher in Erasmus Hall High School. Wow, the schnoz. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. had her music teacher. You went to the great campus of Erasmus uh, High School there in the heart of Flatbush. Yes. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, always, a- I always thought that was a college because of the campus it had. I had no idea at first as a kid it was a high school. Yeah, it was a, it was a pretty good school uh, back in the day. It was one of the top schools. Now, yeah. uh, were you in a class that was being taught by the music teacher, or did you uh, did you have tutoring by the music teacher? Uh, it was the choral club. I was in the and, and you know Christmas time we would have the uh, 
sing the Hallelujah Chorus. It was very nice, and the big assembly was beautiful. It was did, very nice. Did she ever mention about her most uh, famous alumni, Barbara Streisand? Uh, no, because I think she graduated about seven, eight years before me. Ah, I yeah, see. Yeah. I see. So yeah. even in the course of her instructing the choral group that you were a part of at Erasmus uh, High School, she never mentioned, uh, you know, hey, years ago, I had uh, a young lady. She was standing right where you are, Diane, right in that choral line. And <laughs> look what's become to her. Now she's Yentl. Yentl. <laughs> no, in fact, the teacher, uh, I remember his name, Cosimo Pietro. Oh, God, I love that man, Mr. DiPietro. He was, he was inspiring or inspiring, that man. He really was. Now, Diane admitted, did yeah. you have a little girl's crush uh, on your music teacher, your choral? Yes. Yes, As yes. a matter of fact, I did. I was on the train one day, and he came on, and I think my knees buckled. <laughs> you had, I did. I you did. had vapors. Yeah. You had vapors. You almost passed out. Oh, I was in awe of him because he... He was really something, you know, when he would, when we were on the stage and he'd say, vibrado, vibrado, you know, he really was into his, uh, he was terrific. He was wonderful, Mr. DiPietro. And a total gentleman, I would hope. Oh, yes, he was great. And uh, also, um, what else? Oh, I know, you know, that you and Nancy, of course, are big, you know, lovers of animals. And I I know you're not into movies, really, but... I watched some scenes from Hachi. I've seen the movie Hachi. Have you ever seen it, the movie Hachi? No, no, I've never seen it. Curtis, if you and, and Nancy Google, uh, I, I've been crying since last night, and I've already seen the movie, but if you Google tribute to Hachi, Hachi, Italy, this is from Japan, the story, but then it was remade here with Richard Gere in, in America. He waited for his owner for nine years after his owner passed away by the train station. Every day, you know, he'd wait for his owner to come out of the station from work. And for nine years, Curtis, he waited there. Do you know they have statues of Hachi and Hachi, Hachi and the owner? It, it's fascinating. And they have stories about it, too. So if you and, and, and if you and Nancy actually, they show scenes from the movie uh, with Richard Gere, too, and Hachi. It's a beautiful movie. It, now, let me it, ask you this question. So it starred Richard Gere. Are you sure it wasn't a gerbil waiting for him for eight years for his return? (laughs) No. He's remarried now to a gal uh, much younger. Yes, well, you know what happens. They get frisky. Look at me. I'm married to a woman who is so young, I have no idea how young she is. Yep, yep. She's very nice. I know. I know. I I know, but Diane, isn't it... Yeah. Can you imagine this? People ask me, well, how old is your wife? I, I, I haven't <laughs> seen any ID. People think yeah, I snatched yeah. her from the cradle. In fact, <laughs> when we're out in the street, people come up and they say to Nancy, what is it like to be the daughter of Curtis Sliwa? I've heard you say that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, you make a lovely couple. And with the cats, you know, I, I have, I called you like a, a week or two ago. I have cats. I'm a cat person myself. But, you know, I, 
you with the cats, you and Nancy with the cats, I love it. I just love it, Curtis. Now, how many cats do you have, Diane? Well, I had four, and Mommy passed away, like God bless her little soul, a year and a half ago. And Cubby, the boy, the son, passed away like um, a year ago. And now I have Sprout and Flip. So Mommy had the three kids in the house here. Wow, and they all have unique personalities, don't they? Yes. Oh, sure. Sure they do. Sure they do. It is incredible. Uh, We've had as many as 18 in a 328-square-foot apartment on the Upper West Side. Oh, oh my. To to see how they all get along in the colony, because they're all obviously uh, uh, domestic cats. They're not feral cats Mm -hmm. because they can't live indoors. And how they develop their own relationships with one another, some who don't like one another, others who do, some who pal around with one another. It's amazing how they get moody, depressed, or they get all happy. They have so many human characteristics, Diane. Yeah. You know, well, Flip, I think she was pretty close with Mommy. So I think she still misses Mommy. I really do. I look at her. I say, I know you miss Mom. And if she walks by Sprout sometimes, Sprout <laughs> Sprout will give her a little smack or she'll smack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> give her a little smacking around. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Girl. That's true. We have, the, we have the patriarch uh, Apollo, who is from East New York, and Nancy rescued him from the shelter there. He he would have yeah. he would have been destroyed, and then there was the Norwegian cat that uh, I found in the uh, back alleys of uh, uh, Sunset Park. Uh, she would have died. Mm-hmm. She was all mutilated, and uh, mm-hmm. her eyes had been uh, covered with a fungus. Uh, but she is very uh, she considers herself to be like part of royalty, you know, the Norwegian mm-hmm. cat. And they they smack the cats uh, sometimes when they're passing by, like, hey, you know, you got to pay respect. I'm the patriarch here, Apollo. I'm the matriarch here, uh, Athena. Right, right, right. Curtis, I'll give you one more, one or two more names. Could you put it, jot it down? The Midnight Express with Curtis. Okay, I like that. As long as I don't have to go to the gulags in Turkey. I, I like that Midnight Express. Okay. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. Angel in the Night with Curtis. Angel in the Night, excellent. Journey till Dawn with Curtis. Ooh, that's a really good one. Journey till Dawn until the break of dawn. That's right. And the Imagination with Curtis. Wow, these are really good. Now you see, the problem is Diane that mm-hmm. we got a real fuss butt here in Frank Morano. I know. Who has decided now that he's going to be the shot caller. He's going to make all the decisions since I'm, quote, unquote, his turf. And, you know, now that he's done so well, Diane, he's like the golden child, the golden calf. They all like, oh, Frank Morano, they get all for toots, the future of talk radio. Have input too, like Mary said. You should have some. They, 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 they do. They listen to me, but you know they placate me because they say, "Oh, this guy's probably going to run for office uh, again." You know, he'll probably run for mm-hmm. mayor again in four years. So they placate me, mm-hmm. but they, they've now all circled the wagons around Frank Morano. It's like a form of idolatry. Uh, they don't know how old he is. Nobody does. He's somewhere in his thirties, uh, maybe early forties, and they all say, mm-hmm. "Oh." He's the future of talk radio. Oh, God. 
We've, we've got to do everything we can to put him on a pedestal, to put him on the altar. You know, they, they, they now mention, they, you know, they used to mention me up there with like Cousin Brucie, Tony Orlando, Bob Grant, the King of Talk Radio, Rudy Giuliani, you know, all the greats. Now mm-hmm. it's like I get Bupkis, I get uh, Ugats, and they now mention Frank Morano. Well, listen, you're tops with us. You know that. You're tops with us, Kurt. We've been following you for years, for God's sakes, for years. I know, Diane, but remember when we were kids, we played with the tops, and you would crack a top out in the middle of the street, and sometimes yes, it, would, it would cause mm-hmm. damage. And I think that's what Frank Morano has done to me. Uh, not directly, mm-hmm. but indirectly. And Diane, I'm I'm going to be tracking this very, very meticulously. Yeah, so you know, he can do no wrong. The golden calf. Oh, he's the future of talk radio. I remember when they said that in Cumulus. Cumulus was our uh, former owner and operator before John Kessimatidis rescued us from the scrap heap, because that's where we were going. Cumulus couldn't care, jackedly squat about talk radio and AM. And I'm in a meeting with the CEO and the COO and the CFO and the program uh, manager, because they had hundreds of stations, stations they didn't even know they owned. I'm sitting in a meeting, and they say, oh, Curtis, we're going to have to take that hour for me, from you. You know, you do it. I was doing drive time. at the, We're going to have to take that hour from you. Because the future of talk radio is going to do that, our Ben Shapiro. I said, Ben Shapiro, he's a podcaster. He's a great podcaster, but he's not a talk radio show host. He doesn't take calls. He doesn't talk to anybody. And he said to me, it's over. There's nothing you can do. It's like out of the Goodfellas. It's over. It's nothing you can And I just picked myself up out of the room. I walked away. Because this is the business that we have chosen. Good, bad, or indifferent. But I said to myself, and these guys get the big bucks, and they thought that Ben Shapiro was the future of talk radio. Podcasting, yes. Talk radio, no. No, these young huckleberries, uh, God forbid they have to take a call, a stranger, someone who out of the blue calls them up and confronts them. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, I'm a snowflake. Oh, please. That's the stuff that makes for great talk radio. Like Peter, the other night, remember the guy who identified himself as a professional talk radio caller? Which he is. He's been calling since the days of Bob Grant. Always he's been a curmudgeon. Always. He's been a spur in my shoe. But he's been very genuine, very consistent. That's great talk radio. Doing a podcast, come on. Come on, that's not talk radio, ladies and gentlemen. I know you listen to podcasts. We promote our podcasts. I want you to listen to Father and Son, uh, Anthony and Curtis with my oldest son, Anthony. But it's not talk radio. It's a different genre. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Sherry, who was uh, patiently waiting from where I was earlier in the day on Bell Boulevard for the annual St. Patrick's Day Parade. Your turn to be heard on WABC, Sherry. 
Curtis, Diane is right. That Hachi movie about a dog in Japan, it is fabulous, and it's very, it's, it's very upsetting. It's a beautiful movie. I think it was made in 2008. True story. They have a, a statue of Hachi the dog. I think, forget what kind of dog it is, and it's in their, um, uh, in Japan, the, uh, rail, the railroad station. No, that I understand, Sherry. It's just she threw me off when she mentioned the actor Richard Gere because I thought maybe it was a gerbil who was waiting him for eight years, nine years. Eight. It's a fabulous movie, and it is a tear-jerker. But anyway, I want to say this. I was at the Beatles concert in 1965 wow. in August. Wow. And, um, hello? Yeah, you were at Shea Stadium. You were one of the, uh, yeah. you, were, you were wearing your Bobby cool. socks. Yeah, well, yeah, it was two hours of screaming, <laughs> so you couldn't hear anything. But later on, I met Sid Bernstein in the late 90s through Joey Reynolds. You remember Joey Reynolds, right? Oh, of right? course. Uh, he was the other side of midnight before there was another side right. of midnight. And Sid said, you know, it was him that announced uh, all this. He had Joey Reynolds and uh, Kramer, the real Kramer. I forget his name. There was a book signing in Card. Cars, Chulio, something like that at Coney Island. Yeah, mob joint. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know, guys. Julio, Kramer. No, no, you're right. Uh, Sid Bernstein was the producer yeah. extraordinaire who would put on all these huge shows, all these huge That's shows. Right. And also uh, Jerry Weintraub, but he's uh, he was with Sinatra. Yeah, well, I, I think uh, we can uh, state categorically. Frank Morano, you are no Joey Reynolds. I know Joey Reynolds. Got to start, I believe it was at WGR in Buffalo. That was a big one. That was a 50,000 powerful water of sound. That guy was overnight before Frank Morano was even birthed. Has he ever paid respect to Joey Reynolds like we should all in this, uh, this thing of ours? This business that we have chosen. I never I've never heard Frank Milano pay tribute to Joey Reynolds, but he should. Before there was the other side of midnight, it was Joey Reynolds. Remember your roots, Frank. They paved the way, all these titans of radio, these greats. And now as a young Huckleberry, you've been considered the golden child, the future of talk radio. Blinded by the light. That should be the theme song for brand new mayor Eric Adams, who's approaching uh, 100 days in office, and that is the uh, honeymoon period. Things are not going so well for the mayor, as you heard with our news update from Bob Brown. People continue to flee the city. Manhattan has lost the most population, but people are leaving the outer boroughs. Because the quality of life is uh, diminishing, job prospects uh, are minimalized in what is a worker's economy. And yet we have the highest unemployment in the nation. Uh, Some of it due, obviously, to the lockdown and pandemic, but a lot of it to uh, initiatives that we've imposed, like the vaccine mandate, the mask mandate. We're going to get into that momentarily. But the number one reason, as was uh, mentioned, 
by Bob Brown is the growing crime crisis in our city. It is uh, taking place morning, noon, and night in outer boroughs in Manhattan. Serious crimes, minor crimes, it's just crime all the time. You remember the mayor had uh, implemented a special task force along with Governor Hokum. I call it Hokum because it's nonsense, in which he was going to send teams of social workers uh, and also police into the subways to remove the homeless, the emotionally disturbed, and get control of the subways. And so initially they went out in force for a week, and uh, everybody was concerned that after a week or more, uh, you wouldn't see a presence. And to their credit, New York won. Courtney Gross, who has uh, really really started to focus in on the homelessness issue. I've seen her on a number of occasions out in the streets and subways by herself because New York One uh, reporters oftentimes have to do their own filming. So they have to multitask. So I've seen her a number of times. Uh, She does really good work. Uh, And so they went out uh, into the middle of the night to see if, in fact, the, uh, the program was still in effect and they couldn't come across any of the cops or any of the social workers. So poof. Puff the Magic Dragon. The PR King, Eric Adams, uh, can bamboozle some of the people some of the times, but eventually you got to deliver. There's got to be consistency, not just photo ops. And we're, uh, we're in a hot mess. There is no plan. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, I'm out there all the time. There is just no plan. There is this faux outrage that we see from uh, the mayor, Some of the top commanders in the police department, they say all the right things, but there's just no plan. Like, for instance, you have this uh, recent crime out of the many crimes that are occurring that seems to have hit a common core uh, of New Yorkers. A three-year-old girl leaving a daycare center in Brownsville, never ran, never will, in Brooklyn, not far from where uh, I uh, lived for two years, Osborne and Hegeman. This was on Amboy Street. Amboy Street, which is where uh, Mike Tyson uh, actually grew up and had his pigeon coop for many, many years. Uh, There was this shooting. And obviously the community was in an outrage that a three-year-old could be shot. And all the elected officials responded. And the person that was leading the outrage uh, is a fake, phony, fraudulent Fugazi who's been around forever. In fact, uh, he plays musical chairs with his wife, Inez Barron. His name is Charles Barron. So he runs for city council. Then he gets term limited. Then he runs for her assembly seat. She runs for city council. And they just swap the seats back and forth, defeating the whole concept of term limits. And they got a lock on Brownsville and parts of East New York. And they hate cops. They hate the color blue. And they make that very well known. If they see blue, they hope that it's uh, the gang, the Crips. They support them, but they hate the cops. So in the aftermath of the three-year-old girl getting shot, Charles Barron is leading these violence interrupters right on Amboy Street and saying less funds for cops, more funds for social programs. Like, excuse me. You need more cops in the streets of Brownsville. You need uniform cops. You need undercover cops. You need cops doing stop and frisk of known gangbangers who are doing most of the shootings. 
as they do their drive-bys, their retaliatory shootings, and this cycle of revenge and blood vendettas that has soiled the streets of Brownsville and East New York, the 73rd Precinct and the 75th Precinct. Charles Barron, evil. He's always been evil. He hates America. He hates cops. And so all the media immediately goes to him and he's like, no, 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 we don't need more cops. We need more social programs. Yeah, maybe midnight basketball, right? That, that would have helped that three-year-old girl not get shot. And then the mayor shows up. And the mayor has this outrage, as he always does, in a press conference a day or two or three or four or more. He's, he's just photo-op Eric Adams. It's wearing thin, I can only tell you, even amongst people who voted for him because they're lifelong Democrats. And so while he was out in Brownsville... He was asked a question by the reporters, once again, going full cycle back to the campaign trail. Remember when he was toying with us as to whether he would be the first elected mayor ever to carry a gun while being mayor, which you have to say, it's like, why the hell would you even consider carrying a gun? Although legally he has a right to do that as a former police officer for 22 years with the NYPD. But why as mayor would you carry a gun when you have security provided by the NYPD 247365? You have intel, which will let you know of any threats. And then he pulled that, uh, he bamboozled all of us by getting his brother Bernard, remember, uh, out from parking cars at Virginia Commonwealth University, uh, what was it, uh, months ago. Claimed he needed him to be a deputy police commissioner. He had been a former member of the NYPD in community affairs in Queens. But then he left to Virginia. And he insisted he needed him. Remember, Bernard, he needed him to protect Eric Adams from white supremacists that he said were the biggest threat to his life, white supremacists. And you may have remembered, ladies and gentlemen, I went to the nearby Bed Bath & Beyond in Columbus Circle. They were having a white sheet sale. And I stayed in that aisle and I watched because I knew if there were any white supremacists uh, in the five boroughs of New York, they'd be there for the white sheet sale. And many of the uh, employees of Bed Bath & Beyond said, Curtis, what are you doing here in the aisles? And I had to think quickly. I said, you know, a lot of shoplifting lately. I'm here to help you with shoplifters. Oh, thank you, Curtis. Thank you. But I had my eyes glued to any of those white supremacists that Eric Adams had suddenly said were a threat to him. And that's why he needed his brother Bernard. Well, look at what he said just the other day. That makes absolutely no sense. I feel like this is a Billy Preston song. You know, we're going around in circles. Listen to how Eric Adams gives us all a circle jerk. You know, no, but seriously, let's be clear on what I said. I stated that if I receive a threat from my intel that states that there's a real threat, that I would make that determination. Intel uh, protects me. Many people are not happy to hear, but, you know, my brother's with me, and sometimes he's my duplicate, he's my body double. Uh, But we are going to do what's right to protect the people of the city of New York, and if I um, feel the need to do so, then I would do so. I don't feel the need to do so right now because Bernard is around me. Uh, No, no, I have not. Hold on a second. His brother is his body double? The last time I heard about body doubles, remember, is when we were 
invading Iraq and we were after Saddam Hussein. And remember, we thought he had like 10 body doubles. And then, remember, there was uh, the evil seat. No, actually, it was Kim Jong mentally ill. The father of the evil seed who is now uh, in charge in North Korea. By the way, firing off missiles galore, my dear. No one's paying attention to that kukulamunga. But remember Kim Jong mentally ill behind the uh, kimchi curtain of North Korea? Remember when uh, Bill Clinton was asked to uh, come in and rescue, uh, I think, uh, Lisa Ling's sister and her documentarian partner, who were caught by the North Koreans as they had crossed over from Red China. Remember that? Bill Clinton had to go. And they didn't think it was Kim Jong mentally ill. They thought it was one of his body doubles that Clinton met with. I'm sure uh, Kim Jong mentally ill shared some of his uh, concubines with Bill Clinton while he was there because, hey, let's face it, that's what he's known for, snacking on women. But anyway, put that aside. I digress. Um... Dizzy Izzy, you got to play that cut again because he is now claiming that his brother, who does not look like Eric Adams, he does not look like Eric Adams, is his body double. Like, really? A body double? You need a body double? Why? Are there women after you because you've uh, done them wrong? And now, you know, you say, oh, no, that, that Bernard did that, not me. My body double did that to you. Something wrong here. Something wrong. I, I want you to listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. Some of you are street smart. Some of you understand. And interpret for me what the mayor of uh, New York City, Eric Adams, is saying when he refers to his brother, who is now on his security detail, Bernard, as being his body double. You know, no, but seriously, let's be clear on what I said. I stated that if I receive a threat from my intel that states that there's a real threat, that I would make that determination. Intel uh, protects me. Many people are not happy to hear, but, you know, my brother's with me, and sometimes he's my duplicate, he's my body double. Uh, But we are going to do what's right to protect the people of the city of New York. And if I um, feel the need to do so, then I would do so. I don't feel the need to do so right now because Bernard is around me. Uh, no, uh, uh, no, I have not. Sometimes his brother Bernard is his body double, his duplicate. That's crazy. And now this another the reporters like jumped up and said, what the hell are you talking about? You need a body double, a duplicate? Who's threatening your life now? All during the campaign, remember, he didn't want police security to his credit. I rejected police security, which I was entitled to after I won the Republican primary, as was Eric Adams when he won the the ranked choice uh, voting runoff and and became the Democratic Party nominee. To his credit, he said, as I said, why would we want police officers protecting us? They should be protecting the people in New York City who are under siege. Now, all of a sudden, he needs a body double, a duplicate, his brother. What does he do when he when there's an intel report 
that there's a threat against the mayor's life, he puts his brother in front of the microphones and hides? <laughs> you would have thought the reporters would have asked him more questions about that. Anyway, maybe there's somebody out there, somebody from Intel. I know many people who are assigned at the black desk to listen to Curtis Lee overnight on behalf of the NYPD to see what what is he nefariously saying about our activities at one police plateau. Who can possibly get on the phone and explain if Intel of the NYPD suggests that mayors have body doubles and duplicates. One eight hundred eight four eight WABC. This is this is like I get a belly laugh out of this. Another the reporter said, "Really? Oh, Eric, who's threatening you? Oh, you need your brother to be your body double. You need your brother to be your duplicate. What is his brother Bernard? It's Siamese twin. They're not twins. Oh my God!" And, and, the fourth estate, yes, yeah, uh, that's right. We're whites. We don't want you saying that we don't understand because uh, we're not reporting uh, through melanin in our skin, so we can't understand what a black man or a black woman goes through. This is nuts. one 800 That's one 800 wabc Let's go, if we can, to Marianne, who's calling all all the way from Philadelphia. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Marianne. Hello, Curtis. I wanted to wish you a happy birthday, okay? And I hope you can bear with me. I'm a little nervous. But um, I wanted to wish you a happy birthday, and I also want to tell you, I hope you realize how special you are. Because not everybody can come up with being... The, the, a guardian of, of the angels and protecting as many people as you, your heart's always been in the right place. Whereas Eric Adams, he's a fugazi cop in, a, in an expensive suit, and in my opinion, he looks better with an apron behind a cooking show, in a cooking show, don't you think? Absolutely, and I would think that my colleague Frank Morano would take great umbrage uh, if you listen to Frank. He loves fromage. He loves cheese. He loves cheese and wine. He uh, talks about it all the time, and he really does. He eats lots and lots of cheese. In fact, we'll be talking about it later on. Uh, Marianne, have you ever put the box of arm and hammer baking soda into your refrigerator or your freezer? Yes, I do. And for Once in a while. Not all the time, though. <laughs> right, but for what purpose? Why do you leave a box, an open box of Arm & Hammer baking soda in your refrigerator? It usually, uh, you have to change it every once in a while. It's supposed to absorb odors like onions and strong odors. And certain cheeses that uh, issue a certain uh, smell that <laughs> that can be noxious from time to time, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Late, later on in the show, that's why everybody has to be bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, right. I'm going to be explaining uh, right. how I actually spotted a box of uh, uh, arm and hammer baking soda in the refrigerator of Frank uh, Morano when I was visiting. He was actually doing me a favor, taking me to an appointment to get implants in Staten Island before I actually announced that I was running for mayor of the city of New York. And he has an extensive variety of cheeses. He really does. He is a fromage expert extraordinaire, including Limburger cheese. Which oh, if that's it, the worst. 
Yeah, well, it's it actually it's like uh, to a degree it's like feta cheese. You know, it chips away a little bit. But, My father ate it all the time. Right, and the rind is where the smell emerges. I mean, the the smell is noxious. Am I right, Marianne? Yes. Can I tell you something else? Yes. Curtis. Um, also, um, if if and when you run again, will you be able to pick your own moderator so that you don't get, pardon my expression, so then you don't get screwed over like you did last time? Yeah. Will so you have to uh, end up moderating. This way, you're de- debating the Democrat and the moderator. You know, you got you're debating both of them. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Marianne. Uh, uh, I had two debates that were required of candidates. Uh, one was from NBC, in which it was interesting. Uh, they put me in uh, what would be the equivalent of a closet uh, in preparation for the debate, because you had to be there an hour before the debate so they could check everything out, and then they bring you out, and then they check uh, your microphone and everything. So they housed me in a closet. And then, meantime, Eric Adams was like in this uh, extravaganza. You're right, the uh, reporters couldn't have been nastier to me, always trying to cut me off, not giving me an opportunity to speak. Uh, likewise, that's what happened at the last debate at Channel 7 Eyewitness News. But you're right, Marianne, uh, if I go at him in four years, if he doesn't completely self-destruct and they take him out of City Hall in uh in uh, silver bracelets, which may happen. I'm telling you, this guy is <laughs> off to a horrible start. But, Marianne, if I do go at him again, I will definitely stipulate that there has to be not just uh, a debate. Well, imagine, Marianne, you're up there on the stage, and the moderator or one of the reporters are asking you, you know, the city uh, has a $2 billion debt. You have 30 seconds to answer how is mayor you'll deal with that. Yeah, I couldn't get I would need more than 30 seconds to describe to you how I would balance my checkbook. Never mind. Deal with a two billion dollar debt. Yeah, but you're right. It's it, the deck was stacked, but that's good looking out, Marianne. I will have to you know uh, do preparation yeah. on that. Yeah, I will have to insist yeah. on that. Curtis, I don't think he's going to sit long on the throne. Eric Adams, because I'm I'm pretty sure people will eventually see him for who he really is, and hopefully they'll oust him, okay? And by the way, the um, the COVID blood type you were looking, you were asking about is type O. Type O. I have to see if I have type O because I should have been the one person, without doubt, to get COVID with all the exposure that I had uh, when we were helping and continue to help emotionally disturbed persons and homeless people out there, some of them who clearly had COVID at the time we were helping them. And uh, luckily, I, I did not get infected. Uh, if I had been infected, I might have passed it on to others. So uh, I had not done that. So, yeah, I'm going to investigate that to see exactly what my blood type is. Imagine with all the blood transfusions I've had during emergencies when I've been shot and had operations I still to this day don't know what my blood type is. Oh, I have a I have a night uh, a, a, um, a good one for your night show. Oh, sure. Light light up the night with Curtis. Light up the night with Curtis. I'm hoping that the curtains have not been drawn to a close 
by Frank Morano, who was supposed to have chosen a name. Believe it or not, it's my program, but he gets to choose a name. He, it was all supposed to be done by today, but Dizzy Izzy told me, no, uh, Frank hasn't done it yet. Uh, he's taking his sweet time. Well, but, you're much loved, Curtis, and I hope you realize how special you are, really. Well, thank you. Thank you, uh, Marianne, who's calling from Philadelphia, which is in the midst of an even more severe crime crisis than New York City is. They had 100 murders by the start of March, 100. They had over 500 last year in 2021, an all-time record. And they have a DA there, a a uh, Soros-funded DA who got elected the first time. We thought... You know, okay, you get them the second time. Democrats and Republicans supported an alternative district attorney choice. And yet he won re-election. They got a mayor there who uh, totally capitulates to criminals. And they got a police commissioner. Her name is Outlaw. Now, can you imagine in Philadelphia, who is your police chief? Outlaw. No, yeah, I'm not talking about the criminals. So your police chief. No, her name is Outlaw. And where did they recruit her from? Portland, Oregon, which uh, has the worst crime rate in America. So her credentials, her resume said that she had been police commissioner in Portland with all the, uh, well, let's face it, total anarchy that has taken place in the streets of Portland for quite some time, even before the lockdown and pandemic by Antifa. And they brought her in to run their police department, the Philadelphia Police Department, right into the ground. Boy, the former mayor and former police commissioner, Frank Rizzo, must be spinning in his grave. Frank Rizzo, who was rough and tough. He didn't like the Guardian Angels when I first brought them there to South Broad Street, St. Rita's, uh, in the early 80s. He wanted to run me out of town, but eventually we became friends. He... uh, Actually, the person who made peace between us was the king of talk radio, Bob Grant, my mentor. The reason I'm in talk radio, uh, he made sure I was given an opportunity. But every time that Bob Grant would get into a problem, because he wasn't politically correct, they'd run him out of New York City on a rail to WWDB, which was the FM talker in Philly. And he'd be there in exile like uh, Napoleon on the island of Elba, only to return uh, victoriously to New York City each time. And it was after a, a confrontation that I had uh, with Frank Rizzo verbally that uh, Frank Morano, excuse me, not Frank Morano, but uh, Bob Grant made the peace. He did the shit off. Uh, and I was friends with Frank Rizzo uh, afterwards. He eventually became a great talk show host in his own right at the old WCAU. That was the big talker in Philadelphia until they got rid of talk radio there. And I knew uh, his producer, Mike Thompson. Mike, who uh, was without a job, when all of a sudden WCAU no longer had talk radio there. And was brought to WABC, unbeknownst to myself and my wife at the time, Lisa. We were the angels in the morning from 1991 to 1994. Mike Thompson was put in the old Hotel Pennsylvania across the street from WABC. And his job was to listen to us every morning. And then he was introduced to us by the management there who said, Mike Thompson is going to uh, really turn you into a professional talk radio team in the morning. 
and it's going to improve your ratings. And my wife uh, at the time, Lisa, took umbrage to that. But I understood when Mike Thompson uh, brought out the uh, pie chart and said, this is what you got to do. These are the intros you got to do. This is how you do an interview. This is how you set it up. This is how you go to the break. That he was absolutely Jack Diddley squat correct. He would kick trash, trash cans over. He would have tirades. He would be emotionally erratic at times. But he turned us into a great talk radio program in the morning. In fact, by the time that John Manelli, who is the program director, uh, like the Turk who comes with the playbook and tells you, that's it, you're not playing football this year. He said, you had a great run on the Great White Way, Broadway. You're fired. You got an hour to clean out uh, your office. And so uh, Lisa went her way. And I went my way only to be hired by Rudy Giuliani, who had just been uh, elected mayor of the city of New York, to go over the WNYC, not my place to be, believe it or not, public radio in New York City, which was owned and operated by the city that had a city TV station and a radio station that had big sticks, and the mayor wanted to sell them. Eventually, he sold the TV stick to what became the Fox News Channel, to Rupert Murdoch and Roger Ailes, and you know the rest of that story. But I was sent to WNYC after being fired here at WABC to try to show that a conservative could do talk radio on public radio. Well, you know how far that lasted. <laughs> Seven months later, I was back at WABC overnight, told that I would never return to daytime broadcasting again. Never in a million years. Yeah, yeah, my quantum I. I'll still be here and those suits are gone. You see, you just have to be consistent. You just have to do good talk radio, and eventually you'll get your opportunity. Don't listen to the suits, the mockers, the muckety-mucks, because their day comes also, and all of a sudden they're on the outside looking in, and they're impotent. They can't do anything. Just do good talk radio, and it will resolve most problems. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. The other big issue that was brought to my attention earlier today at the annual St. Patrick's Day Parade in Bayside up Bill Boulevard was the mayor siding with the millionaire baseball players and basketball players against the hero civil servants of New York City, close to 1,500 cops, firefighters, and health care workers, who were heroes who crawled into the belly of the beast at the start of the lockdown and the pandemic uh, in March of 2020, only to be fired when they wouldn't take a vaccine. Again, with no unemployment and no opportunity to get another job. And the mayor has said, tough noogies, it's going to stay that way. We'll deal with that and so much more here on a Curtis Sleewer show that's still looking for a name. It might well be just an echo in my mind. What a great, great group. Never got the credit they deserve. Steppenwolf. Oh, listen. Listen to this riff here. Play it, Dizzy Izzy.
just to be uh, understanding, make sure that little girl is of age. Nobody ever questioned Steppenwolf when they wrote that song, right? Come on a magic carpet ride, little girl. It's like, you, nowadays, it's like, what are they, pedophiles? But then, ladies and gentlemen, we got to deal with the issue of the day involving this mayor who is fading, fading fast. Photo op, Eric Adams, who is just not delivered on his promise of law and order, and uh, the walls are beginning to close in. People continue to flee from Manhattan, flee from the outer boroughs. They've stated in uh, survey after survey it's because of crime. It's worse crime now than it was in any 10-week, 11-week stretch, believe it or not, in the eight years of Comrade Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor of uh, Park Slope, the cop hater. And then, lo and behold, on Thursday morning, I had to go to City Field myself with Andrew Giuliani and see with myself what the mayor was announcing, hoping that he was not just going to remove the vaccine mandate for athletes and performers. He should do that. But should remove it for everyone else, those in uh, private uh, private business and those who are civil servants. And, in fact, those 1,500 who were fired, bring them back on, give them full pay, get them back into the job that they had been fired from. But, oh, no. And all oh, the outrage all along Bell Boulevard in Bayside today, even amongst hardcore Democrats, they were stunned at the decision that Mayor Eric Adams made to side with millionaire ballplayers, billionaire owners, and against the heroes that he and de Blasio turned into zeros, the civil servants who were fired. Just listen to this caller recently with Dominic Carter, who does a great show. Monday through Fridays from 12 midnight to 1 in the morning. Listen to the venom that's been dripping from the many lips of our callers who can't understand why the mayor would side with billionaires and millionaires against the interests of working class people. And Eric Adams, no matter what anybody says, he did this as a political thing. There's no way he can act like, yeah, this is okay, this is right. It's not right. Those firemen that are out there trying to save lives and those policemen that are getting shot, you know, they're out there as heroes. And those are the ones he disrespects, and that's who he really is, I believe, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and and he's doing this, I swear in my heart, he's doing this as a political thing, and, and I just find it so distasteful and so dis- disrespectful to the people that he's supposed to show respect. And by the way, I'm hearing today that the crime is up on his watch worse than de Blasio. So while he's putting on his fancy suits and going to Bermuda, right, he's embarrassing himself because he's not holding up his end. You know, I believe this. I, I'm sorry. I wanted Curtis to win. And when I saw that he was going to win, I, I was saying that this is how he's going to be. And, and I'm sorry to say, but this is how he is. I mean, how could anybody... How can you let the most important people that are down in New York City trying to save lives get rid of them because they didn't get the shot? You know what I mean? But let the sports people do it because there's got to be a reason he's doing this. You know? Do you well, agree? Well, I, I hear you. Um, I, I think it was definitely a double standard. But the realities of the world, if I'm going to be candid and honest with you, is that... It shouldn't be this way. 
But if we ever think that we're going to be treated the same as a star on the Brooklyn Nets or a star on the New York Yankees or New York Mets, that's just not going to happen. Now, I don't want you to get upset with me, but I am telling you that they live in a different world. And unfortunately, we saw, I thank you for the call, we saw how it played out with Mayor Adams' announcement. If he was going to issue the exemption for the superstar million-dollar athletes, he should have did it for the hero firefighters, the hero police officers, the hero nurses, the hero doctors. I could go on till 6 a.m. stating the full line of heroes that should also receive the exemption. Spot on, Dominic Carter, his caller. But spot on, except she had one thing wrong. Eric Adams has not gone to Bermuda. She was confusing Eric Adams with the previous mayor, uh, Bloomberg, the billionaire who stole an additional four years, so supposedly missed the term limits until he ran out of uh, terms in office. Then he bribed his way to another four years, would go off to Bermuda where he had a home on the weekends and insist that he didn't have to tell the media, didn't have to tell the public, until there was a snowstorm, and all of a sudden, billionaire Michael Bloomberg's Learjet could not get back from Bermuda, snowed out, and he had to acknowledge, <laughs> I was in Bermuda. No, no, Eric Adams has not gone to Bermuda, that I know of. Uh, he has gone to uh, D.C., had no no business being there. He went uh, with the crypto uh, uh, profiteers. Uh, might as well call them white-collar criminals in Miami for a conference. Shouldn't have been there. And then went to discuss uh, public safety uh, programs with the worst mayor involved in public safety, Mayor Lightfoot, a.k.a. Lightweight in Chicago, the murder capital, the gang capital, the violence capital of America. What the hell could she share with Eric Adams? He's got to keep his us right here. Really got to apply himself. I know he wants to do a lot of things. He gets distracted easily, especially when it comes to what he says is uh, improving the quality of life of what people eat and they ingest and uh, the air they breathe and the liquids they drink. I get all that. And you could do that once you actually get control of the crime situation that is completely out of control. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Muriel calling from Bayside. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. By the way, Muriel, were you at the uh, St. Patrick's Day Parade earlier on Sunday? No, I would have liked to, but I wasn't able to. But did you uh, did you happen to, to look uh, did you happen to look outside at a certain point there was a heavy rain and hail. Hail yes, came yes, down. Yes. Yes. But Curtis, I do want to say that I've been a fan of yours since you were on the radio with Lisa. And I've been a, a, a talk radio person for uh, practically my whole life. And I'm so disappointed that you're not on seven nights a week and that all you need to do is say it's the Curtis Lewis show because you, to me, are the epitome of of what New York was and ought to be. And now I just, I hate to even think about Eric Adams, because to me, he's such a phony baloney, and he doesn't belong as, as, the, as the leader of New York City. 
he he belongs in in the um accessory department, the men's accessory department in Bergdorf Goodman. I mean, the man is a fraud, a complete fraud. And it upsets me to even, my blood pressure is rising. Oh, easy. I had that issue the other day. It took me three days to get my blood pressure medicine from Dwayne Reed. I nearly stroked out. But you're right, Muriel. There... He is now into being a haberdasher. He was never like that before. He was always a well-dressed man as Brooklyn Borough President and as a state senator. But I don't know. It's but like... We need, we need a le- I don't mean to interrupt you, but we need a leader. I mean, the man is... It, to me, he's he's just a facade. And how 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 we can even think of you... And him at the same time, plus the fact, wait, I have to also say my piece about Frank Morano. Oh. He is the most boring person that, that I, that how he, how he could be so popular. I mean, the man, the man talks about nothing, really nothing. I understand. No, 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 hold on, hold on, Muriel, Muriel, hold on, one one thing. The most famous television program of all time was described by Jerry Seinfeld as a program about nothing. You do realize that. Yeah, but he doesn't have that talent. That's the point. Yeah, but you see, Muriel, Muriel, this is the problem. His ratings are skyrocketing. Well, I don't know how. I really mean it. Well, the the only way that that, the only way that can occur, it's not like an election where, like, uh, for instance, uh, our colleague Rudy Giuliani says, "Oh, you know, this fraud, Dominion, Smartmatic, the machines. This is all tabulated. He has skyrocketing ratings." His interviews are such that they're getting rave notices all over the world. They're going viral. And they're even talking about having him possibly come on in a cameo appearance from time to time to do interviews on 60-minute reviews sometimes, too, who are not part of the CBS family. God forbid. God forbid. I can't. I just, I can't. Maybe I have, I'm a little biased. When it comes to um, people who can't exert willpower, now you say that his refrigerator is full of cheese. Well, who eats cheese like that? If you want to be healthy, you don't eat old food, and that's what cheese is—it's old food. Now, you see, even <laughs> he's, though he's he, such a contradiction, right? He's but such he, a contradiction. Even even though you. Uh, uh, did not compliment Mayor Eric Adams. He in his press conference a while back, where he was wearing the apron, where he was trying to be Betty Crocker and cook while doing a press conference. He said, and this is a warning to Frank. If in fact this is true, uh, Eric Adams, who does live a very healthy lifestyle, had uh, to face uh, diabetes that could have blinded him and some other high blood pressure issues that he had uh, as a younger man, and he changed his diet uh, totally. He said, cheese is worse than heroin. If you get an addiction to cheese, Muriel, it's worse than heroin. Yeah, but what about addictions to nicotine? I mean, I had a a terrible uh, addiction. I I remember hearing um, on on Jack Parr, I forget the... uh, older person's name he was always popular he he once said that 
nicotine is a worse addiction than heroin. It, it, it is. It's a terrible addiction. And he's just a... Um, now, were you, uh, were you a smoker, Muriel? Yes, I was, and I loved each cigarette that I smoked. Uh-huh. And I even, when when I lived in the suburbs, I, I had went back. You know, you can't take that one puff. And I remember I used to have a walk-in closet. I used to smoke in the closet. I didn't want my children to see me smoking. I belonged to a fundraising organization, and none of the women smoked, so I couldn't smoke. I was too self-conscious. I mean, I know what it's like. I, I Listen, I don't want to go into well, my Well, no, no, a question, uh, question. What was your cigarette of choice? Which was your brand? Marlboro. Marlboro. Marlboro Reds? In a box. All right, you know, so you had the box, not the soft pack. Right. I guess I maybe I had both. I I only smoked twelve cigarettes a day, but each cigarette was meaningful to me. I wasn't like smoked half and then put the the other half down. I mean, I really loved to smoke. I I I I I have. Such an, uh, I had such a long, interesting life. I saw Jerry Reynolds. I mean, I used to listen to him. And then his. And then one summer weekend, we were up at the Berkshires, and his daughter belonged to a, went to a school, a summer school up there, where they had dancing and entertainment. And and he was the nicest man. I. I went over or however we spoke and I I mean I'm I just I know we my husband and I had been to New Jersey you probably were there there was a function for uh Bob Grant yes and it was it was the beginning of Rush Limbaugh coming to New York That's right it was the Re- that? the Rio Diner in uh, Woodbridge New Jersey no, it wasn't the diner. Oh. It was a beautiful country club. Hmm. Oh, I missed that one. I missed that one, Muriel. Yeah, maybe you weren't with, you weren't there. And then we used to go to uh, see. I mean, New York was New York, and this, and even even De Blasio is better than Adams. I mean, this. I'm so upset when I see him. Yeah, I but now, now I want to. I want to lighten you up. You like Joey Reynolds? He was the other side of midnight before Frank Morano. And you love Sid Rosenberg, uh, Sid Rosenberg, correct? You mean the one who's on the, in the morning, the sports guy? Yes. No, I <laughs> see that. I can't tolerate the biasness of them. Oh, so well, you I, see, but, but you in see, in the morning, in the morning, I listen to uh, Berman and. Um, Michael Rydell. We have to get to convert you, Muriel. We got to, we got to, we got to, we got to convert I, I did listen to them. I did listen to them uh, to, uh, you know. Well, how about this? How about down. we make a, a deal? You go back and forth when all of a sudden no, at WOR, they're not too interesting because sometimes that happens no, on any are. show. They are. No, they are. They I know, really but, take it from me. Uh, uh, because one's liberal. One's liberal, and and Michael Rodell is conservative, but he, I, because uh, I know him from he used to be on a theater program on public television. Oh yeah, he so, had me. He had me out there when uh, Broadway reopened after the lockdown and pandemic. 
wow, we got to convert Muriel in Bayside. She's like half with us and half not with us. She's, that's our battle, ladies and gentlemen. I know it's a bit greedy. I really believe more talk radio is good talk radio because if ever we're unemployed, we have other outlets possibly to get employment at. So more talk radio is good. And it actually fuels more interest in talk radio. If you only have one station, that's not good for a number of reasons. But to have a lot of good talk radio from a lot of good talk radio stations improves the quality of everybody's talk radio programs because there's competition. When there's no competition, you can mail it in. That oftentimes happens in some of the cities in which right now, because of attrition, there may be only one talk radio program uh, station left. A lot of it is syndicated talk that they uh, just uh, contract on. They could be heard anywhere else in the nation and very little local talk. I have tried to convince our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, go with all local talk. Now, it's difficult to do because you have contracts and you have some really good, uh, really good uh, syndicated talk radio hosts and hostesses. Uh, but if I had my druthers, it would be all local talk all the time, like KFI in Los Angeles. They've been able to succeed against all odds in Los Angeles by having all local talk radio. But you really got to work at it like we've worked at it here. And uh, John Katsimatidis and management has taken what was a low-rated talk radio station when he bought it, almost uh, almost dead on arrival, soon to be relegated to the scrap heap by uh, our owner-operators at that time, Cumulus, just suddenly being up there with the uh, top four, three, two, one stations in all of New York City, regardless of the format. It can be done, and it will continue to be done here at WABC, which right now is heard in uh, 38 states, parts of Canada, parts of Europe, and even in the Bermuda Triangle. Right down to Davy Jones's locker, where many a sailor right before they perished uh, had been uh, having a conversation how they were listening to Frank Morano the other side of midnight before they went down to Davy Jones's locker. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let's go to Mike, who's calling. Uh, where are you calling from, Mike? St. James, Long Island, Suffolk County, fifty miles from Times Square. Ah, were you born and raised out there? No, I am a Queens boy from St. Albans. Ah, what high school did you go to? St. Pascal Bailon High School, a small uh, Catholic high school in Queens, mm. no longer exists. Mm. Where where was that? Because I, I never knew of that uh, high school. Uh, you familiar with Hollis Avenue? Yes, very. Uh, two, hundred and, uh, about approximately 200th Street and 112th Avenue. Wow, that's great. And now, you're, and now you're out in St. James. Yes, from St. Albans to St. James. Okay, well, you maintain your roots, your connections. You haven't abandoned ship and gone to Florida. Yes, I have a concern for the city. Okay. I think if that fails, the whole state is going down the drain. Now, my question to you is, does the current mayor have any advisors on his staff who are not afraid to tell him he's failing? Yeah, yeah, I I know quite a few of the people uh, who uh, are not sickle fans, toadies, and lackeys, uh, who uh, will tell the mayor uh, what their suggestions are. But uh, I think, uh, like most politicians, you have to fail and fail badly 
so that finally you recognize that it's not your humongous ego that's going to help turn the city around. It's really all of your advisors and the other people you're so dependent on day to day. Yes. Uh, Any of the current people that could really help them out, such as yourself uh, or uh, Commissioner Bratton or Kelly, well, Bratton has, never... been a, a Bratton has been a big promoter of Eric Adams, although in his recent uh, conversations uh, with John Katsimatidis on the 5 o'clock roundtable, he seems uh, not as uh, supportive as he was, although he hasn't given up on Eric Adams. Ray Kelly, on the other hand, has had a personal experience with Eric Adams where Eric Adams uh, said that Ray Kelly was a racist, which was not true which has uh, tainted their relationship, as it would. Uh, And I have offered my help to Eric Adams because I don't think there's anyone better in the city dealing with emotionally disturbed persons. Uh, And I've been doing uh, it for 43 years, and uh, uh, they have not uh, accepted my offer to help. I don't want to be a consultant. I don't want to get paid. Uh, I'll just do what I'm always doing, but share the information with City Hall. Well, how can we get you into that position? Well, I think what's going to happen is that Eric Adams is going to try a few of his programs. They're not going to get the desired results. And I think eventually there are two things that will happen if he's really serious about turning the city around, especially in this crime crisis that we're in. He used the magic term the other day. He said he wants to use broken windows theory, which was Rudy Giuliani's. Yet he has failed to meet with him. Look, uh, a quick 45-minute sit-down with Rudy, and he could definitely teach him a lot about public safety. And then at a certain point, I'm sure there are going to be enough people saying, you know, why reinvent the wheel? This guy Curtis is out there. He talks with the emotionally disturbed persons. They they confide in him. He's able to bring them to hospitals. Uh, He's able to deal with their psychotic episodes. Uh, let's get him on board. Uh, let him work with us. He doesn't have to be a part of our group. Uh, if you're fearful that I'll bring what's happening uh, internally to the airwaves, but he can certainly help us in a number of ways. I think eventually he's going to have to move in that direction, Mike. Well, for example, uh, his crackdown on uh, fair jumpers. Uh, unless he arrests the fair jumpers, photos and fingerprints them, it's going to be of very little use. Well, his biggest problem is is that he's on the right track now to stop fair evasion because it's systemic now. Uh, but none of the DAs will prosecute fair evaders. So they've all publicly said they're not prosecuting fair evaders. So let's say the police go out there, they stop a fair evader, they write him up, they check their background, there are no existing warrants, that's the majority uh, and then all of a sudden, as a ticketable offense, it goes to the district attorney's office. Let's say Brooklyn, the largest district attorney's office, Eric Gonzalez, that's had the most fair evasion. And he dismisses it. Uh, then the police are not going to want to keep writing the tickets because they'll think it's fruitless. Well, if the police keep arresting the fair beaters, the inconvenience to them may cause them to uh, go away. Well... There is a belief that that might happen, harass them enough, and eventually they won't try to uh, enter the system without properly paying their fare. But I got to tell you, uh, there's only so much that Eric Adams and the police department can do with fare evasion. They have to have assistance from the district attorneys, as, as Rudy Giuliani did when he was elected to replace David Dinkins. He had the assistance of the district attorneys then, 
These district attorneys are pro-criminal. They are not pro-cop. Curtis, do you remember the expression, token sucker? Yeah, I remember, I remember seeing the crackheads <laughs> put their lips on the token entry point, and they would first put a uh, paper clip in there to block the token from going down, and then they would <laughs> suck the token right out and then sell it to the next person who would come by at, like, one-third the price. What years was that popular, would oh, you say? Right at the height of the crack cocaine epidemic, 1985, to about 1993 uh, for those eight years before Rudy Giuliani was elected, and then he turned all that around. It was quite an art to see a guy put his coho lips on the turnstile token receiver uh, that first was blocked up with either paper or a paper clip, and then a person, a crackhead, would maneuver their lips and then just <laughs> suck the token out and then sell it to the next schlub would be coming through at one-third the price. you got to be kidding. Stop, 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 stop. What happened to my Vladimir Putin song? Number one song in Moscow... Uh, with a Kalashnikov bullet, I played that song over and over on this uh, program, whatever we talk about the Ukraine, and we're playing Angel Eyes. It, it, what it was this removed because there's a boycott about everything from Russia, including the Vladimir Putin song, which is number one in all of Russia. I can't believe this. It gets played in Russia, and by the way, you have to get up and dance when the Vladimir Putin dance a song is on. We got to find that song. I think it was purposely removed uh, in this uh, attempt to boycott everything coming out of Russia. By the way, they're not boycotting uranium. Oh, here it is. Hold on. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, somebody who uh, hates Vladimir Putin here, as he is loathsome and quite hateable as a monster who has invaded the Ukraine and causing death and destruction as we speak. But we don't censor songs here at WABC. In fact, we bleep out the offensive language to make sure we're in coordination with the FCC. So, Dizzy Izzy... Uh, Let's try to find out the um, the actual, what they call the algorithm fingerprint of which person here at WABC removed that song that was exclusive to the Curtis Lieber Show. Let's find out. Meantime, uh, the same time on Saturday morning, we were talking uh, to a gentleman unexpectedly. I believe his name was Ben, who had called from leave the largest city closest to the Polish border in the Ukraine. Remember, he was from Fairfield County, Connecticut, originally had married a Ukrainian woman, went to leave, 
which, uh, although I've never been to the Ukraine, has been described as uh, a uh, small-sized Paris. Very old, very uh, quaint, uh, but very historical in nature. He was telling us how um, Lviv had not received the brunt of the attacks like the cities in the east of the Ukraine and down near the Crimea had, like Mariupol, which has been pounded, and Kiev, which has uh, had battles uh, engaged uh, around its uh, city, mostly from troops that had come down from Belarus. But leave for the most part, other than an attack on a aircraft uh, facility last week, uh, had not been the target of uh, Russian attacks. Boy, they hit it with a vengeance uh, a few hours after our discussion with Ben. I don't think it was the result of that. I have a feeling it was the result of our president uh, very foolishly saying outside of the uh, Warsaw Palace to all of the leaders who had been assembled that Putin cannot remain in power. Now, how dumb was that, Joe Biden? I mean, this guy just misspeaks all the time. Imagine you're Vladimir Putin. You're watching his presentation live, and you're in the Kremlin, and you're hearing President Joe Biden said that Putin cannot remain in power. That means regime change on Putin. Then, naturally, the White House, which uh, has to almost always walk back whatever President Joe Biden uh, says. He didn't mean regime change. Like the day before when President Joe Biden had pizza and was uh, eating and talking with the troops of the 82nd Airborne Unit. Uh, That was good. But then he gets up and he gives a little speech to the assembled men and women of the 82nd Airborne and says, you know, soon you'll see what I'm talking about in the Ukraine. And right away, people were saying, what? He's sending the troops into the Ukraine? No, no, that's a misspeak. He didn't mean that. And the White House had a walking pack. Uh, Maybe it's best that President Joe Biden not speak so you you don't have to walk back whatever he says. (laughs) Four days uh, in Poland to get a firsthand view of the refugee crisis, to meet with the NATO leaders, uh, and obviously to keep uh, NATO uh, strong in defiance uh, of Vladimir Putin. But saying that Putin cannot remain in power... That's nuts. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then Sean Penn, who has been the friend of Saddam Hussein. Remember, he went over there and acted as a human shield when we uh, began our shock and awe against uh, Saddam Hussein. Was a friend of Chavez in Venezuela and now Maduro. And a friend of... uh, Fidel and Raul Castro behind the sugarcane curtain of Cuba. But now he is a friend of Zelensky as he is filming a documentary in the Ukraine and vows to destroy his Academy Award if Zelensky isn't invited to speak at the Oscars. Now, in just a few hours, the Oscar performance will take place. It'll be low rated again, but I guarantee you, in this case, Sean Penn would be right. If Zelensky were to speak on a Zoom conference, uh, you know, big screen, the ratings would soar. So I actually would say to Sean Penn, you'd actually be saving the Oscars because the ratings would go up. If, in fact, at the very start of it, before you get into all the nonsense of the multiple uh, presenters and all the political correctness, if we actually could see Zelensky talk 
uh, to the world at the Oscar ceremony. A lot more people would be watching and listening, so I give a high five there to uh, Sean Penn, something I don't normally do. Then there's the Azov Battalion, which is uh, in Mariupol. The reason the Russians are smashing it to smithereens is because it is a far-right group. Uh, It has had fascistic uh, practices in the past. We'll talk about that more uh, later on when I come back in the 9 o'clock hour because, you know, to say that there are no fascists at all in the Ukraine is specious. Not as many as, obviously, Putin and his supporters are saying – but not what Zelensky and others are saying. Oh, no, there are no fascists here. You look at uh, the Azov Battalion, and they have the swastikas on their <laughs> actual uniforms. And then, of course, there are some of you out there who uh, are hardcore in supporting Vladimir Putin. Not a lot of you, but some of you. Hold on, but I want to devote this hour to the oligarchs. Because supposedly there are bad oligarchs and there are good oligarchs or there are oligarchs who are multi-purpose, multitaskers, and we all use those oligarchs. So the oligarch of the moment is this guy Abramowicz. He's a Russian-Israeli billionaire. He was the owner of Chelsea, the soccer team that he paid billions of dollars for. And his primary source of income is through an LLC, offshore company known as Millhouse, in which he generates billions. Now, he was supposed to have sanctions attached to him by the Biden administration, but Zelensky himself said, hold off. Abramowicz, uh, yeah, he's, he's been a good friend of Putin, but he is our courier. He is the person who goes back and forth with Putin with us. Because without saying it, Zelensky, he has uh, funded so many of our uh, operations in the Ukraine, in Russia, in Israel, because he loves to wine, dine, and pocket line politicians because then they're in his back pocket. So he's been spared from the sanctions list, even though he's used a network of banks, law firms, and advisors in different countries and invested billions of dollars in American hedge funds. So the Biden administration doesn't want to impose financial sanctions on him, although they should. Zelensky has said, no, 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 no. He's our courier. He's our courier. And actually, Vladimir Putin, he's one of Putin's best friends. And, uh, you know, there are oligarchs in Israel. A lot of people don't realize that in a nation of 8 million people. There are about eight oligarchs there who control most of the business. And he's one of them. Why does Abramowitz get a pass? What is this about the fact that certain of the oligarchs get a pass and others have everything taken from them? Uh, Their mansions, their yachts any of the holdings, whatever it is that has created wealth for them, they have taken from them. And what some people may say is actually an an illegal way when they haven't been charged with any crimes, the government is just taking their resource. Do you know that we had an oligarch for years? I asked the question before about how many of you put arm and hammer baking soda in your refrigerators and freezers, and why do you do that? 
Or maybe some of you have noticed that family members or friends, uh, they do that when you open up their refrigerator. You see a box opened of Arm and Hammer baking soda. Why is that a fixture in American refrigerators? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Why is that? I want you to think about that. Think about that and try to connect the dots as to something that you commonly saw in refrigerators, a box of open arm and hammer baking soda, not a large box. But why would it be in there and why would some families replace it every month? Our number is 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Rick in Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Rick. Good morning, Curtis, or the Hawk. So listen, Curtis, I think Frank inadvertently or mistakenly, I'm not sure if those are the same word, um, let, let it slip what your name of the show is. Well, what? He, he, you mean he dropped? The name? I think so. I think so. He, he was talking to somebody, and he said, well, why don't you call Curtis on his new, newly branded show, Another Side of Midnight. Wow. That's what he said. Now, the thing is, that's, listen, first of all, it's not the name I gave you, and I'm not selling your, your hat back because I love the hat. But it, it, it actually makes sense. It's another, which is a other, so it plays on the other, but it means an additional other side. So it kind of makes sense. But he just said, another side of midnight. I said, oh, man, he didn't pick my name. So that's how I know. But wait a second. Loose lips sink ship. So, Rick, (laughs) here it is. Management delegated him the responsibility because he's the golden child, what they say, the future of talk radio. They allowed him and him alone to look at the 382 suggestions for a new name that he insisted on when he had a hissy fit two weeks ago and said, I don't want Curtis's program called Another Side of Midnight, the weekend edition. And you mean no, to no, tell no, no. me? The, the other. He doesn't want the other side. He, now he wants another side. Wow. Wow. So you know, he, which means an additional other side and other. You know. Well, now nothing has been said to me. No, no, but I think it was a Freudian slip. A Freudian slip. Now you know, <laughs> you, you know, Freud, Freud used a lot of cocaine in his life. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and died of cigar, died of throat cancer from cigars. You know, that's right, Rick. Rick, thank you for ratting out Frank. No, I didn't rat him out. No, no. <laughs> Listen, I love you both. I'm not ratting. I'm just telling you the truth. And wait, 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 but, but wait, 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 Rick. You know. It's like when you're dating and you haven't committed, you're not engaged, and you're not married to a... I'm playing a, the field, Curtis. I'm playing the field. I know, but you love one more than the other. Who do you love uh, more? Who do you love more? Come on. Me. What? That's who I love more. But no, no, I, listen. Wait, I wait, wait. You, wait. you, 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 you self-pleasurize? You, you love yourself? Rick, Rick, come on. you got to make a choice. It's either me or Frank that you love more. Oh, you can't You can't do that. That's not right. It's like, it's like saying who you love most, your mother or your father. That's not right. Come on. Well, I love look, sons, it depends on the day. Hold now. on, now you dug yourself a hole. Uh, oh, well, sons do. love their mothers more, and daughters love their fathers more. You know that, Rick. Well, I think, well, in Italians. No, no, yeah. I, I think that's in all cultures. Is it? Is it? Okay. I Daddy's it little girl. Italian, yeah. Daddy's a little girl, right? She that's can do true. no wrong. That's true. That's Mommy's true. little boy, Mama Luke, he can do no wrong. Yeah, but now, now you're, am I supposed to choose who's the feminine and who's the male in between you and Frank? No, you guys are both uh, pretty masculine. 
Wait a second. When you're talking about whether a guy Apparently is... I'm a, a woman. What was that again? Hold on a second. Apparently I'm right. a woman. Oh, Ted Cruz is trying to muscle in on this. Did you hear? I, I decide that I didn't know what right that was. now that... Could I decide I was an Asian man? <laughs> try, to, try to bum rush us. I decide right now that, that I'm a woman. Well, Apparently I'm a woman. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you see how the algorithm works, Rick? Yeah, I do. You mentioned whether you had to decide who is the female and who is the male, let's say, in choosing between me and Frank. And all of a sudden, the algorithm kicks in, and it's Ted Cruz in the cross-examination of Judge Justice who couldn't describe what a woman was. Wait, wait, you're saying that there's something listening to us and then jumping automatically? We're being monitored by a machine? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, well, let me let me describe, okay? Okay. Uh I can't, I'm going to use your verbiage. If I were to choose between you or Frank, it's like choosing between a woman and a man. I decide right now that that I'm a woman. See that? Wow. Wow. It's all algorithms now. You see? It's all. Technology, yeah. Yeah, it's all algorithms. This is incredible. It's artificial intelligence. You know, Elon Musk has warned us that the world will now be dictated by artificial intelligence. I was listening to an interview that Frank Morano was doing, the best of the other side of midnight, which I objected to being played right after Sliwa and Wiener, which was earlier on Saturday from 2 to 4. Yeah, I listened to both of you. Yeah, I listened to both of you. But actually it was an excellent interview he had on a British uh, gentleman who is talking about how if you depend on artificial intelligence eventually those with artificial intelligence will turn on their handlers and destroy them sure as soon as they realize they exist right so just simply mentioning the difference between Could I decide i was an asian man oh god see that <laughs> apparently i'm a woman god rick <laughs> This is really spooky. Yeah, I yeah, decide right now that, right. that I'm a woman. Now, obviously, this was said days ago when Ted Cruz was uh, uh, questioning uh, Justice Jackson, who couldn't figure out how to describe a woman. But, uh, wow, this keeps coming up. Apparently, I'm a woman. Could I decide I was an Asian man? <laughs> <laughs> it comes automatically. I decide right now scary, that, that I'm a woman. And, in fact, Izzy, Dizzy Izzy here, our board up, is staring, and he's looking at all, you know, because they got so many digitalized uh, uh, accoutrements on the board in terms of, and he's he's got his hands up in the air. He's not doing anything. <laughs> ah, I'm telling you. Apparently, I'm a woman. Could they program that against you, Curtis? They could. You know? They could. We have a guy here, Dan. I've described him as our chief engineer. Dan, the man who oftentimes is uh, out at Lodi, which is where our Tower of Power is. That yeah, puts out that the, right, and right next to it, as you know, is the strip club from uh, yeah. from the Sopranos. Bada Bing, the tiny, the tiniest good club I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, Bada Bing, and he does. Yeah. Uh, he claims he does a lot of work while in Bada Bing, getting lap dances and Brumskis. But but he has triggered now because he's in the strip club getting lap dances and Brumskis, artificial intelligence, which monitors the tower that suggests that he's actually working. 
How do you like that? <laughs> you see <laughs> these engineers, they know, you know, most average. Hey, Curtis, you did the same thing, though, didn't, didn't you used to break in during uh, Art Bell? Yeah, I took over uh, his yeah. broadcast, and the Lodi Police Department surrounded the uh, the brick building that's attached to the uh, large tower in Lodi and had their guns drawn because I was inside broadcasting from there. Yeah, in case of a federal emergency, that has been uh, determined to be the radio station that would put out the emergency signals from that pillbox. And it was actually a violation of a federal law that I was in there. Oh, no, no kidding. Oh, caused all kinds of problems. They threatened the license of WABC at that time that was owned by Disney. Uh, I almost got fired as a result of that, but everybody said, oh, Curtis, he didn't grow up reading Popular Mechanics. He would have no idea how to break into that <laughs> pillbox and adjust, you know, all the modulators. Yeah, you're like MacGyver. You're a MacGyver of New York. Come on. Yeah, I, I escaped. Boy, that, that came very close uh, to WABC losing the license that they've had for close to 100 years. Next year is our 100th anniversary. When we uh, debuted as WJZ in Newark, owned by Westinghouse, and then eventually became WABC, I jeopardized all of that. But everybody, when they looked at me, they said, this guy is a Luddite. He knows nothing about technology. There, there you go. And that protected you, didn't it? Oh, I got over on them like a play, fat rat. Play dumb and always deny. Dumb. Never, they, they, always gave me my, they gave me my cell phone and they said, can you program this cell phone? And I had no what's idea. A cell, what's a cell phone? Yeah, what's a cell phone? Yeah, yeah I, I had a flip that. phone. I had a flip yeah. phone. Everybody else had these fancy schmancy cell phones. I had a flip phone. Listen, whenever I'm in trouble, I play the idiot. And it always works. It does in court. It really does. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm a dummy. I don't know what I was doing. And the judge will always defer to you if you actually speak to the judge, uh, whether it's a male or a female, and you say, Judge, I really don't understand what my defense attorney is saying. I don't understand what the prosecutor is saying. And believe it or not, the judge then has to defer to you. And uh, that's how oftentimes I've avoided doing some serious time. Oh, I know. I don't know why I'm here, Judge. Yeah, well, you can't really say that. Then, 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 then the judge thinks you're playing with them. No, what you can say is, Judge, I was listening intently to what you and counsel said when you brought them over. They call it to the sidebar to have a discussion. I, right. re- I really didn't understand the language. Look, I, I'm a high school dropout. I, I, I'd really like to help in the defense. My attorney is doing as good a job as uh, she is able to do, and all of a sudden. The judge, based on their judicial training, will start deferring to you. And the prosecutors go nuts. <laughs> they go nuts. <laughs> and so what are you talking about? That's Curtis Lewa. He leads an organization in 13 countries and 130 cities. He knows what he's doing. And then I just beg, you know, and I say, uh, well, I know about uh, organizing patrols and dealing with public safety, but I know nothing about the law judge. Uh, you know, my mom always wanted me to be a lawyer, but I got kicked out of high school. And the judge actually said, really, you got kicked out? And then they asked me to tell the story in open court. <laughs> and then they feel sorry for me. This is yeah, clean for a day. Right. Yeah. Even though I deserved being kicked out of school. <laughs> no, yeah, Curtis, you know how to play the system, and that's oh, why we love always you, you know? defer, always throw yourself at the mercy of the judge or justice. All they want to know 
is that you know they're in charge. This is It's always like when a cop arrests you out in the street. Don't start arguing with the cop. Never. All he or she wants you to be able to extend to them is that they're in charge. And believe it or not. A little courtesy goes a long way with the cop. Oh, yeah. Believe it or not, they put you in the back of the squad car. They ride you to the station. You know, you're very apologetic. I'm sorry, police officer. I, I really lost my temper there. You know, I don't know what came over me. I normally am not like that. Boy, you guys really handled this well. I realize you could have jammed me up big time. You know, by the time you get to the police station, they tell the Sarge, this guy's not really a bad guy. I just think he had a bad hair day. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Absolutely. But if you're defiant, if you're belligerent, you know, uh, F you, you know, Black Lives Matter. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, Forget yeah, it. Yeah, you're no, looking no, like no. triple life without parole. Uh, one time I picked up a hitchhiker and we're driving down the road and we get pulled over and all that. And before the cop even gets to my car, he sticks his head out the window and starts going, F you, pigs, F you. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I didn't even know who this guy was. And I'm in major trouble now, you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that reminds me of all the times that I've hitchhiked. People would be speeding down an interstate at night. Because back then when I was organizing the Guardian Angels all over the country, I was barnstorming at times. I had no money. So I would tell the local people who had invited me, just drop me off at the interstate late at night, and I'll hitch. They say, hitch? First of all, it's illegal on an interstate. Number two, how are they even going to see you? They're going like 65, 75, 80 miles an hour. And I'd stand there, and in my red sateen jacket and my red beret, they'd see me. And then all of a sudden, occasionally they pull over like a mile down, and i go running after the car. And a person would roll down the way. Curtis, what the hell are you doing out here? What does it look like I'm doing? I'm hitching. I need to get to such and such a place. Well, I can take you a third of the way and drop you off at the next exit. I said, pal, whatever you can do, I'd be most appreciative. How many of you have ever been driving along the road and watched Curtis Lewa hitchhiking and didn't choose to pick me up because you didn't think it was me? In my red beret and red sateen jacket. And what about some of you who actually picked me up and you were like, Goma Pyle going, golly, surprise, surprise, surprise. It really is Curtis Lewa hitchhiking at 3 o'clock in the morning on I-85. Make that I-80. Right out of Patterson, New Jersey. Right into the belly of the beast. one 800 A lot of murder going on in the Ukraine. The Russians, who seem to be held at bay, are continuing in some neighborhoods to go door-to-door. There's street battles galore. You have the Ukrainians fending them off. You have militia groups, and you have a lot of foreigners, including Americans. It's like a Ukrainian foreign legion, about 16,000, who have joined the Ukrainians in stemming the tide of the Russians who thought they were going to just sweep through the Ukraine. By the way, uh, we talked about oligarchs, and the oligarch who sort of paved the way was an American. His name was Armand Ham. And what association, if any, did he have with Arm and Hammer, the baking soda, ladies and gentlemen? That's the trivia question that I ask you. And uh, if you're able to determine what, if any, role Armand Hammer, best friend that uh, Lenin and Stalin ever had, and Roosevelt, he became a courier. 
although he was a lifelong communist and yet a huge capitalist who owned Occidental Petroleum, which was the very firm that Al Gore's father, senator of Tennessee, had stock in, and Al Gore had stock in. A capitalist who was a communist seems to have been an oxymoron. The story of Armand Hammer and what, if any, role did he have in the product that so many of you would put every month in your refrigerator or freezer, Arm and Hammer baking soda, and the symbol on the Arm and Hammer box, did it have any relationship to the communist symbol on the flag? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Johnny in Jersey City. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Johnny. Good morning there. You know, I, I, I want to call up and speak about the refugee situation coming from Ukraine to the United States. But you just mentioned this last part, and I want to get to that. But as far as Arm and Hammer, that is a very interesting relationship because in the earlier years, uh, he was the only Jewish uh, entrepreneur that was allowed to have a residence, an apartment, in in Russia. And because of the extreme amount of ammonium nitrate, I guess it was a compa- compound that was in uh, Armour and Hammond baking soda that we're talking about, he had very special privileges there. Whether or not Russia, the Russian government, you know, allowed it, I can't believe he wasn't tapped his phones or anything, but he, he had an extreme, Russians didn't allow too many Americans to have easy access in and out of Russia. Well, interesting, uh, Johnny, he was uh, an American, as you mentioned, uh, from the Ukraine, Odessa, uh, who lived in the Bronx, whose father lived in the Bronx, uh, in fact, had a series of drugstores. His father was a card-carrying communist. Uh, who was arrested for doing a backroom abortion, ended up doing a few years of time for that. But his son, Armin Hammer, was actually given the right to produce every pencil in the old Soviet Union. Every pencil was produced uh, by a factory where nobody else could produce pencils, which we don't think of a pencil as being very important now, Johnny. But remember back then when we were kids, we would have pencils in school, accountants would have pencils, everybody would have pencils with erasers. Yeah, the Dixon Pencil Factory in downtown Jersey City, I'm very familiar with. But, uh, but I, I want to get to the, the issue of um, Ukraine immigrants. It, I was going to bring it up last week, but I couldn't get in. Now I heard John Casamitidis this week bring it up, and boy was he on target. Uh, the president wants to allow 100,000 supposedly immigrants from the Ukraine. And that's, that's considered as a million or two million, or maybe three million in Poland, in Czechoslovakia, and a lot of the Eastern European states. I wonder, and he says, well, I wonder why he's not allowing more. I do. If you bring over a million, Ukraine immigrants, boy, would that be a pleasure. Everyone you hear speak, for the most part, have some command of the English language. You don't have to pay for any special uh, teachers in the United States when they come over because every, every community, if they have a certain percentage of an immigrant population, they have to support it with certain language uh, qualifications. 
Can you imagine 50,000? Well, let's say we put 500,000 in New Jersey, 500,000 in New York, and 500,000 in Pennsylvania. New York, 50,000 immigrants in Greenpoint. 50,000 immigrants in the old part of Arthur Avenue or the old Irish part of the Bronx. 50,000 in the Weequake section of Newark. 50,000 in the North Valesburg section of Newark. 50,000 in downtown Jersey City, the old Italian Polish area. And connecting with that, you throw another 50,000 over to Elizabeth. Can you imagine? There won't be no Senator Menendez. Senator Booger, he'll be looking for another job. Pennsylvania, you could throw another 50,000 in the outside area, the old area where uh, uh, Rizzo used to have another Italian say, What a difference this country would be. You'd be back to the 50s, opening up your doors, and the Ukraine population in New York State. Imagine giving every Ukraine immigrant that comes over $15,000. You know what they would do? They wouldn't spend it on themselves. You get four of them in a room, they'd be to open up a business. You'll be able to eat off their sidewalks. They'll have this, basically the same morality and faith. And boy, what a different country this would be in a matter of five years. Well, the biggest uh, benefit would be to the uh, GOP because many of them would register as Republicans when they were able to vote. Because right now, uh, Ukrainians and Republicans who live here in America tend to be overwhelmingly uh, Republican. The only problem you have, uh, Johnny, in your configuration is uh, the Ukraine, like Russia, like Belarus, uh, as I've met with many people who've transferred here to America to do exactly what you've said, high levels of uh, white-collar corruption. High levels, Johnny. Well, you know something? I don't know if you bring any nomination over to this country that you're going to have some downfall. And I agree with you. I'll leave you with one thought. You know, you brought up years, well, a couple of weeks ago, about the Bayonne Bleeder. Yeah, Chuck Webner, once again. Okay, okay. In 1974, I lived in the same apartment complex with him. There was a brand-new apartment complex down at the end of Bayonne. It used to be where an old chemical factory was, an old Mariner's Bar. And they built this new development, about three floors. I was in on the beginning. He lived upstairs, and he had his uh, Lincoln Continental out front with the word champ written on the license plates. And, and the reason why I know about it, there was a, a couple of airline stewardesses up there. I had dated one of them uh, one night, and he must have had some connection with a couple of them. They got thrown out, but I remember before I left there, I went downstairs one day, and all the people were marking. He had his Lincoln. They had special park. Uh, parking spots for everybody. Well, he had Champ written on the license plate. Somebody was putting a U on it. Now, whether they ever completed it and all, (laughs) it wasn't the nicest of things to do. But I never met him. But I know he was like a floor up from me in in that place. Today, he probably wouldn't live there. Uh, It's it's a lot of Section 8 people have moved in. And, they, you know, they take a lot of government. When I moved in, forget about it. You had to come up with cash. Right, but think about that, Johnny, how gutsy to try to put a U where the A was because that would say chump. Yeah. And imagine if Chuck Webner caught you putting that on his license plate. 
I said that. I, I said I hope it wasn't just a bad situation with the airlines, Lewis. But did she she did fly without the plane a lot of the time. So, uh, <laughs> well, I will tell you this, Johnny. Uh, to uh, Frank Morano's credit, he does great interviews. He had an interview with Chuck Weppner, the Bayonne Bleeder, one of the best ever done. Uh, Chuck was very revealing, very open, very funny, very charismatic. He was. Didn't show any punch-drunk syndrome at all. And, you know, he had been hit with not only punches, but two-by-four sticks, pipes. Uh, and he is the basis of what motivated uh, Stallone to write the Rocky script. It was all about Chuck Wepner. Now, you're exactly right. And uh, he's still in Bayonne, I believe. He's probably in one. I can't believe he's still in that facility. He's probably, Bayonne has another upscale development areas that I suspect he still has a Lincoln I understand with a V12 on it and he hands out calling cards with his name on and from what I understand he's very personable oh he is and by the way interesting uh, that when you watch the uh, Rocky Balboa movie how Don uh, Don King is in a great to be American the boxing promoter was looking for the great white dope meaning great white hope I know uh, that he was uh, chosen to be the great white dope to uh, fight Muhammad Ali because he had been a bouncer, not much of a professional fighter. He took it to Ali. I mean, he took it. He almost, he got close enough, he almost knocked the guy out. You know, imagine if he had knocked Muhammad Ali out, a guy who had been a bouncer in Bayonne. I, I, I'll leave you with one thought because I know you get down to other people. My cousin calls me one night, and he, he had some problem with, taking too many pills because of physical ailments he has. So he says, Johnny, he says, I hear about this green tea that's advertised on a show at night. What do you know about it? I said, I don't know. I said, I guess it's some form of Axlax, you know, uh, with something like that. He says, I think I'm going to try it. So he, he tries it, and all of a sudden I don't hear from him a while. He calls me one time, and I said, what's wrong? He said, well, the stuff works great. But he walks around with male diapers in, and at work, and he walks off the piers, there's a sign inside the bathroom. Do not close windows. <laughs> and, and I said, well, I said, I guess there's some good sides to the green tea. But uh, I, I laughed. But, you know, it worked. It's just that there was some downsides to it. Wow. No, no, no. Great, 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 great recall, Johnny. Great recall also of one of the greatest fighters of all time, the Bayonne Bleeder, Chuck Webner. Great interview by Frank Morano. I'll never forget that. One of the best of all time. That's when Frank Morano shines. Now, when he's talking about his own fighting prowess, <laughs> Armand Hammer. Did he actually, though, create the Armand Hammer baking soda that so many of you put into your refrigerators and freezers? On that note, let's go to Ted in Forest Hills. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ted. Yeah, thanks. Um, it's put in the in the refrigerators to uh, quell the aroma of the refrigerated cheeses and things. Yes, you're absolutely correct. But what if any linkage is there to Armand Hammer, who was the courier between the Soviet Union, between Lenin and Stalin, uh, FDR, the other American presidents? And even Israel, where Menachem Begin eventually nominated nominated him for a Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, he got me there. Uh, I got coming up to zero. 
See, that's, that's interesting that you would be so forthcoming in acknowledging that you did not know the connection between uh, Armand Hammer and the Armand Hammer baking soda that, let's face it, a lot of Americans have kept in their refrigerator, and some had no idea why they would do that, almost like habit every uh, month. They get an Arm & Hammer uh, box of baking soda, open up the top, and put it in their refrigerator. Right. That's it. I'm still trying to figure out who uh, uh, Jay Diamond is. He was on the radio here a couple of years ago, but I he left. I don't know why he's so famous. Oh, because he did an extraordinary uh a uh, number of uh, he would mimic and would uh, literally transform himself into characters like he could do a Mario Cuomo that if you if you hadn't known he was going to do it and you just happened to tune in, you would think it was Mario Cuomo on the air or Al Slim Shady Sharpton or any number of others. Him and Brian Whitman, uh, who also used to be on here at WABC before he went out to uh, Los Angeles to be on the radio there, were the two best ever at uh, imitating others and pulling it off to the point where you actually thought they were who they were. Al Gore, Brian Whitman would do Al Gore and Michael Jackson, and you thought for sure that was the real deal. Thank you very much. God bless you. God is blessed. Thank you. Thank you, Ted, who answered part of the riddle that I created about the arm and hammer box of baking soda and what its relationship was to the first oligarch in America, Armand Hammer, who owned Occidental Petroleum, one of the largest oil companies in the world that Al Gore's father had ownership of, a U.S. Senator from Tennessee and Al Gore himself. They weren't the majority owners. Armand Hammer was. And yet he was a card-carrying communist. Figure out that. Anyway, let's go to Karen, who's calling from Rockland County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Karen. Hello. A belated happy birthday, fellow, fellow Pisces. Thank you. Although I'm not Pisces, I'm Aries. Oh, no, that's right. It's Aries now. I, I always forget when I'm that not, is. I'm not, a, not, I'm not upesh. I'm not anchovies. I'm not a fish. <laughs> I thought you liked fish. I do. I love anchovies. <laughs> Even though that grosses some people out, I love anchovies. Oh, yeah, I, see, I can't eat fish. I'm allergic to fish. Oh, oh. Uh, you know, one of the ladies, uh, one of the many ladies that I was with, uh, apparently would never eat fish. And I said, why Why do you have an aversion to fish? Do you have an allergy? Because some people have allergies. She goes, no, I remember as a a, a, a a young child, about four or five, my father bought a fish with the head still on it. And they cooked it. And from that moment on, whenever I would even think about fish, I would be squeamish, even if it was just a tuna fish sandwich, and she would never eat fish in any capacity. <laughs> you know, it's funny, speaking about fish, fish heads always reminded me of my grandfather, you know, the way he the way he ate. He always looked like, uh, you know, like a fish. I said, don't, don't, don't do that. Yep. It was crazy. Yep. And it's, and it's funny, I'm, I'm buying tilapia now for my... Uh, uh, boyfriend from this one place that I go to now, and he seems to love it. And I was talking to a friend of mine about them. She says, oh, I can't eat tilapia because 
says like anything from the uh, ocean. I said, well, that's where all fish come from. I don't know. You want to get it from a you know food store? Oh, fish, <laughs> fish, fish, upesh. The night of the seven fishes. Remember the tradition for Italians. Anyway, let's go to Bert. Was apparently calling from Liev. Uh, we just spoke to him uh, a day ago, in which it seemed it was relatively peaceful. I see they've been bombing the hell out of you today, Bert. Yeah, hey there, Curtis. What happened? Wow. What happened? I think after our conversation, I think you were uh, you were talking about, um, you know, after a few hours after we spoke, yeah. Yeah, the, it was um, either it was either that or it was uh, our president Joe Biden saying. It's time uh, to uh, re to uh, that it, uh, Putin cannot remain in power, and that was like yeah. signaling regime change. And you know Putin; he's watching all these speeches. He probably yeah, just yeah. said, "Let's light up Liev because it's near Poland." <laughs> yeah. He might have heard heard me. I don't know if I called for his ousting, you know, on our telephone call. But um, yeah, that was kind of um, kind of strange, huh? Well. So uh, explain. Uh, Bert, what exactly did they hit? Because uh, in all the newscasts here, it makes it seem like all of a sudden uh, you are the new uh, Mario Pole. Yeah, well, they hit um, from what um, I saw were some fuel storage um, tanks. Some, yeah, mostly there was big fire because I, I heard the, the explosions. You know, you 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 cannot hear them or feel them, and it looks like they're trying to bomb. Places like that where they're holding um, fuel or ammunition, um, and there's a lot of places like that around here. So it's um, it, it might just be just to be annoying, to scare the people, or to show some kind of power because our president was um, nearby. Um, so yeah, hopefully it doesn't turn into that into a Mario Pole, but because um, if it does, it's gonna be it's gonna be horrific. Well, you know, uh, I was uh, talking, promoting what I'm going to be talking about in a few hours. The reason that I believe that uh, Putin has uh, focused so much of his uh, uh, military resource on Mariupol to smash it to smithereens is that's where that controversial battalion is housed, the Azov Battalion, and I've seen yeah. uh, some films of them, and they they seem to be about as close to Nazis as you can get. Yep, yep, yep. So, yeah, so how, do, um, how do they deal with them in the Ukraine? Because if, if you listen to some, they say, oh, they're no fascists there at all. And then obviously Putin makes it seem like everybody's a fascist in the Ukraine. But this particular unit in Mariupol, they actually have swastikas on. You know, it's um, it's it's completely crazy that anybody would say it's uh it's full of Nazis here, just like any other, I guess, country, even in ours, um, that um, you see some these groups that are, I guess, these white supremacists or Nazi groups. You know, they deal with them. They um, they they handle it, but it's nothing like they're in control of something or they're um, not even so intimidating that um, that it's um, you know that people are people are scared of them. But um, it's um, you know like like any other country that has these um, crazy groups, you know, and, um, but it's nothing like that. What he's been saying about Nazis here and this and that, it's um, really, it's not that kind of, um, kind of society here.
Now, Bert, as uh, an American who grew up in Fairfield County, uh, married a Ukrainian woman and uh, moved there, could easily have left uh, with your American passport, but you chose to stay. I asked you a question uh, hours ago, and I ask it again, because with the technological superiority that the Russians have, uh, they are experts in cyber warfare. I am amazed that they have not tried to knock out your ability and everybody else's ability to speak on cell phones, uh, to get your uh, Ukrainian TV broadcasts, uh, to even knock out uh, Zelensky's ability to speak to the world uh, by Zoom and other uh, methods. Uh, I have yet to figure that out. Uh, I know you approached this subject uh, yesterday. You basically said you felt he wanted to keep... Uh, communication open, but have you given it any further thought why he wouldn't just knock you guys right off the grid? Again, um, just like I expressed um, earlier, it's, um, yeah, you think about it, why wouldn't he do that? I was even expecting it, as a lot of people I'm sure were. And again, it's what I can see, it's likely to keep tabs on everything. You know, um, if you knock out everything, um, it would be difficult for him to um, gather intelligence, you know, um, and he, he probably wants to know the, the, the how people are communicating because it's probably just for a strategic, a strategic pur- purpose for intelligence. And um, I'm sure he can, but um, it might make his situation even worse, you know. But um, that's the only thing I, um, I can surmise that um, if he does destroy everything, communications, it might hurt him too. Now, Bert, so, um, uh, Bert uh, final question uh, before we go. The big uh, debate here in the United States uh, amongst uh, Democrats and Republicans, the question has been if, in fact, Donald Trump had been reelected president of the United States, you as an American there, you in the eye of the storm right there in Liev, do you think that uh, if Vladimir Putin would have invaded the country that you're raising a family in? No, like I think, like many um, people um, have um, opined, is that it, it wouldn't have happened, you know, because um, a lot of people criticized um, um, Donald Trump because of his. Um, they thought he was buddy buddy with Putin, but it was, I guess, I think it was um, uh, Donald Trump's way of um, being in control. You know, um, uh, it wasn't because he was um, in favor of. Um, of, of Russia or Putin, he was being, in my opinion, smart about it. He, I, I don't believe he he would have invaded. No, he would have just waited and waited, and perhaps there might have been a solution to all this Crimea and all this um, Donbas area. But no, I, he, he, I doubt he would have invaded, and um, he would have Trump would have kept them under control. I, I believe. So um, yeah, but now he saw a chance, and he went. He invaded, and um, we see what's happening now. So, hey, he seems to be stymied. But I just want to thank you again for calling in from Liev, the city uh, that's furthest west, close to Poland, where today uh, you uh, really took it uh, right on the jaw. The Russians decided yeah, yeah. to uh, uh, rain death and destruction on your fuel depots and other facilities there, and. The question is, uh, was it because of our conversation 24 hours ago or 
Was it because the president of the United States, who has now returned to Washington, D.C., said outside of the Warsaw Palace that Putin cannot remain in power? And let's face it, that was the city closest to Poland. Uh, Bert seems to think it was our conversation. I seem to think it was another misspeak by the ever misspoken, our president, Joe Biden, who always has to have the White House follow up behind him and say, no, he really didn't mean that. This is what he really meant. Uh, Oofa! Oh, electricity, the costs are going up. The cost of fuel, home heating fuel oil, and all petroleum products. Later on today when I return, uh, after I join Chris Hahn and uh, Left versus Right from 3 to 5, that's after I'm attending the St. Patrick's Day Parade in Bay Ridge with my son Anthony who will be bringing his bagpipes, desperately trying to play his bagpipes, speak Gaelic, and fly an Irish flag. I have no idea. He doesn't have a drop of Irish in him, and yet he is, like, uh, immersed in Irish uh, mythology, Irish history, Irish tradition, and their language, the Gaelic language. That's why you got to watch and listen to our podcast. It's at WABCRadio.com with all the other great podcasts of Father and Son featuring uh, Anthony, Anthony, and Curtis. In fact, Rudy Giuliani, uh, who was at uh, a diner with me earlier before the Bayside uh, St. Patrick's Day Parade, as we were there to support his son, Andrew, running for the governorship, getting signatures so he could qualify to run in the Republican primary. Even he said, hey, I noticed uh, on your podcast you, you refer to Anthony as Anthony. Oh, yeah. Rudy listens to all those podcasts, too. He also listens to Frank Morano's Mob Podcast. And always has a critique about it because, let's face it, nobody put more mobsters choking on their lobsters behind bars, including the five heads of the families of the organized crime, than Rudy Giuliani, the Gambinos, the Genovese, the Bananos, the Columbus, the Lucases. The only ones he missed were the Cuomo crime family and the Clinton crime family. But anyway, uh, those days have passed. We are talking about not just energy and foodstuffs. The prices are skyrocketing. But the so-called pressure that is being applied on oligarchs that have been uh, loyal and have been the very best friends of Vladimir Putin and why some are having sanctions imposed upon them and others are sanction-free like Abramov who is a Russian-Israeli uh, billionaire, best friend of Vladimir Putin, and Zelensky himself made an appeal and said, no sanctions for Abramovich, because he is our courier. He is our go-between. He actually uh, brings communications back and forth between the Ukraine and the Kremlin and Israel that is trying to act as a moderator between both countries and the United States. That's why they have not seized any of his holdings and properties. And I referred you back to our own country, in which the first oligarch in the world was Armand Hammer. It was not an Israeli, 
was not a Ukrainian, not anyone from Belarus, not anyone from Mother Russia. It was Armand Hammer, who was the son of Julius Hammer. Julius Hammer came over from the Ukraine. He was from Odessa. Odessa at one point had the uh, third most number of Jews in their uh, urban population. Uh, third only, and this is before, obviously, uh, WW2 and the Holocaust. Third only to New York, Warsaw and Poland. That population was depleted by the Holocaust. And then there was Odessa in the Ukraine, right near Crimea. So he came from there and uh, immigrated to the Bronx and opened up pharmacies and uh, had a medical supply uh, house. He was a card-carrying communist. There was an embargo against Russia, the Soviet Union, because of the revolution by Lenin. People don't realize there was an embargo then against all products coming out of the Soviet Union. And yet... The father of Armand Hammer, Julius Hammer, was trying to deal and do business with the old Soviet Union. When you walked into his pharmacy, he had the following slogans on the wall. First of all, it said Lenin's birthday was April 22nd, 1870. And big birthday, like my birthday, March 26, 1954. Imagine my picture there and my birthday. Well, Vladimir Lenin, not John Lennon, the Beatle, Vladimir Lenin. And then it had his slogans on the wall. The capitalists will sell us the rope with which we will hang them. This guy was a capitalist. And then trust is good, control is better. Is better. What a what an unusual guy. Sort of reminds me of that movie. Remember with Warren Beatty? No, not Shampoo, the bomb of the movie, but Reds. Remember, he was all pumped up, all energized as an American, wanted to go over there and help Vladimir Lenin and the Bolsheviks. Remember, the Bolsheviks here, that was a dirty word in the United States. Workers of the world united to class struggle. Remember that movie, Reds? How many of you remember Warren Beatty in Reds? It romanticized the old Soviet Union of Vladimir Lenin and Joe Stalin, who eliminated Trotsky, his competitor, when he tracked him down to Mexico City and one of his apparatchiks put an axe in the back of his head. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So Armand Hammer's father, Julius Hammer, was threatened with deportation, like a lot of Russians were after the revolution. And uh, all of a sudden, Julius Hammer gets caught in the back room of his pharmacy, conducting an illegal abortion, and he got three years in Sing Sing in Asini. And in, while in Sing Sing, he gets a letter from the Soviet Union mission in which the ambassador says that they're in need of drugs that need to be sent to Russia because of this embargo. So uh, Armand Hammer's father gets out of Sing Sing after three years and begins to transport drugs illegally, we're talking about pharmaceutical drugs, not illegal drugs, to the old Soviet Union, 
And in return, he ends up developing a ginger extract from the Soviet Union, where if you applied alcohol to it, it could knock you on your toches. And this was in the middle of Prohibition. J. Edgar Hoover, who was only 26, the FBI had not yet been started, was part of the Justice Department, and his job was to follow subversives, one of whom was Armand Hammer's father, Julius Hammer. He convinced him to be a courier for the United States to go back and forth with the Soviet Union. And his company in Russia was taken over by the KGB. And from that moment on, Julius Hammer understood that whether you're a capitalist or a communist, the language that everyone understood around the world was money. Just wine him, dine him, and pocket line him. So he got involved with bribery and money laundering. Vladimir Lenin awarded him the asbestos contract for all of the asbestos coming out of the Ural Mountains. He had exclusive ownership of asbestos that he actually had brought to America. And he was the only one who could produce the number two pencils in the old USSR. And Stalin gave him a Fabergé egg that he had stolen from the czars. It was unbelievable. And then he goes on to own Occidental Petroleum, one of the largest oil companies in America that Al Gore's father, who was a U.S. senator of Tennessee, had a stake in and Al Gore had a stake in. And that's because Armand Hammer developed contacts with Libya, Muammar Gaddafi. That gave OPEC control most of the oil coming into the United States, especially in the 60s and early 70s. Incredible. So Armand Hammer is then whining, dining, and pocket-lining everybody around the world. He's pocket-lining the communists in the old Soviet Union, including Khrushchev. He pocket-lined Richard Nixon. He was charged with giving illegal campaign contributions like uh, George Steinbrenner was found guilty of. And then Bush 41 pardoned him. And then he was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize by Menachem Begin because he was whining, dining, and pocket lining that leader in Israel. And then he gave Prince Charles a 747 to use to fly around the world and gave Prince Charles money. He understood the way to get to the heart of a capitalist or a communist was to grease him. But the question is, when did Armand Hammer actually get control of the Armand Hammer Baking Soda Company that had its boxes placed in so many of your refrigerators and ice boxes and freezers all across America? Because he didn't own and operate it at first. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And this is where uh, Frank Morano comes in and Rachel. Right before I ran for mayor, I was getting implants uh, put in uh, at a, a dental firm in Staten Island, not far from where Frank Morano and Rachel have their home. So Frank was good enough uh, after he would finish the other side of midnight to drive me out there, drop me off, and then I get my way back. So on one morning, we got there a little too early. So he goes, why don't you come over? Uh, Rachel is up. 
Uh, just get a cup of coffee or whatever, and then we'll go back when uh, the uh, implant uh, office opens up. And I said, okay. So I went over there, had a cup of coffee, and uh, they said, well, why don't you go to the refrigerator and get whatever you want to put in the coffee? And they had all these crazy creamers that I hate. And so I poured this stuff in there that I couldn't even recognize. I almost got sick, but I noticed the refrigerator was loaded with cheeses because Frank Morano loves room. Even had the Limburger cheese that I rep- I recognized from uh, the days when I'd be over at my Aunt Mary's house in Old Howard Beach with Uncle Steve. And Uncle Steve was Polish, and he loved Limburger cheese. Stunk up the joint, but it was uh, crumbly like uh, feta cheese, like the Greek cheese. But it would ripen from the outside in because the rind is the area that had the funk. And the reason that people liked eating Limburger cheese is they believed it was an aphrodisiac, even though it stunk up the joint. Who the hell would want to make love to you after you had just eaten Limburger cheese? So there was Limburger cheese in the Murano refrigerator, but there was no smell, none whatsoever. They had four boxes of arm and hammer baking soda in there, all opened up, absorbing the odors like odor eaters do in your shoes. So I have to give credit where credit is due. Frank Morano is a cheese lover, and as our mayor, Eric Adams, has said, a man who is very conscious about what he eats, he has said, eating cheese is worse than shooting heroin. That would make Frank a uh, addict for cheese, right? He's not. But oh God, what 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 I put, what I put in the that my coffee. It, it, it made me want to projectile vomit. And they drink that all the time over there at the Morano household. Rachel and Frank. I don't know what it is he put in that coffee there, but whatever it was. I got a chance to see the inside of that refrigerator. And even with all the cheese, all the cheeses I had never heard of, not one smell, four boxes of Arm & Hammer baking soda. But when did Arm & Hammer actually get control of a company that people thought was synonymous with him? Didn't happen until much later in his life. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Michael calling from his boudoir, his bedroom. Michael? Could Michael be sleeping? Oh, no. First, it was Mary, who I thought I'd put to sleep, although she was out feeding the feral cats. Uh, she bounced back. Now it is clearly the Weisenheimer, Michael, the wordsmith, who always likes to torture me uh, with his soliloquies. Now he's he's sleeping. Michael? My God. Snoring up a storm. Probably waking up everybody else in his apartment building. You know, some guys are like that. Some gals are like that. I tell that of my wife, Nancy. She snores up a storm. She doesn't believe it. I'm going to have to record her because it really does peel the wallpaper. Well, you had your chance, Michael, in your boudoir. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Francis, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Francis. Yes, Curtis. 
Whoa, 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 whoa. Why did you fall down there? I'm falling and I can't get up. No, no, Curtis, how are you? Listen, let me ask you something about the change of the logo of uh, the Midnight. Um, you know, the owl is one um, smart creature. Oh, yeah, owls. Uh, in fact, when I was a child in Ozone Park, my favorite uh, animal and bird was an owl. My mother would actually imitate the sounds of the owl. Who, who, who? Yes. And, you know, the, the owl, his head can turn 360 around. That's true. And it, yes. It's very alert. And his this is the only raptor that can fly in flight. Not like a pigeon, you can hear the wings flapping. It's stealth. And it catches any environment, any... And it's and you remind me of that. You're very alert. You're always watching. So I I, I put out a little slogan here: Sliwa, W A B C, the night owl that listens and reacts. Wow, that is so good. Especially I like that because that was my favorite bird. I loved owls as a child. You're right; they were not. They were nocturnal. They were up all night long, and they would grab bats, rats, mice, anything. Yes, and the thing is that the thing that what I'm saying, if you use this name, you have the owl with the shirt, you with the T-shirt, Guardian Angels, and a beret, a red beret. As a slogan. Oh, that is brilliant. In fact, remember that commercial, that PSA that was on uh, when we were kids? Give a hoot, don't pollute. Right. Correct. And they'd have the owl. The owl would be the uh, symbol of that whole PSA. Give a hoot, 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 don't pollute. Yes. So that way, I don't know who's going to choose this. If you couldn't... uh, Mention this to Morano or Castiglini, and this would be great because it, it, it's um, Sliwa, WABC, the night owl that listens and reacts. And owls are like that. They listen. That's true. I sure listen to uh, that plastic owl. Now, you know, if you look at a lot of the windowsills, particularly in Manhattan, they have plastic owls on them. The owners uh, of the apartment or the renters or the landlords or the superintendents put the owls up to ward away the pigeons because the pigeons will not come. It's like a scarecrow in the middle of a cornfield. The crows will not come. Others will put spikes. That's barbarian as it injures the pigeons. And now there's a move uh, afoot we'll be discussing in a few hours when my wife joins me for the Animal Welfare Hour, which is 12 midnight to 1 in the morning before I have to turn over the 50,000-powerful watts of sound to that Mameluk, that Mangaluch, that Mashad, Frank Morano. But there is a guy on 26th Street who is trying to eliminate all pigeons by having people sign petitions that would try to force the city to make New York City pigeon-free. Now, I know a lot of you, you think pigeons are nothing more than flying rats. But the other day, I think I I related the story on the uh, 
the overnight program on Friday going into Saturday that uh, there was an owner-operator of a house, uh, actually a tenement building right across the street from where I and Nancy are uh, 16 rescue cats in a 328-square-foot apartment on 87th off Central Park West. Uh, and he wanted to take pictures with me, a selfie, uh, him and his superintendent. And I said, uh, how long have you had the building? And he said, oh, I've had it eight years. I said, what's your biggest problem, especially after the pandemic and the lockdown? And he said, well, somebody is feeding pigeons on the block. And the pigeons, they post up on the windowsills. And then when they eliminate, it's acidic and it causes uh, harm to the look of the building. And I said, well, you're looking at him. You, Curtis, you, you feed the pigeons? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what about it? And then they took the coat of Omerta. They were shocked. We're going to be talking about that later on, but I love that, that the night out. The problem here is Frank Morano was given the task because he's considered the golden child now of WABC, dubbed the future of talk radio by the, by our owners and operators, uh, John and Margot Katsimatidis of our parent company, Red Apple Media. And so he's been given the sole responsibility of choosing the name for my program. And apparently it's Operation Hush, Hush, Mush, Mush. If you notice, uh, who was it earlier? Ray from New Jersey seemed to indicate that Frank's loose lips may have actually sunk his ship on this. I'm going to have to do a deep dive before I return with you uh, all at 9 p.m. tonight. But I'm very troubled by that, that we can't even get any of these great ideas. The Night Owl by Francis would be great. There's 382 suggestions that Frank was supposed to pile through and uh, sort of uh, go through and then come up with a name. He's failed to share that with me. But if you listen to Ray from New Jersey, apparently he's already made his decision. Let's go to the phones. And it's Debbie calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Debbie. Yeah, well, Curtis, look, I don't listen to light and, uh, late night things, but I happen to hear you ask about uh, this uh, baking soda, Arm and Hammer. Yes. Well, I have a box here, and they had told me to buy two, and I could be in a contest, but I only bought one. But actually, my husband picked it up for me. But listen up. You have to change it every 30 days. In your refrigerator. Also, it's good for uh, uh, indigestion. Um, if you have uh, a sour stomach, upset stomach, or a heartburn. Also, you can cook with it. You can make a, there was a recipe for fresh box for baking, and it had some cookies up there. So it's a, it, it, it's, it's a multiple thing. That's why it's probably, it was so popular. And Debbie, you can you can brush your teeth with baking soda. Yeah, you, you know what? I'm from Virginia, and sometimes when my mom used to, but listen up, I'm 79. When my mom would you know wouldn't have toothpaste, we would take this baking soda to clean our teeth with. Sure enough. Also, I have something else to tell you. Um, that's it. Oh, Mary, Mary, quite contrary. How does your garden grow with cocker shells and silver bells? and pretty maids all in a row. Now, I grew up a long time ago, years ago, and I remembered every little thing that the teacher taught me about, you know, rhyming and all that. And that's what's wrong with our kids. They don't know how to rhyme today. 
Rhyming helps you to learn how to read. Okay? Absolutely. Now, now, Debbie, when I mentioned the first lines, Mary, Mary, quite contrary, when I said that years ago, it was to, I'm trying to figure out which wife, number one, two, three, my third wife, Mary. (laughs) When I said that, Mary, Mary, quite contrary, she served me with divorce papers. Why? (laughs) You know what? There's a lady in my, in my, uh, I, I still work. I mean, I work at school. Do you know that? I'm almost 80. Wow. <laughs> but this is a lady from uh, Africa, and her name is Mary. I never could remember her African name and talk about the English name. So I would say, Mary, Mary, quite contrary. That's how I remember her name. Is that great? <laughs> now, you see, she appreciated so that. But what am I? Right. What am I? Go ahead. Right. One of my wives named Mary, who is the mother of Anthony, my oldest son. Uh, she took uh, offense to that and served me with divorce papers. Well, see, you. Well, well, the lady laughed at me. She said, "Wow, you have a poem about my name." So she was, <laughs> she was happy. Because I can remember her name. Why should I call her something else out of her name? Well, I want you, uh, Debbie, one last time, repeat that nursery rhyme that we grew up with. Okay. Mary, Mary, quite contrary. So she was a contrary. That means that she didn't agree with everything you said. (laughs) Yeah, that's Frank Murano. Yeah, how does your garden grow? With cockabells. And civil bells and pretty maids. That means probably pretty ladies all in a row. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but that's what I, I learned. I learned and I remembered every nursery rhyme that I was ever taught as a child. Okay? As because we we remembered it by saying it constantly at school. We used to sing when we came to school. It was beautiful. You know, and now I'm with a little uh, uh, kindergarten kid, but he's a special kid, and he's from Portugal. Well, not Portugal. He speaks Portuguese from Brazil, and I'm trying to help him until they situated him in a real school for him. But, uh, I mean, I didn't learn Portuguese yet, so he's learning my crazy English. <laughs> now, where in New yeah, Jersey so, Where in New Jersey do I'm you live, Debbie? Irvington. Irvington. Oh, okay. You well, know, you're not— yeah, you're not. You're not. What is she doing up at at seventy nine years old? <laughs> exactly. Now, do you listen? Do you listen to WABC often? I just started listening to that because I'm a Christian lady. I like to listen to Christian stuff, but lately I haven't been able to get my radio. You know how you have to you have to put on your radio uh, different. You, you push this one and you get this radio station. And when my electric went off for emergency, I don't know what happened. It messed up my radio because I had it all set and programmed. And now I, I have to find the instructions to, to know how to put it back together again. <laughs> well, so Debbie, that's how I'm picking you up. Debbie, let me make mention not far from you is the ironbound section of Newark with all the Portuguese who live there. Boy, you could yeah, go. My, to, my son knows a bunch of them there. Yeah, you go to Ironbound. You'll learn yeah. Portuguese at eighty. <laughs> you know what? That's past the uh, the uh, pub. No, I mean the, the train station. Is train station is in Newark City, but you go a little further and you'll be in the Ironbound. 
I don't I don't know that section. My son does. He had a friend that uh, lived there, but then they moved to Pennsylvania. I don't know why, but. Oh, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I, I'm telling you, uh, down, down neck, St. Casimir's, the Polish church, where they use so much incense on a Sunday that you would choke, you need an oxygen mask, and then you work your way right to the ironbound section, which is all Portuguese. Oh, yeah, and then Irvington, and East Orange, yeah, I've been there. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let's go to Steve in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Steve. No, it's Pete. <laughs> hey, I'm sorry. sorry. I'm sorry, Pete. That's okay. How'd you enjoy your birthday? Not good because uh, the beginning of the show. What did uh, Dizzy Izzy decide to play? That so pissed me off was uh, my nemesis who culturally appropriated my name, Curtis. Curtis Jackson, a.k.a. 50 Cent, in the club as, as a sort of birthday song for me. Can you believe that, Steve? Degenerate hip-hop monster. And you know what? His bragging rights. Oh, I got shot eight times. Curtis only got shot five times. Well, hey, who did it there? Ja Rule and his crew in Southeast Queens? Huh, Pete? <laughs> wow, that's wild. Yeah, I'm just trying to make it over to Bay Ridge today to oh, the parade. I'm going to try because my wife's got a shower to go to. Uh, one o'clock, one o'clock, got to be on time. One o'clock, And yeah. definitely the uh, black kettle there, which is the gin mill for the Irish. Uh, it's going to be a raucous occasion. I'll be there at one o'clock. I got to leave by about one thirty, quarter to two, in order to make it back here in time to join Chris Hahn from uh, 3 to 5, liberal versus uh, conservative. But I'm going to be out there, and I'm going to have Anthony Chester Sliwa my oldest son, who's got his bagpipes. Oh, wow, that's great. Yeah, he's a great kid. I remember him from when he was growing up when uh, we would uh, play stickball. And, well, no, stickball was before that. But and when I'd meet him at the restaurant, where, you know, with the restaurant in Staten Island where they had a fundraiser for you uh, in Richmond Avenue that we were at. And, uh, yeah, oh, great. You got to get him that car. Come on, Curtis. You oh, what? What? Uh, brand new Dodge Charger. Now that he's 18, he's got his senior uh, senior ring on, soon to graduate from high school. Are you out of your mind, Pete? Yeah, maybe he'll loan it to you and let you drive it in the parade or something. You know, come on. You got to get it for him. Pete, 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 I, Pete I, I've never had a license. I took uh, the driver's test four times. I had learner's permits, but I failed because I couldn't parallel park. Wow, I know. I, you know, at 66, I'm having a hard time parallel parking now. Like, I, I look at spots and I go, it's too small. And my wife goes, you could fit the Staten Island Ferry in there, you know, so. But, uh, hey, what are you going to do? That's part of life, getting older. Yeah, well, you know what? My cousins would tell me, uh, Lenny uh, Beans Bianchino and Joey G, the Cheech from Howard Beach, it's a Curtis, just put $20, spot it right on the seat there. The instructor will see it, and you'll pass with flying colors, Pete. But I, I wasn't going to bribe the Department of Transportation uh uh, driving uh, teacher, you know, who was giving you your test, I said, that's a double oofah. I'm not bribing him. 
Well, when I took my road test, my godfather, who passed away, well, he didn't pass away, he was killed in the line of duty, uh, Thomas Scamenti, uh, he came with me to take my road test. And uh, usually back then, they didn't tell you your results until like a week or two later, you know. So he asked the uh, driving instructor there, uh, did he pass? And the uh, guy ignored him. And next thing you know, he's got his police badge pressed against the guy's forehead. And the guy goes, he passed, he passed. And I look at the man's head, and he's got the indentation in his forehead from the badge, like he could see the numbers. So that's a memory I have of taking my road test. But I really don't think I learned to drive until about 30 years later, I mean, because I was the worst. I Still today, when I go down the street, I back up traffic. No, no. Pete, you may be bad, the worst, without a doubt, is Frank Morano. Him and his, uh, him and his brother, Alexander. Alexander is interesting. Nicholas Alexander, his brother. Spells his name Nicholas like in the Russian Tsarist times. Not like in the Italian tradition, you know, Nicholas. No, 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 no. Nicholas, the Russian version. In a few hours, I'll tell you about his brother, who apparently is a chemist, uh, has a graduate degree. He's going for his Ph.D. Uh, Frank uh, says he's much brighter than him. But he, too, is also a communist, believe it or not, his brother, Nicholas. Spells it the Russian way. Like Armand Hammer, one of the biggest capitalists ever in America, owned Occidental Petroleum and was a communist and a courier between Washington, Tel Aviv, and Moscow. Oh, and we're going to have to go over later on, speaking of Occidental Petroleum, all the products that come from petroleum. You know... Only about 50%, 50% of a um, barrel of oil goes for fuels, gasoline, home heating fuel oil, things of that nature. The other 50% go for things that you could never, ever imagine were made of petroleum products. We're going to go over that later on today, but just to give you a simple idea. Crayons made out of petroleum. Did you know that? Your Crayola crayons. More than 6,000 everyday products get their start from a barrel of crude, dishwashing liquid, solar panels, food preservatives, eyeglasses, DVDs, children's toys, tires, heart valves, soap, plastics, vitamins, yes. And my favorite, rubbing alcohol, which, as you know, was my remedy, I believe, in preventing me from uh, getting coronavirus and COVID-19 and all the variants. Because each and every day I have a procedure in which I wet the tips of my pinkies and then poke them in my schnoz, in my nostrils, and rub it with rubbing alcohol. And that, to me, acts as a filter against any viruses. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. You know, I very rarely 
play Frank Sinatra music. That's the privy of Joe Piscopo in a few hours to once again host the award-winning two-hour Sinatra program uh, promoted uh, by uh, Ramsey Subaru. Ramsey Monster. Show it's not Subaru. And Subaru. I'm giving them a double hit on but out of all the Sinatra songs and all the Sinatra trivia and the narratives related to all of you by Joe Piscopo, who knows as much about Frank Sinatra as any walking, talking, living human being, he's never played this song. Never played the TJ Tijuana Frank Sinatra song. I am going to demand of Joe Piscopo tonight that he do that because... TJ Tijuana is in the news, not because of all the illegal aliens coming north of the border to San Diego and Los Angeles. That still continues. But rather, the last gas station in Tijuana, as you're coming up to Baja from Ensenada to Tijuana, regular gas is $3.72 a gallon. Once you go across the border to uh, San Diego, you're looking at $7 a gallon. So people are trying to get south of the border. It's easy to get into Mexico. Not so easy to get back because you're on a line for a month of Sundays. You're probably burning uh, as you idle the same gas that you purchased for three seventy two a gallon. So that's why we played that song that I first heard, not with Joe Piscopo or any other Frank Sinatra show going way back to the old WHN. Who was that? Uh, who did the old Sinatra show. It's it's coming to me. It's coming to me. Oh, it'll come to me. It was on WHM. But anyway, the point being is, I never heard this song. I had to hear it on The Simpsons. And by the way, that leads me into discussion about 50% of a barrel of crude. And I'm not an oil man. I'm an olive oil guy. I'll explain that momentarily. But the other 50% of a barrel of crude goes to products that you could never have imagined are manufactured out of crude oil. Ink, floor wax, ballpoint pens, the old big pens, right? Remember? Upholstery, sweaters, boats, nail polish, sports car bodies, pantyhose, skis. Dresses, golf bags, toolboxes, dishwasher parts, motorcycle helmets, caulking, antiseptics, curtains, basketballs, the same ones you see bounced around on the hardwood for the Sweet 16. And by the way, I know that many of you uh, would like St. Peter's in Jersey City to win and uh, make it improbable as the winner of the NCAA championship. I say ixnay on that. Because they were wearing Black Lives Matter sweatshirts on the bench. I thought we lost that back in the summer of 2020. They've revived it. Antihistamines for all of you who have allergies. And this is the allergy season with the start of spring. Made out of petroleum products. Deodorant. How many of you use deodorant? Comes from a deodorant. It comes partially from petroleum. Dashboards on your car, the one you're beating right now, saying, oh, my God, I never realized all these products came from a barrel of crude oil, petroleum products, and cortisone. How many of you have taken cortisone shots just to be able to straighten up? 
partially manufactured out of petroleum products. Huh. We'll get we'll get into that later on today when I return at nine o'clock. People have no idea. I learned these things from my father, Chester, who was a merchant seaman for fifty four years, who uh, sailed on the Gulf Deer, which was a uh, oil tanker ship that oftentimes would come into the Straits of the Verrazano through the Kilvan Cole Arthur Kill to the tank farms in Staten Island, unload, and then uh, soon after have to depart. And he explained to me all of the products that come from a barrel of crude, whether it's Texas crude or world crude, and as our owner-operator John Katsimatidis has said, uh, he's the oil man, he's the oil expert, he certainly is, I'm not. But I'm an olive oil expert. Bertoli olive oil, second press, virgin olive oil. That my grandfather, Fidela Bianchino from Bari, who lived to be 99, ended up dying in my arms. As I returned to Canarsie, I don't know, there was something uh, prophetic about my return that day to Canarsie. I hadn't been there in a while. But I got a sense that Pop uh, was passing away into the hereafter, and I'm glad that I returned uh, in time to be there, to hear the death rattle, to have him in my arms, to be able to talk to him one last time. He was uh, not capable of uh, communicating any longer. But every day he would comb his hair with Bertoli olive oil, second press, virgin olive oil, with a comb, comb it up, sideways, frontways, backwards, and uh, he had hair till the day, I mean, a full head of hair. Why is it that 75% of the olive oil on the market nowadays is considered knockoff olive oil? Huh? I know a lot of you Italians and Greeks, you're uh, olive oil experts. We just had Greek Independence Day, uh, which we celebrated here at WABC. Hosted by John and his wife, Margot Katsimatidis. It was a fabulous day of all kinds of uh, entertainment of uh, ancient Greek traditions. And actually, lots of Greek food. You know, the only food left over. And it, this always happens at our cultural events here at WABC are the salads. People don't eat the salads. And these are great salads. So I'm like a little bunny rabbit all weekend long. I'm eating up all the leftover salad, trays of salad. You would think people are living a healthier life. Oh, salad, you know, chopped salad, put this in there. No, 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 not here at WABC. Uh, They almost like pick at the salad, but they eat, they consume, they inhale everything else that's put into the kitchen, which is voluminous. I mean, you've never seen a kitchen like this at a radio station that has more different foods provided to us, free of charge, by our owner-operator, Margot Casamitidis. But every time there's a cultural event, they put out a tray of salad, and people just pick at the salad. It's still a half a tray of salad back there. And, hey, you know something? I pick at it like a little bunny rabbit. It's good for you. 1-800-848-9222. And by the way... Somebody has to go up to Joe Piscopo today when he arrives at 5 o'clock in preparation for his 6 to 8 o'clock show and let him know that Curtis Lee will beat him to the punch. This is Ushanda. This is Udiscraziata. And played the Frank Sinatra Tijuana uh, song the very first time at WABC.
Uh, let's go to Charlie, who's calling from Bayside. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Charlie. Hey, Curtis. It was a pleasure seeing you today at the dining, and I'm not going to ask you how you're doing. <laughs> By the way, did you see my colleague there, my kumbada chich, Rudy Giuliani? Yo, man, that was such a treat. Him and his son, I was talking to both of them, and unfortunately, when I registered to vote years ago to make my mother happy, and I never changed it over, I'm a registered dem, which I condemn, and I'm going to switch over Monday. So I'm going to sign up and and uh, support Mr. Andrew Giuliani, and I wish he ran for mayor. He would have beat that Adams piece of garbage. Well, you know something, oh. what uh, Eric Adams should do, uh, Charlie, if nothing more, uh, find a diner somewhere in the five boroughs, uh, pick the diner. I'm sure Rudy would go and have a sit down with him and for 45 uh-huh. minutes or an hour just explain I to him. him. Curtis. I could beat him at 61 years old, retired Marine, retired sanitation. And that's another thing. That sanitation garbage. Hire those people back. Hire them all back. It's common sense. This city is being run by uncommon sense since de Blasio took over. Oh, my God. I said to uh, Rudy Clay, when I ran up to your table, I said, please save our country. Yeah, and I got to tell you, them. you notice how the crowd there in Bayside just treated uh, Rudy Giuliani oh. like the, the returning oh. hero. Oh, my God. The man is Mr. America. Uh, Mr. Italian America, give a shout out to the Italians. Man, I, I, that guy, seen him on TV, did, did him no justice. In person, the man is a true human gentleman sweetheart man of the people he should have been president god this country votes like they got stones in their head ah that's an old italian term stones in your head stones in ukab ah oh it's a great day earlier today in bayside even though it hailed and it rained it didn't drive the crowd away they were out after a two-year hiatus for the annual St. Patrick's Day Parade after the lockdown and the pandemic. And, boy, the place was packed. I was there with the Guardian Angels and my my eldest son, Anthony. Rudy was there supporting his uh, son's effort to become the next governor of the state of New York. He was gathering up petitions uh, on the Republican line to qualify to run against Lee Zeldin, Rob Astorino, and Harry Wilson. He's well on his way to qualifying. What a great turnout it was. A lot of WABC listeners. Just a lot of WABC listeners. Let's go to Mike in Yonkers. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Good morning, Curtis. Last minute, Mike here. Listen, uh, Frank Milano choosing your show title is reminiscent to me of the Russians brokering a deal with the Iranians over nuclear weapons. What the hell are you guys thinking? That's nuts. I mean, you know. Why not just give it to the enemy? I don't know, man. Maybe it's just me. Listen, well, well, no, 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 no. That is an interesting comparison. You're right. Since uh, Joe Biden was elected the president, his mission is to get that Iranian deal back on track, although we are not the primary negotiators. Putin and his delegates are. And uh, I have been told that although all of you, Mike, 382 of you have provided suggestions of a new title, for the overnight show on the weekends, 
that it would have to be the golden child, the future of talk radio, the interviewer extraordinaire who may soon be doing occasional interviews for 60 Minutes, Frank Morano, he and he alone will have to choose the title of my show, Mike. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I sent you in the, the suggestion last week. I played the doors. There'll be never, never be another one like you. And I played you with the whole nine yards. The whole nine yards with uh, Curtis Machine Sliwa. Because you're like a machine, man. There's no, there's no harm in calling you machine. Who, who goes into, who goes into the trains and then punches guys and gets his jaw broken and comes back out smiling the next day? You, the machine, Curtis the machine. Don't even say machine. Just Curtis Machine is synonymous. Listen, I want to wish you a happy birthday, 30 seconds. I know it's the end of the show. So I'm going to sing a little song to you, even though I know you hate these guys. Here we go. I don't want to offend uh, Tony Orlando, but I think everybody knows how I feel about the Beatles. I'll keep it at that. But I appreciate the salutations, the greetings, the happy birthday message. Mike from Yonkers, lost in Yonkers, up in Nodine Hill where the old Italians used to live. No more. Out at the racetrack, Yonkers racetrack, which is now a racino. At the shopping mall, Mumford Gardens, tough housing project. Hey, Schlobein Projects downtown near Getty Square. Our colleague uh, Bernard McGurk used to drive a livery cab in that area. Got held up many times, pistol whipped, as Bernie struggles uh, now in uh, getting his therapy for his uh, stage 4 prostate cancer. I'm sure it gives him uh, an opportunity to pause and think back how many close calls he went through while driving a cab in Yonkers from Mumford Gardens to the Schollbein Projects to Getty Square to Nodine Hill. Boy, we got a lot of listeners in Yonkers, a lot of listeners, many of whom are like the uh, play, O'Neill play, lost in Yonkers. A lot of hills. Anyway, let's go to Frank in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Frank. Yeah, hi, Curtis. I was thinking about an extension to turn around the city, an extension of uh, of the angels, of, of uh, the guardian angels. Um, uh, and the best, the best um, cure for insanity is an income and a job. Now, Mayor Adams started out as a criminal and turned his life around. And a lot of these homeless people need to want to turn their lives around. Um, there's a big percentage who don't, but the ones who do give them, uh, and they, and I was myself back in 92, 93, before the Giuliani administration, um, a homeless imposter where we are watching, you know, uh, and we look homeless, uh, and uh, we want to become, um, you know, civil servants or, um, like, uh, you know, uh, we don't, we're not cops, but we're, uh, we're, we're like, um, well, that now, Frank, uh, just to explain that you were a homeless imposter. Yeah. Well, for three years, I was bouncing a ball at Washington square park, talking about no violence, that violence is never the solution and free all willing exchange, which turns into somewhat today. And, 
And after it, and after I had 8,000 people there that wouldn't have been there on the 25th of March, the day before your birthday, um, uh, they said, okay, so what from here? And I said, well, about 30 years, about 20, 20, 21, 22, we're going to actually uh, turn uh, the opportunity to world peace. Um, this is an opportunity which going on in Ukraine where in the old days you wouldn't even have heard about this war. Uh, the whole world uh, is is watching this and uh, we've got to uh, we've got to put a bounty on Putin's head or something. We've got to show the world that this Now he'll continue to talk and I realize he's no longer on. But he sparked up uh, the brain cells that are still percolating in my medulla and cerebellum, and that is Sean Penn, has said that he will destroy his Academy Award, the one he won previously to tonight's ceremony just a few hours away, if Zelensky is not aired live at the Academy Award presentations doing one of his Zoom conferences with the Academy of Motion Pictures, the Oscars. Now, they've had bad ratings lately because they've been lame, too politically correct, too many hosts and hostesses. But imagine if they actually had Zelensky talking to the uh, Academy, to the nation, and really to the world. Those uh, ratings would go up uh, enormously, absolutely enormously. Well, I have no interest in the Academy Awards, none whatsoever, but I guarantee you tonight... After I uh, conduct the Animal Welfare Hour, the most listened to, the most requested, and the most called in to of the close to 20 hours that I do on the weekend where WABC, the acronym stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis. Uh, then I hand over the uh, microphone to the Mameluk, Mangaluch, and the uh, Mashad, Frank Morano. I guarantee you he will give you a complete rundown. Of all the Academy Award winners, the losers, the nuances, because he and Rachel had vowed that they would watch before the actual uh, announcement of the winners almost all of the nominees in all the categories. I don't know how he's going to do that while taking care of his young, uh, bouncing uh, baby son, Carmine. But that's why you don't want to go anywhere more. Stick it right here to the dial, 770 AM WABC, where you get your culture, your sports, uh, your politics, and everything.